Okay, all flight controllers, go no go for landing. Retro. Go. Fido. Go. Guidance. Go. Control. Go. Telcom. Go. GNC. Go. Econ. Surgeon. Go. Capcom, we're go for landing. Eagle Houston, you're go for landing. Over. Roger, understand. Go for landing. 3,000 feet. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Here to talk us down is Dr. (laughs) Professor Ben Burgess. He's a columnist for Jacobin. You see him every week doing the debunk on the Michael Brooks show. He is a philosophy professor at Perimeter College, Georgia State University, and he joins us from Atlanta. A lot of people are down and licking their wounds, Professor. You've written some pieces for Jacobin telling us how Bernie can win, how electable he is. I think your last piece over Jacobin said that. Is that correct, sir? Uh, yes, that's right. So, the yeah, the headline was Bernie Sanders is more electable than Joe Biden. Uh, and, you know, the gloss, the piece... And, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not immune from from feeling, uh, you know, what I think a lot of people are feeling right now uh, after uh, after South Carolina and uh, especially Super Tuesday, um, you know, because for for just a minute there, it looked like this was going to be easy. And uh, and now it's it's looking like, um, you know, it's much more of an uphill climb, uh, of course, you know, Bernie's only a few dozen delegates down, and there are thousands still up for grabs. So it's 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 too early to throw in the towel. And he may be leading in delegates by Tuesday if we assign all the California delegates. He may be ahead. Uh, it's po- yeah, no, that's right. That's possible. Um, and uh, and again, if if he wins, uh, if he wins Michigan, uh, that'd be very good, and that's very possible, right? He won Michigan last time. Uh, so, so it's, it's certainly too early to throw in the towel, but at the same time, I didn't want to make it, I didn't want to write something that sounded like it was a, uh, communique from the Bernie Sanders Ministry of Propaganda, uh, <laughs> telling the, you know, telling the citizens of Baghdad to, uh, ignore the American tanks that could see them rolling through the streets. Um, you know, I, I wanted to do something that would be, you know, be grounded in reality, but but at the same time, uh, emphasize the part that we might be missing, uh, because people are understandably, um, understandably down about the results. And I think the 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 silver lining of this, I mean, you know, it's it's not good news, right? I mean, like, there's just no no denying that it's bad news. But the silver lining is. That the argument for a vote for Bernie just got way simpler, um, because, well, think about it. Like, just yeah. just think yeah. for a second back to like um, last year, right? Like when uh, when there were like the first debates over the summer, and half of the people up on that damn stage were co-sponsors of the Medicare for All bill. Mm-hmm. The ideological lines between the candidates uh, were not actually all that clear, um, certainly if you weren't, you know, a political junkie like us. So 
get, you know, whereas now the ideological distinction, uh, especially now that Warren's dropped out, uh, couldn't be clearer, right? There are, you know, there are two candidates left. Uh, I, I understand that Tulsi has a, has a delegate, but you know, mm-hmm. there are two candidates left. Uh, and one of them, uh, wrote a bill on behalf of the the credit card companies to make it harder for people to declare bankruptcy. Uh, and, and one of them, uh, is Bernie Sanders, right? <laughs> so, uh, the, I don't, I don't see how that political distinction could be much clearer. Uh, and, and all the excuses are gone, right? All of the non, um, all the non-political reasons to prefer somebody other than Bernie, those, those are all gone. People, you know, people said, uh, oh, um, you know, I just can't bear to, uh, to vote, uh, to vote for another, you know, for another white man. Right, right. Uh, well, that's, that's just not relevant anymore. Um, right. Uh, that, you know, even if, um, you know, I, I do agree with, with our mutual friend, Michael Brooks, that that was, Always a uh, a little bit of a simplistic way to describe. On the other hand, on the one hand, um, you know a uh, you know somebody from Biden's background, and on the other hand, the son of you know Jewish refugees from Hitler. But you know whatever, whatever you think of that issue, that's not on the table anymore. Right. 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 Uh, Joe Biden is as white a white man. Uh, as you could, uh, as you could hope for, you know, if you're, you know, uh, looking through applications to join the local chapter of the KKK, <laughs> uh, and and he's he's certainly a man, you know, with 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 many many videos of of, of him leaning in to smell women's hair to prove it. <laughs> uh, so that's just off the table. Yeah, and um, and all the people who said, well, I would vote for Bernie, but he's just too old. Uh-huh. Well. Uh, Joe Biden was born less than a year before Bernie. Wow. Uh, he's 77 and born in November, uh, late November. Uh, Bernie Sanders is 78 and born in early September. Uh, and one of these two guys is in manifestly better cognitive condition than the other one. Yes. Um, we, there are, there are no, uh, there are no instances of Bernie Sanders starting to quote the Declaration of Independence and saying, you know, it's the rights and <laughs> liberty and, 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 you know, the thing, the thing. Right, right. Uh, there are no instances of him getting Jane Sanders confused with any of his female relatives, you know, who are uh, who are blood relatives. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very um, – so that's – that's off the table, right? If, if you, if, if you say, oh, you know, 78 is too old, then I don't understand how a 77 year old who manifestly does not have it together to anything like the extent that Bernie Sanders does, uh, could, uh, could be a, could be a viable option. So that whole talking point is just, um, completely, you know, off, off the table. Um, now I understand people say they want like a calm, unifying figure. Uh, who who does calming and unifying things like poking voters in the chest and challenging them to push up contests and you know uh, saying why don't you go vote for Donald Trump? Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, right? It seems like a pretty clear contrast. If you if you care if you care about um, you know progressive values, any sort of 
anything that anybody who who was ever a Warren supporter, for example, uh, could have told themselves they cared about. Anybody who ever preferred any of the other candidates to Joe Biden for political reasons, anything they cared about. Uh, Bernie Sanders is clearly better on, you know, on just just you could just write out all of the issues on a dartboard and just throw a dart at it. And Bernie Sanders is vastly better on that issue. And um, if if all you care about is electability, well, one of the issues that Bernie Sanders is better than Joe Biden on uh, is that Joe Biden voted for all of the trade deals that killed the Rust Belt. Uh, you know, all those swing states, you know, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, that um, – Hillary Clinton lost in 2016 in large part because she'd been made so toxic on precisely that issue. Uh, and I don't know why Trump wouldn't be able to do the same thing to Biden. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so he, he's so like, so in terms of the intersection of policy and electability, clearly Bernie is more electable. And also in terms of all the non-political stuff, Bernie Sanders is more electable. There's so just, just on a really basic level, like, if you remember how much fun Donald Trump had with Marco Rubio's water bottle, mm-hmm. try to imagine having him in a debate with somebody with a history of not remembering which of the women standing next to him is his wife and which one is his sister. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a catastrophe. It borders on elder abuse Yes, uh, to even put him in that position in the first place. Um, and also, I mean, Donald Trump... Um, he he is crazy. He is not all there himself in many ways, but uh, he is a savvy, nasty knife fighter of a debater. A consummate stand-up comedian. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, who can think on his feet. He's quick. He absolutely. taps into his gut and he says what's on his mind. Biden does. I mean, Biden, Biden is one of the most easily ruffled politicians in living memory. He I mean, he literally like voters will ask him uncomfortable questions and he will do things like call them fat or challenge them to push up contests or, you know, say, well, we'll just go vote for somebody else. then. Uh, so if you take somebody who's that out of it and that easily ruffled um, and, 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 and put him up against uh this person who is essentially an immensely talented insult comic. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, th- I think the results are the results are fairly predictable. It's 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 a real it's it's a sign of of nihilism, frankly, from some people that that they're willing to put him up against Donald Trump, uh, that they just don't care very much. That you know maybe they you know that whatever sort of cultural grievances they have against like what millennials post on Twitter. Uh, apparently override, you know, uh, whether we see a second Trump term for them. Uh, and, and when it comes to the Democratic establishment, I know some people don't like that word, but it's, it seems, it seems, you know, like the shoe fits. Uh, when it comes to the Democratic establishment, uh, I think what it shows, frankly, c- is that unless you believe that, uh, all these people who've been lining up behind Biden are, are stupid, which I don't, um, then you have to think that they, they, that part of what's going on here is that at an institutional level, the Democratic Party 
is more afraid of the sort of European-style social democracy that Bernie Sanders offers than it is of a second term of Trump. Wow. I think you're right. I think Nancy gets to keep the House, and Obama and the DNC establishment get to be the shadow government on the outside, pissing in, complaining. It's it's uh, everybody. It's good for everybody's fundraising, you know, because mm-hmm. look at what crazy stuff Trump said last week. Why rock the boat? Two things. Uh, there's a video of Bernie Tuesday night catching a water bottle that he knocked off the podium. Did this. you see that? Yes. Because <laughs> you brought up Marco Rubio and his water bottle. I mean, you talk about reflexes, Bernie got that water bottle before it spilled. It was amazing. And the other thing that's so frightening about Joe Biden is he talks about, you know, where I come from, I would take Donald Trump out behind the gym and we'd we'd fight it out. This guy walks away from every fight. There's this video circulating of a soldier in Los Angeles saying, you're disqualified, sir. You sent us into war. You voted for the invasion of Iraq. I had to kill citizens. You're disqualified. Biden mentions his son, Bo, may he rest in peace, kind of implies that his son died in Iraq, which isn't true. And then he walks away from the fight. He walks away from the fight and says, don't vote for me. He's not a fighter, Joe Biden. Yeah, uh, absolutely not. Um, I mean, he he gets um, what he what he's good at is is performing emotion in the moment, right? You know, he, he's he's good at that, but uh, but he's 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 not good at at, at just at just standing there and, and having it out, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like that's it's, I've never seen any evidence, frankly. Uh, he's good at that. I don't know when he would have had to become good at that. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, I've been following Michael Brooks on Twitter, and he is not letting up on Elizabeth Warren or her supporters. What is the complaint against Elizabeth Warren vis-a-vis Bernie? I mean, I have this fever dream that before Tuesday, Bernie's going to stand somewhere in Vermont and say, you know, she's my vice president, and they're going to live happily well, ever, ever after. But, you know, Michael Brooks is really unhappy with Elizabeth Warren. Sure. Well, I I, I actually, um, <laughs> the risk of sounding like this is an ass-kissing answer, I agree with both of you, uh, and, and here's, here's why. Uh, so, first of all, uh, as much as um, well, first of all, I think that um, at this point in the primary, even though I don't think she would do him any good in the general election, um, because you know her home state is a deep blue state and she's not even very popular there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at the uh, if you look at the numbers for her uh, for for her reelect, uh, uh, so so in terms of like November electoral math, that might not make much sense, but. Um, I also think that the campaign is in a hard place and it might make enough sense right now uh, that 
it might, you know, that, that if she's willing to go for it, you know, you might just have to do it and then, you know, and then hope that, um, you have enough other advantages in November. You don't have to worry about the VP factor. Uh, so, so, so I, 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 I agree with that. And, you know, and I, I think it's possible, right, that it'll shake out that way. Uh, what, what do you think is possible that before Tuesday, Elizabeth Warren's going to endorse Bernie? I don't think it's impossible, yeah. I, I think, um, I mean, just so, uh, I don't know if you follow, uh, Emma Vigland, uh, on Twitter. Uh, no, who is she? Uh, Emma Vigland, she's a progressive journalist. She works for the Young Turks. Um, and, and, um, in any case, you know, I, I think, I think she's a pretty, pretty, you know, she, she's definitely more pro Warren than I am. Um, you know, she supported Sanders, but she definitely has friendlier feelings towards Warren than I do. But it's, um, but, you know, but, but, but she, she, she can be pretty perceptive and convincing. And, um, and, and she's, you know, she's pointed to some signs that, um, at the very least, it doesn't look like Warren's made any sort of deal with uh, with Biden, which was a real concern, at least for me. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was entirely possible, uh, but it, it doesn't look like it um, because you know Biden's tweet um, after after Elizabeth Warren suspended her campaign uh, was very polite and it was very warm, but uh, it did include the phrase uh, "We need you in the Senate," right? Uh, mm-hmm. which, 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 which seems pretty decisive as far as, uh, as, as Warren not being offered any sort of role in, um, in, in the Biden administration. Well, she could be the president of the Senate. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 I didn't read it that way. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, so I don't think she's made a deal with Biden, which, which is the only reason that I hold out hope that, that she might make a deal with Bernie. Uh, but I, I'm with, you know, as, as far as where I, as far as, um, as my feelings about Warren, uh, I'm entirely with Michael. I, I have, I have been, um, I, I have, I mean, look, first of all, I, I have never felt as alienated from the bulk of people who do what I do for a living as I have been by the Sanders-Warren split because most academics, like most people in what Barbara Ehrenreich calls the professional managerial class, mm-hmm. um, you know, like Warren because they see themselves in her. Right. Uh, they, they, they see they see her as one of them, you know, that she's a, you know, she did her homework and, you know, went to bed early and, and asked bright, perceptive questions in class. Uh, and, 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 and so to me, seeing this kind of narcissistic PMC identification lead people to support a candidate who never had a good chance, um, of, of winning. And even if she could win the Democratic nomination, certainly never had a chance, I thought, of beating Trump. I, I think, you know, her, her weaknesses, uh, would have, uh, would have played to, to Trump's, this, the very strength of Trump, what we were just talking about. Um, I think it would have been the Pocahontas election. Right. Uh, but, um, so, th- so that, that, you know, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting from a place of being very annoyed, uh, by, by Warren's existence, uh, in the race. Uh, I think that, I, I think that it's very hard for me not to read her behavior in 2016 as cynical. Uh, that, um, she sat out the entire, you know, primary, you know, even though Bernie Sanders, who stands for all the things that she says she stands for, and then some, 
uh, was only, you know, lost her home state by a hair. Uh, and, you know, if she has any kind of pop, you know, popularity at all there, right, you know, it wouldn't have taken much. You're talking uh, about so- 2016, she didn't endorse Bernie. Yeah, 2016, she didn't endorse Bernie. And, and, and frankly, I've never understood how it is that, uh, liberals are still doing 1984 style two minute hate sessions about your friend Ralph Nader, mm-hmm. uh, because of Florida in 2000. But somehow Bernie people were supposed to immediately forgive and forget, uh, the loss of Massachusetts in 2016. Uh, I think there's a double standard there. Uh, I think it's very good. So it's very hard. She's never, she's never been able to convincingly explain why she didn't endorse in that primary. Uh, and then she ran this year knowing full well that it would split the progressive vote, that there was no way having accomplished the unprecedented thing that he accomplished in 2016. And I, I don't, I don't think there's any way that anybody could see that like Bernie Sanders essentially never stopped running for president, right? Like he was, he was crisscrossing the country. For years, you know, under varied pretexts, right? But it was it was always obvious that he was going to take another shot at it. Elizabeth Warren uh, went into the race knowing that um, that she she would be undermining his chances, um, and um, and she uh, and then there was that nasty little attempted in October surprise before the Iowa caucus, where she claimed that. Uh, well, you know, she described a years-old private conversation in artfully vague terms, clearly designed to put him in the worst possible light, make him sound like a sexist. Um, and, and so, after you know, after all this history, right? And and it, it hasn't let up. I mean, lately, like in the last few weeks, uh, she has, um, you know, she's gone after, you know. Um, you know, she's she's made all sorts of swipes at, at uh, you know about Bernie Bros and about uh, about um, you know Bernie wanting to raise taxes, you know, to to pay for Medicare for all, which she supposedly showed you don't need to do. Um, and, and, and so I, I have, you know, Elizabeth. Let's let's put it this way: Elizabeth Warren has done absolutely nothing. Uh, in the last several months to to make me have any warm, fuzzy feelings about her. Um, she she still could, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but the uh, the ball's in her court. Did you do any soul-searching this week? Because I know that I'm pretty angry, that I've pissed off a lot of my friends by being insufferable when it comes to Bernie. And I've taken pause, and I've actually thought, well, maybe... Maybe there is a problem with Bernie's supporters. Maybe there is a problem with Bernie, that he's unable to forge coalitions. Or maybe there's just a bigger problem, and that is the Democratic Party, the entire system, which Elizabeth Warren is part of, that their relationship, their the possibility of them forming a coalition was doomed from the start, that she's just part of the same poison that Biden well, is. Again, what I would say, well, okay, actually, what I would say about that is first, um, like we've never, I don't think we should ever lose sight of uh, the insane double standard here uh, that nobody, nobody ever thinks that um, Joe Biden's most fervent, you know, supporters 
what they say uh, reflects on Joe Biden. Nobody ever says that what Elizabeth Warren's most fervent supporters uh, say reflects on, on Elizabeth Warren. This this is a standard that has only ever been applied to one campaign. Uh, the, now we're told that the reason is that there just isn't anything like that, you know, from supporters of other campaigns. But I I certainly know. I would be shocked if you didn't know, right? Given your interactions on Twitter, um, that uh, that that's just not the case, right? That mm-hmm. they, that, uh, that there is every bit as much um, toxicity for the most fervently anti-Bernie Democrats as there is for the for most fervently pro-Bernie Democrats. Right. Right. Uh, and and that's you know so so I mean that's 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 where you have to. Uh, that's where you have to start uh, start the discussion. And if we were if we were going to judge Bernie by the standards by which we judge all other candidates, uh, which is to say, what does he do? What is you know what does his staff do? What do his volunteers do? What do uh, uh, what do his surrogates do? Uh, then it seems to me uh, that Bernie and his organization have been consistently far more gentle. Uh, to Elizabeth Warren than vice versa. Uh, like, you know, I'm trying to remember the example that uh, that I saw of this most recently. I think it was sometime, you know, sometime last week. Uh, but, um, but you know, Bernie Sanders will even be asked, you know, like by Anderson Cooper or whoever, Elizabeth Warren says that, and then, you know, he'll, he'll lay out the attack. What do you, you know, what do you say to that? And he'll say, well, um, you know, with all due respect to Elizabeth Warren, I think that's wrong. And he'll say why it's wrong, but he'll never, he'll never counterattack, right? He'll, mm-hmm. he, he never, he never, he never says, uh, he never says anything bad about Elizabeth Warren. He never, uh, uh, you know, all, all, all he'll do is attack, is, is respond to the substance of the thing itself, which is all he ever did, even, even when there was that pre-Iowa attempted in October surprise uh, about um, about the um, he said she said he said she said right even then right all he ever did right all he ever said about it was was just no that's not correct here's you know here's what was actually said right. Yeah. That was it. No counterattack. No, no, I don't know why she's lying about this. You know, none of that stuff. Just a straightforward, um, no, that's not accurate. Here's what happened. Now let's move on and, you know, go back to Medicare for all. Right. Here's what I've been saying all day. And I think my listeners are, I apologize because they've heard this before. I'm looking forward to the March 15th debate because it will be the starkest contrast, as you pointed out, that we could possibly have when it comes to policy. You can't hide behind identity. All you can talk about is what you believe in and whether or not you actually believe in it. This is going to be a great debate March 15th. And I would assume Bernie is going to mop the floor with Joe Biden. The problem is we have some important Primaries coming up next Tuesday. Michigan. You're from Michigan. Yep. Bernie has, well, he did have more money than anybody. People have come to Biden's rescue. So the air wars are starting in Michigan. What do you suspect is going to happen in Michigan? How can Biden tell the African-Americans in Flint we want to go back 
to we want to put it all together again, like Obama, who drank the water in Flint and said it was safe. I don't see him winning the black vote in Michigan. I can't imagine African-Americans voting for Biden well, and in I, Michigan. And I, am, I am cautiously optimistic about exactly that point because uh, the media has a bad habit of um, of equating uh, the black vote in conservative southern states where, like, you know, one half of one percent of the population is in a union uh, with the black vote period. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, that's reductive and insult kind of racist, actually, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, and and we've we've seen that, you know, in the past. Right. That in, in 2016. Right. Um, you know, Bernie was, uh, you know, slaughtered even worse uh, in, the, in the southern states. Uh, but he, you know, he did much better uh, with with northern black voters uh, because, of course, um, the you know, there's no monolithic thing called the black vote, right? You know, race is one of one thing that can uh, can you know uh, influence somebody's vote, uh, but you know, but there are lots of other things, uh, and uh, and again, he did. Um, you know what I could recall because the the Michigan primary in 2016 was was a big thing for me, right? I, I was still, um, I think I was just barely. I had just moved to New Jersey for for the job at Rutgers, but I'd like just moved, so I, I hadn't changed my registration yet. Um, and I I sent in my uh, absentee ballot for Bernie on like the Friday before the vote. And uh, when I did it, it was in a very like, it was in a very resigned mood. You've, you know, kind of all right. I'll I'll <laughs> uh, I'll toss the snowball over the gates of hell and see what happens, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because um, you know my high school classmate Nate Silver's website, you know, five thirty eight was uh, was saying that. Uh, well, I believe actually at one point they were saying that there was a one hundred percent chance that Hillary would win Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it just didn't seem possible. And, and then over the, uh, over the course of the night, you know, uh, that, that Tuesday when, when the votes were coming in, I remember I was staying up and I, I kept texting back and forth with, with my brothers. Like we saw like different counties coming in and everything. It was, oh my God, could this really happen? Um, and, and whereas, um, you know, Wayne County, you know, Detroit, um, you know, was, uh, I mean, I believe that Hillary did, did win. Uh, Wayne County overall, um, it wasn't by very much. If if it had been by very much, Bernie would have lost, right? You know, like uh, so he he did. Um, and what did, is Wayne County? Why is that important? Uh, that's that's uh, that's Detroit and, um, and and a little bit around Detroit, but mostly Detroit. And Hillary uh, won Wayne County. Uh, Hillary won. I believe she won. Don't don't quote me on that, but I believe she won. And what about Flint? Um, that's Genesee County. I don't know if she won Genesee County, uh, but 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 the point is that um, even if she did win, uh, it was it was by uh, it was it was it was by far lower margins than she would have expected, right? Um, which is part of the reason why why all the pundits got it wrong and 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 Bernie did actually win um, win Michigan. And of course, I mean, as you know, right? We've talked about this before. Uh, in the general election, lots of people in Detroit and Flint uh, just left the presidential part of their ballot blank, right? Like that—that's—that's mm-hmm. that's 
like if that hadn't been a phenomenon, you know, Hillary quite possibly would have won won Michigan and or uh, Wisconsin, right? Malika Jabali has has covered that about Milwaukee, you know, similar similar trend there. Uh, so so yeah, I mean, I, I think that it. I think I, I looked it up. Hillary won Genesee County. Okay, by how much? Fifty one point seven percent for Hillary. Bernie Sanders got forty six point five percent. Detroit, yep, Detroit all went for. But that's but, but again, fifty one point something percent is way lower than they were expecting her to get there, right? Like, right. Uh, like all of these projections about how, of course, Bernie would lose uh, were were based on um, were based on on the idea that that Hillary was just going to crush him uh, in Detroit and Flint, and also, of course, uh, we were talking about. We were talking about Michigan and, you know, progressive votes in Michigan, and you can't leave out uh, Dearborn, right? Mm -hmm. And the uh, Arab-American vote, uh, which which is uh, which Bernie won uh, quite handily, right, in in, in 2016. Uh, And and I don't I don't see a lot that's changed since then that that would change that. I mean, we'll find out. Right. You know, but but I'm 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 at least cautiously optimistic about Michigan. Right. And in the general, Hillary won in Flint big over, uh, she had a double-digit lead over Trump in Flint, Michigan. Well, it'll be interesting. I'm going to let you go. Thank you for this. Uh, this is very helpful. Just, I, I just want to wrap it up. Can you name one good thing that Joe Biden has done for progressives? I'm being serious. Is there anything you can name? I mean, I always think, well, he helped marshal the, the the stimulus package and he jumped the gun on gay marriage and said Obama was going to support same-sex marriage, when in fact, who cares? It was the Supreme Court that gave us same-sex marriage, not Barack Obama. What has Joe Biden done for anybody who is left of center? Yeah, I mean, the two you mentioned might be the strongest uh, cases, and they're not very Anything? I, 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 if my listeners can email us, I can't think of anything, And which brings the, the question, can you name one thing that Obama, who I love because sure. I'm flawed, I'm a flawed man, so I love Obama and Michelle, and I'm very protective of them, what did he do for people who are on the teeny weeny 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 side of the left of the center? What did he do in his eight years? I mean, very little. Like basically, um, you know, there's the Medicaid expansion um, as part of Obamacare. Yeah. Um, that Bernie was responsible really for because of the community health centers that wouldn't have existed yeah. had it not been for Bernie tacking that onto Obamacare. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, I mean, I guess this is uh, this is more of an inaction than an action, but uh, uh, you know, he uh, he refrained uh, from uh, um, you know he refrained from invading Syria. So that's something. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I believe it's, I believe he refrained. Because Congress won't let him. I think they've. I've- uh, I don't know about that. So, 
I mean, I, I think there, I, I think he probably, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent of the details here. I, I think that he, um, I think that he probably could have done a lot more to, to escalate in, uh, in, in Syria than, than he did. Uh, similarly, I think that, um, uh, you know, I think that, well, actually, ironically, if you can remember this, this far back, uh, a lot of Republicans were, uh, were angry at him and, 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 you know, for, um, and they were saying he was appeasing Putin because he, he didn't, uh, he didn't want to send like heavy weaponry to the, um, uh, to the Ukraine. Uh, but, uh, but it's also this but of course if you're going to give him you know uh, any sort of credit he gets for that uh those decisions to not rush headlong into those situations has to be balanced against um the considerable expansion of the drone war and um and and the disaster in Libya um so you know i mean i, I think there are i mean i i, I guess uh <laughs> i mean i know look I, okay. All right. All right. If if uh, if if Michael were here, I know he'd be jumping up and down, <laughs> saying the Iran deal, right? You know, oh yes, the, yes, and the pa- and, and Paris. Yeah, we'll always have Paris. We'll always <laughs> have Paris. So, that uh, angel just got its wing. Did you hear that? That's right. <laughs> yeah, no, that was really good timing. Um, before you go, before yeah. you go. I'm older. The, 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 the Iran deal was very good, which, by the way, makes it especially obscene that um, the Democratic Party thought so little of it that uh, uh, that everybody in the Democratic caucus in the Senate, except for Bernie Sanders, uh, voted before Trump pulled out to uh, to impose new sanctions on Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if, if that's the um, I mean, if, if you do go with the view that that's the, the best uh the best legacy of um, of the Obama years, uh, then then it's it's really um, uh, it's really striking how little value it seems to have to uh, the rest of the Democratic Party. Okay, before you go, uh, losing people, we lost on Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. And truth and reconciliation, I'm part of the problem. You know that. I'm older than you. I was sick and tired of losing, and I remember voting for Bill Clinton in 92, thinking, you know, we have to win. The Democrats, and I, and I remember when Clinton won, I said, yes, Democrats can win again. I wasn't paying attention to how we were le- winning and what we were losing in order to win. I got caught up in this, and being a parent and having kids, you, th- those are the, you know, parents with young kids are the worst voters. They, they, they're sleep deprived, they're paranoid, they're anxious, and they throw themselves on the mercy of whoever can just tell them something that will help them sleep. So I was part of the problem. I confess I, I'm the problem, but I am now moving as far to the left as you and Michael will take me and as my children will take me. I, I am, I, Truth and reconciliation, if you want to put a dunce cap on me and have a cultural revolution and have me march through the streets and you want to throw stones at me, I deserve it. I believed Obama. I was stupid. Well, okay. I think, uh, um, as you as you know, I, I think that we could benefit from a, uh, 
a version of the left that uh, put a bit less emphasis on Dunn's caps. But um, yes. but here's the uh, question. There are people who have been on yeah. the out forever who, who don't think winning is as important as staying the course, being on the sidelines or pissing into the tent. What is the virtue to not winning? We've talked on this show right now in this episode. You talked about how the Democratic establishment is fine with losing. You know, Nancy gets to keep the House and, you know, the lobbyists get to keep their jobs. What is the virtue in in losing in November and pissing into the tent? Uh, well, from from our perspective, none. Um, I mean, again, I, I, I can see how if um, if you're somebody like uh, like Nancy Pelosi, you know, corporate Democrat like that, then that might actually strike you as as the lesser evil to having to engage with a um, uh, a left administration that that really wants to to put a wrench into uh, to business as usual. Um, I mean, obvious, like, you know, the uh, the Republican establishment at one point thought that Trump was going to be that kind of wrench. But um, aside from, you know, he, he does care about his racism, you know, but aside from the immigration stuff, uh, he has been uh, remarkably business as usual. Right. Yeah. You know, he's 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 been, you know, he's been willing to, um, you know, to, to co-sign on the entire Republican you know economic agenda. Uh, even when it conflicts with with everything that he campaigned on, uh, whereas uh, whereas Bernie, they're they're still they're still worried about it. So so I, I can so obviously, um, you know, somebody like Pelosi would prefer to have a Democrat, you know, in office and and the sort of extra, um, you know, clout that this would give her and everything. But um, you know, if she uh, if she can't get you know, if she can't get a Democrat who um, who's going to play ball with the way that things are done, um, I I can see how living with four years of Trump uh, might be might be acceptable to her. It's it's not uh, you know it's not acceptable to me, uh, and you know I don't think it's acceptable to you or people who listen to this because. Because, because it, 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 you know, it can't be given, you know, given that we actually care about, uh, you know, who has health insurance and who right. doesn't, and you know, and, and all of that stuff. People uh, die if we lose. Yeah, people die if we lose. Uh, which is which is why, as as tempting as it is, um, after after uh, after Tuesday, right? Like after after you get roughed up like that, as tempting as it is to sort of emotionally detach yourself from uh, from the rest of the election you know because uh, you know because because who, who you know who needs to go through that uh, you know I we, we still need to push with everything that we've got because you know it's a much more uphill path than it was but there is still a path to victory and it actually matters a lot what happens Joe Biden is one of the most easily flustered candidates in living memory. He has a bad habit of flying off the handle and telling voters to just go vote for somebody else or challenging them to push-up contests. Bernie Sanders, on the other hand, is imperturbable. The question has not been devised that he can't answer by pivoting back to his support for Medicare for All 
and other concrete policies that would make life better for working people, writes Professor Ben Burgess over at Jacobin, where he is a columnist. Read him over at Jacobin once a week. He is a philosophy professor and author of Give Them an Argument, Logic for the Left. He does a segment called The Debunk every week on the Michael Brooks Show. Sign up for two essays delivered to your inbox each week by going to patreon.com forward slash Ben Burgess. How do people contact you via Twitter, Professor? Uh, it's uh, twitter.com slash Ben Burgess. Uh, you can just send me a DM. Um, and, uh, there's, there's also a, there's also going to be a, um, a freestanding website that's coming, is going to be coming real soon. Okay. You, my son, my daughter, and Michael Brooks, and Ralph Nader, and a couple of other people have created a monster. And his name is David Feldman. And I don't care who wins come November. I'm not giving up. And we're going to keep fighting. No matter what, nobody said this was supposed to be easy. And you keep fighting because otherwise more people die. So uh, thank you for being part of this show and moving me and keeping me on the far left of the political spectrum, doctor. Thank you, comedian. Stay on the line for one second. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized humps. For more on this, we are joined by the president and founder of Progressive Punch, Joshua Grossman. Hello, Joshua. Hi there. Before we look forward to Washington State and Michigan, what happened on Tuesday? Were you taken by surprise by Biden? Well, I think everybody was taken a little bit by surprise, and a lot of people were taken a great deal by surprise. And I, I, I would count myself in the somewhat taken by surprise camp, but not completely shocked. And I think, I think what happened is that um, there, there's a lot of people who vote in Democratic Party primaries who have some trepidation about Bernie Sanders being the nominee for the Democratic Party to run against Donald Trump. And some of those people are people who um, are just not as progressive as Bernie and or they're not as fiery as, as Bernie. So that's a group of people. And then there's also a lot of people out there who just... Uh, think that the most, that the only thing that matters is beating Donald Trump and they see Biden as somebody who has a better chance to beat Donald Trump than Bernie does. I, I don't necessarily agree with that analysis myself. I, I think that uh, both Bernie and Biden have strengths and weaknesses as general election candidates, but that's a perception that a lot of people have that, that Biden is sort of a safer candidate in the general election and so i think that and and before the people who felt that way before super tuesday the, these people were split many different ways among uh bloomberg and biden but also among klobuchar and Buttigieg, 
And so they, they now, the, the, you know, it's like a funnel and they all, <laughs> and as the other candidates dropped off and dropped away, um, the non-Bernie choices became narrower and that's what, that's why Biden started doing as well as he did. I also have another theory, which is a little bit more outre and is completely speculative and I can't prove at all. But I, th- I think the coronavirus has something to do with this, too. I think people just feel beleaguered and under attack and unsafe with Donald Trump as president in mm-hmm. general. And then having the coronavirus adding to that makes people look for a safe harbor, so to speak. And I think that Biden is seen by many, particularly older people um, who are more s- set in their lives and are not... You know, are, are less willing to take chances than younger people. Um, there, he, he, Biden is just seen as a safer, as a safer choice in a time that's an unsettled time. And many people, you know, look back nostalgically to when Obama was president, and they didn't have to watch the news compulsively every day to see what terrible things were happening. And so I think Biden benefits from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I think that there's a, I, I, I think that, you know, there's that the people who were able to observe Biden up close more than other Americans New Ham- in New Hampshire and especially Iowa weren't really impressed with what they saw. Right. Um, you know, he got beaten badly in those states. And I think that, um, you know, Biden has lost a step and a half. He, he always was a bit of a verbal meanderer who could, you know, kind of wander down pathways in the verbal garden. But <laughs> now he's really become somebody who gets, you know, tangled up in his own rhetoric and gets a little bit, loses his train of thought. And, you know, I he, he's just not as sharp as he ever was. And he wasn't that, you know, he wasn't like a super sharp on point speaker to begin with. Um, so I think, I think there is some risk that people are under evaluating in terms of Biden. You know, people are very attuned to the risks of Bernie Sanders being the nominee and that he could scare people away. Um, and I think that that's not an unreal risk, but I think that they're not factoring in enough the risk of, of Biden being the nominee. And moving forward, to Michigan, Washington State, and a couple of other primaries next Tuesday that don't have the the real estate that Washington and Michigan have. If Bernie doesn't win Michigan and Washington, is that the stake in his heart? Well, um, you know, Bernie's Bernie's this old guy who's like as tough as shoe leather. And, And one thing that not many people know about him is that when he was a very young man, really a boy as an adolescent, you know, he was the cross country running champion of New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in high school and he's, he's a very dogged individual. And of course, if you watch his speeches on YouTube, he was saying the same thing 30 years ago in his rhetoric that he is now. And that's part of his authenticity that delights many people and, and horrifies some others. Um, but I, I don't, I think it would, would take a bad showing for him to drop out. I don't, I'm not exactly sure what would constitute a bad showing. I would say in terms of delegate math and places where 
Sanders can do, could do well or should do well if he was going to be stay in the race. I, I think he probably needs to carry Michigan, and he certainly needs to carry Washington State. I mean, if he if he loses Washington, which is sort of like a good fit for his politics, I think he's in real trouble. Um, mm-hmm. If he wins Washington and loses Michigan, um, you know, I think it's I think it's tough because Biden. Biden has demonstrated that he's far more popular than Sanders in the southern states, and that's enough um, that Bernie has to make that up somewhere. And he's Bernie will get uh, a delegate influx from the counting that's still going on in California, and that will allow him to pretty much catch up to Biden. So, so if you were to listen to news reports, you wouldn't realize that. Bernie's not in such a big hole right now. It's pretty, it's pretty close, uh, between him and Biden in terms of absolute numbers of delegates. But, um, there are states going forward, as I mentioned in the South and some other places that clearly Bernie will lose. And so he has to counterbalance that somewhere. And of course, if it, if, if it should go, which seems very unlikely to me at this point with only two candidates, but if it, if it should go, to a second ballot at the convention, uh, the vast majority of superdelegates and you know, elected officials and party officials, uh, I would say 90% of them would vote for Biden against Sanders on a second ballot. So right. Sanders pretty much has to win on the first ballot, and that means he, you know, he probably has to win uh, uh, Michigan and almost certainly Washington. As of this conversation, I have Joe Biden with 596 delegates to Bernie Sanders, 531 delegates and California. There are 166 delegates yet to be assigned. Is it conceivable that going into next Tuesday, Bernie Sanders, because of California, could be in the lead? Um, well, it depends. <laughs> well, not to be a master of the obvious or anything, but it depends on the the ballots that haven't been counted yet in uh in uh california and since unlike superman you know i don't have x-ray vision i can't peer in and i don't know how those people voted but um it seems to me that uh that while sanders will certainly win a plurality of the delegates in california and possibly a majority of the delegates in california it won't be a big enough one to to for him to do more than Pull roughly even. I don't have the exact numbers. Right. Like to say, but it's but it's not. I mean, he he beat um, or he's ahead. We should say because we don't we don't even know how many ballots haven't been counted yet in California. It could be as many as three million, right. um, and it's probably at least two million. So um, so that's a lot. Um, and the ballot, most of the ballots probably that have not yet been counted are ones that were mailed shortly before the election mm-hmm. and those tend to be disproportionately democrats and disproportionately younger people right so that would that would strengthen bernie's hand on the votes that haven't been counted yet on the other hand some of the very late ballots that, and people are also able to just drop them off if they wanted polling centers um are were after klobuchar and Buttigieg had had uh withdrawn from the race and so those those that would help Biden. So it's really hard to say, but I think, I think the, the most likely scenario is that 
Bernie winds up with a, a comfortable win in California, but not what I would characterize as an overwhelming win. And that's what he would really need to go ahead. Were you, su- were you surprised by how the Democrats got in line, how Obama picks up the phone, Amy, Mayor Pete and Beto come to the rescue of Biden? That didn't surprise me. What surprised me is how the voters or is there evidence that the voters responded to Beto's endorsement in Texas and Amy Klobuchar's endorsement in Minnesota. How powerful were those endorsements? Do we know? Well, there's no way to measure it exactly, of course. But I, first of all, I don't know that Obama picked up the phone, as you mentioned. I have no personal knowledge of that whatsoever. And from what I've heard, Obama has been staying out so that he can serve as a sort of a neutral person to bring to people together, you know, at the convention and after the convention. So that's, I, I just want to say that you may, you may know something that I don't. Um, but in, in terms of the, the other people, the withdrawn candidates endorsing Bernie, I, I think, I think that they, I, I don't think it's that people do what they say, but I think it's more that they're signposts, that mm-hmm. they are, they, they sort of give permission to people to do what they want to do or what they think they should do. So maybe if um, Klobuchar had done what Elizabeth Warren is apparently doing now and not endorsing anybody right away, and if Buttigieg had done the same thing, if they'd held back, maybe people would have been a little bit more uncertain and Bloomberg was still on the ballot at that point, of course. And so they might've been a little, a little bit more confused about what their path was going forward. But these were people who were not going to vote for Bernie Sanders and they didn't vote for Bernie Sanders. So mm-hmm. it was just a question of which of the other Democrats they were going to vote for. And now, are these all other the people bl- are not on the ballot. Just to finish this, this, this these sure, other people sure. are not on the ballot um, going forward. It's pretty much a Biden versus Sanders race. I don't think anybody takes Tulsi Gabbard seriously. And so, uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, you know, there, there's no more extraneous distractions. It's just like the two, the two fighters are left in the ring and, and nobody's, nobody's looking at who's in the galleries or who's, you know, outside that ring. So I, I think we'll, we'll see. And, and, uh, you know, Bernie has one target and Biden has one target. And let's just hope they don't beat each other so bloody that Trump, you know, smiles all the way to the back. We're being told that there was record turnout on Super Tuesday, but it wasn't Bernie supporters. They were coming out to support Joe Biden. But could it be that Mike Bloomberg drew the record turnout, that a lot of these voters came because of Mike Bloomberg, but they're not going to stay once he drops out, that Biden can't really count on the Bloomberg voters. I have. I don't think so. I mean, I don't. I don't know about the record turnout. I haven't seen like total turnout numbers, so I really can't comment on that. But in terms of an analysis, that the Bloomberg people, now that he's no longer on the ballot, I mean, there's, you know, lots of hundreds of thousands of people voted for Bloomberg on Super Tuesday. Some of those people, just like any other group of people you know, had their guy, you know, maybe they were Republicans and, but who didn't like Trump. And so they, and they were in states that, 
um, that you didn't have to be a Democrat to vote in the Democratic Party primary, which there are quite a few. So there, I'm sure there are some people like what you're describing, but I, my, my sort of educated surmise would be that the majority of Bloomberg supporters, you know, I mean, people are contradictory. I'm sure even a few of them will vote for Bernie, you know, but, mm-hmm. but I think the lion's share of them will vote for Biden. Right. It wasn't. Convent- and I think that, I think that one thing that the Sanders supporters and I, you know, I supported Elizabeth Warren and I, um, I live in Oregon and so I haven't had a chance to vote yet. And now I will vote for Bernie Sanders. And I supported Bernie Sanders four years ago very strongly and went to the convention and advocated on his behalf in front of the rules committee and was involved in the effort to, to no longer allow superdelegates to be to vote on the first ballot, which which was a, a victory that we won. Um, but all that said, I think one of the things that the Sanders people have to acknowledge themselves is that one of one of Bernie's electoral claims that he would that would make him a strong candidate in the general election and in the primaries as well is that a, a, a slew of young people who did not vote before now would turn out and support him. And there just isn't really much evidence of that at all. There's huge, there's huge evidence that young people who are voting are voting for Bernie Sanders. And that's his strongest demographic by age and basically his strongest demographic of any kind, um, are young people. And it's very heartening to me, but it's not, it's not clear at all that there has been any kind of increased turnout among young people. And basically, in general, older people tend to vote more in primaries. Um, that's in all elections. I'm not talking about just presidential elections. And so to a certain extent, um, Sanders probably has the strongest support among people who are not voting. And, um, you know, if they don't vote, uh, you, you know, you can't win. You know, it's like the, the silly commercials for the lottery. You know, you can't right. you can't win if you don't play. So it's the same thing. We're talking with Joshua Grossman. He's the president of Progressive Punch. We, we have limited time with you. My frustration is this. March 15th is the next debate, and it's going to be one of the great debates ever inside the Democratic Party. A stark choice, not filtered through identity, but rather policy. It's Bernie against Biden, two old white guys battling it out over what direction the Democratic Party should pursue. And I think after that debate, more and more people are going to be drawn to Bernie once they see the differences. There hasn't been this kind of debate in the Democratic Party. Well, maybe between Bernie and Hillary, but I think the stakes are much higher this time around. I think a lot more people are going to be paying attention. The problem is March 10th, because if he doesn't win Michigan, Bernie, if he doesn't win Washington, he has a really difficult path on the 17th of March. I mean, it's all these are all Clinton. Clinton won all these primaries in 2016. We're talking Arizona, Florida. Bernie doesn't stand a chance in Florida. Maybe Illinois, maybe Ohio. I mean, if he has a good debate on the 15th, could Bernie pull out Illinois and Ohio on the 17th? Well, I mean, his chances might be stronger in Illinois than in Ohio. But, I mean, he has to, if, if you're running for president, you, you have to, as, as all these other Democratic candidates who have now dropped out have experienced, 
at some point you have to win. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Elizabeth Warren had huge fundraising, and she had an incredible campaign field infrastructure across the United States, but she kept coming in second, third, fourth, and fifth in different places, didn't win anywhere, and even came in third in her home state. So she she finally you know, looked in the mirror and said, you know, I, I'm not going to win this thing, even though I'm, I have a great appeal to a certain group of people um, who are willing to, to pony up money and put their money where their mouth is for me, and I, I inspire great passion. Um, I, I just don't have enough. You know, it's a majority vote system, ultimately. And Bernie could be the same story writ larger. You know, he has a larger base of support than Elizabeth Warren did, and he's, he certainly has a more passionate basis of support than um, than Elizabeth Warren had. But at some point, you, in order to win, and even more so to beat Donald Trump in the general election, you have to you have to pull in, if not a majority, at least a very large plurality. You know, you're, it's possible that somebody could get elected president of the United States with under 50 percent of the vote because that's exactly what happened last time. But it's going to have to be close. So you're going to have to pull in tens of millions of people to vote for you. And that has to happen. That that means that your appeal not only has to be deep, as Bernie's is, but it has to be broad. Mm-hmm. And we we haven't quite seen what I think we need to see in terms of the width of the appeal. And he's certainly, you know, great at, at whipping up fervor among people who think we need a resolution um, in American society. It's not clear to me that anything close to a majority of Americans uh, agree with that we need a, a revolution. It's clear to me that a majority of Americans are discontented about lots of things, but another another problem in, in terms of organizing them is that it's not clear at all that they're discontented about the same things. In other words, different people have different gripes with the status quo. So trying to organize all those people into a movement is sort of like herding cats. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of the people who were responsible for Democrats winning elections in the 2018 general election, the congressional elections around the country, were suburban, you know, relatively affluent, pretty well-educated women. And that is a group that Sanders has not been cleaning up with in the primaries. So I, it's not, as I, as I said earlier, it's, I think people are sort of overthinking the part about Biden being a better general election candidate, and they're not considering his weaknesses enough. But I also think that people who are support Bernie are, are, are not um, as uh, cognizant of his limitations as a general election can because they're so infused with fervor on his behalf and they love him so much. They're, they're maybe a little bit blinded to the fact that, you know, he, he too has some weaknesses as a general election candidate. So I guess I guess all this is to say that. They should they should have that debate. They should duke it out. They should uh, outline their plans, not just for the direction of the Democratic Party, as you said, but also for the country. You know, right. they, should, they should talk about their visions for the country. And, uh, you know, people will choose. 
We've been talking with Joshua Grossman. He's the founder and president of Progressive Punch. Progressivepunch.org if you want to know what your senator or congressperson is supporting. Go to progressivepunch.org. Last question. We've pushed people away. I'm beginning to sense that. I have, I'm vociferous. I'm all in on Bernie. I'm a little intolerant. I think that the Democratic Party is infused with more low information voters than we like to admit. That being said, if Elizabeth Warren were to endorse Bernie, would that move the needle right now? And why isn't she endorsing Bernie? Because Bernie needs to prove to us that, as you said, can build coalitions. If he can't get Elizabeth Warren to endorse him now, then he's a flawed candidate, right? I love him, but there's there's a well, fl- I I just a moment ago in your show, I was sort of critiquing uh, Sanders' campaign and saying that people uh, are not taking enough into consideration his limitations as a candidate. I I don't know that that's quite fair to Bernie. What you what you just said here. I, I mean, it, 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 if if Warren is unwilling to endorse Sanders. That could be a failing on Sanders' part, a, a maladroit uh, effort at outreach, and so that that's not necessarily incorrect what you're what you're saying, but it's not necessarily correct either. Um, it's, it's more. It might be more that, revealing you know, of Elizabeth to, Warren. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she could yeah. be licking her wounds. She could be. Hoping for something, you know, from Biden. I mean, who, who, who knows? You know, she, she, she may not want to seem like she's too easy, you know, so to speak. Um, and, uh, you know, so we'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think there's some, you know, there's probably still some resentment from that little thing that played out on stage where Warren accused Sanders of, you know, essentially calling her a liar and then her campaign seem notably weaker from that point on. I mean, I, who, who knows? There's lots of personal ego stuff that goes into all this, and it's not all on Bernie's side. You know? Yes. And yeah. I say that as a Elizabeth Warren supporter. So, right. um, I mean, my, you know, my, we'll, we'll, my instinct is to seduce Warren supporters right now. Uh, my friends who are Bernie supporters they are saying, no, she was never going to endorse Bernie because she never was the left-to-centrist that she claimed to be. She was always going to compromise and that she's a tool of the Harvard technocrats, that she's more akin to Biden than she is Bernie. So, well, I think people who say those things are ignorant and foolish and self-righteous, okay? And it's sort of a toxic mix of all three of those things. And that is um that kind of you know i i i i myself am i'm pretty much of a, a lifelong activist i'm i'm 61 and i started doing political activism when i was 13 years old and never stopped but i do i do say that you know i do i am fond of saying to people that self righteousness is to political activists as emphysema is to cigarette smokers you know it's just it's just endemic and uh you know that what what people need to be doing if they want to reach out to elizabeth warren and if they want to reach out to her supporters is the exact opposite of the, the sort of quotes you know 180 degrees opposite they need to be 
friendly and appreciative and tell Elizabeth Warren how much they, their, their, her supporters, how much they admire her and, and respect her dedication to our country and her selflessness and how hard she's worked on behalf of American citizens. And now that, um, she's no longer in the race, Sanders is by far and away the candidate who, uh, is promulgating a points of view and policies that are by, you know, by far the closest to what Elizabeth Warren would have done herself. And calling her names or calling her supporters names is just self-defeating and, and remarkably stupid. And you're welcome to quote me on that. No, I agree time. with you. I agree with you. And I, I promise you I would keep this short. The problem with experience is you know how difficult things are, so you compromise before you even start. I remember Elizabeth Warren. I remember her when Obama wanted to make her head of the Consumer Protection Financial Bureau. She created it. I think had Obama been able to install her as the head of the Consumer Protection Financial Bureau, she could have reigned in Wall Street and the credit card companies. But I saw it. I saw what he was up against with McConnell and the Republicans. There was no way he was going to get her installed there. I know how difficult that is. But with age doesn't necessarily come wisdom. With age comes surrender. And that's why I I love Bernie and, and his supporters is, you know, past results mean nothing. You well, know, I don't I don't see. Well, I think you, I think it's important to judge people on their results, actually, not just on their rhetoric, especially in the political realm, but even in life in general. And I have to say, I don't see any surrender in Elizabeth Warren. And I markedly disagree with your friend's assessments of her issue positions. You know, I'm I'm stoutly progressive person. I started a super PAC progressive kick to elect strong progressives, Bernie Sanders progressives, you could say, to all levels of office around the United States. And I started a searchable database of congressional voting records, progressive punch, to measure who was progressive actually and who wasn't. And I can tell you that Elizabeth Warren is the real deal. So it's just you know, you, it just sounds like you have a lot of people spouting off, not really knowing what they're talking about. Right. For another conversation, I worry yeah. as I get older that I'm weighted down with knowledge and experience, and it makes me inflexible and pragmatic, and you do what's possible, not what needs to be done. And that's why we need young – we have to listen to the young people in this world and – you know, you know, John Kennedy said, I believe by the time this decade is out, we can land a man on the moon and return him safely. They didn't know how to get him to the moon. They certainly didn't know how to return him safely. He had a, a big dream and he didn't say, I think we should send a man to the moon and then leave him there to die because, you know. Right. But it's a, respectfully, I think it's a really a false analogy that you're that you're promulgating here because. The, the, look, my favorite graffiti of all time was from the 1968 Paris student revolts where they smeared on the walls, be realistic, demand the impossible. Okay. So I, I wow. come from exactly the mentality that you're talking about, about being aspirational, you know, seeing the world, not just as it is, but as we imagine it could be in a, in a better, with a better planet and a better society and, and young people, in general, are less 
ossified. You know, they're less stuck in their ways because they've had less time to be stuck in them. And uh, if if for no other reason, maybe for other reasons as well. And that's part of why they've been so responsive to the vision of Sanders, um, you know, compared to older generations. That said, um, as I mentioned earlier, you have in, in this, I mean, we don't have proportional representation in this country. We have winner take all elections. And at some point you have to cobble together, if not a majority, I mean, Donald Trump did not get a majority of the vote or even a plurality of the vote Hillary Clinton did in the 2016 election. But he came close, you know, and he got a lot. He got he got 46 percent of the vote and uh, Clinton had 48 percent. OK, so you've got to get you. And, and the way you cobble together that 46 percent or 48 percent is not by antagonizing people and telling them, you know, that you're more pure and more progressive than they are. You know, it's about building commonality and, and meeting people where they are. And, you know, if I mean, for Bernie Sanders to get elected president of the United States, Winning over Elizabeth Warren and her supporters is the least of what he would need to do. Okay, that's just the first step. The, the bigger step is he's going to have to get millions of people, not not tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands, but millions and even tens of millions of people who did not vote in the Democratic Party primaries at all or who voted for Pete Buttigieg or, God help us, Michael Bloomberg mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, um, you know, other, other cans, Amy Klobuchar, et cetera. So, so ridiculing Warren, Elizabeth Warren or her supporters is just, is just foolish and masochistic and self-defeating. And please tell, tell your friends I said that. Uh, yes, yes. Well, Joshua right. Grossman is the president and founder of progressivepunch.org. Once again, thank you so much to Howie Klein for introducing me to you. Can you stay on the line for one quick second? Uh, very briefly, yeah. yeah. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized humps. One of the few bright notes on Super Tuesday was Joe Biden's victory speech interrupted by activists shouting, Let Derry Die. Let Dairy Die activists also interrupted an Elizabeth Warren speech earlier this week in Los Angeles. And last month, some Let Dairy Die activists appeared topless during a Bernie Sanders speech. Let Dairy Die believes the cattle industry enslaves and tortures animals and is also killing our planet. We are joined by spokesman and investigator for Direct Action Everywhere, Matt Johnson, Direct Action Everywhere is a coalition of animal rights activists who organize the Let Dairy Die protests. And he comes to us today from God's country, Berkeley, California. Welcome, Matt Johnson. Thanks so much for having me, David. Well, thank you for your work. I want to talk to you about the dairy industry and why it needs to die a quick death. But first, let's talk about civil disobedience. Two women were arrested in the middle of Joe Biden's victory speech. It was a little disconcerting. So you're younger than I am. I have kids who are politically active. I also have young people who listen to this show. I believe in civil disobedience. I believe that sometimes candidates like Joe Biden are in a bubble. And the only way you can get them to listen to you is by acts of civil disobedience. 
But it was unnerving to see it on TV. A lot of pundits immediately said it's time for Secret Service protection. Let's address the, a serious issue, and that is the ability of somebody to rush the stage during a Joe Biden speech. Let's get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. Who were the two women? Were they arrested? Were they carrying weapons? Was this peaceful, purely peaceful? They meant no physical right. harm, I assume. Exactly, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, so we are uh, a group which uh, emphasizes principled, um, action, uh, nonviolent direct action. So, um, yeah, absolutely, you know, zero intention for anything like that. Um, you know, as to whether the campaign or, or, you know, the, the government should provide secret service protection, like, yeah, it's, it's probably a good idea. I don't, uh, you know, I don't think the blame would come on us for we're kind of like exposing like, hey, maybe this is a thing you should do, I guess, in a in a way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess the the protection should they should certainly protect those folks. And uh, that said, well, at the same time, if we see an opportunity where we think we can elevate an important issue, we're, uh, you know, pretty inclined to take it, obviously. Yeah. And I would assume you talk with lawyers beforehand. Yeah, yeah, we have uh, a lot of folks who are really supportive of our work. Uh, so we were able to secure, uh, get, get some, some legal advice. And, you know, at times we obviously are choosing to, to step into taking a certain amount of legal risk, but, uh, our activists are certainly, um, well informed, uh, in doing so. The two activists were Sarah Siegel and Ashley Froud. They held signs reading, let dairy die with an image of a, a calf being tortured. I, would assume they were apprehended by police. What happened to them? Uh, I mean, they were very briefly uh, detained, uh, but uh, they, they were released pretty quickly thereafter. Um, what's interesting is that uh, a lot of these, or not all of these, but pretty much every political candidate, they don't want to be on the side of uh, suppressing free speech or any anything that could sort of be claimed as such. So uh, you see an action like this and you, you might assume that there would be legal consequences, but actually um, it's generally not the case. Okay. To be totally honest with you, if I were a candidate, uh, I would support direct action everywhere and I would agree with you on let dairy die. I might press charges if somebody rushed the stage in the middle of my speech. I might press charges. I think that that does cross the line. I'm not sure I agree with you 100 percent. It, it, I don't know if it necessarily moved the needle in favor of veganism during Joe Biden's speech. Let's talk about Bernie Sanders rally in Carson City, Nevada on February 16th, which I think moved the needle. Tell us about the three topless direct action protesters. Yeah, so these were um, three, three obviously very passionate uh, activists who wanted to, to elevate this issue, uh, particularly with Bernie Sanders, who, and I'm, I'm this coming from somebody who's a Bernie Sanders supporter. I caucused for Bernie Sanders in 2016 when I was living in Iowa, and just the other day cast my vote for Bernie in California. But that said, um, animal agriculture and, and, and specifically the dairy industry is this one area that's really just a, a glaring uh contradiction of everything Bernie Sanders says he stands for. Um, and so and, and we can maybe get into the specifics of that, but specific to these three women, these are activists with uh, direct action everywhere who um, you know, made, made this decision, which I think they should be perfectly in, entitled and empowered to do if they choose to, to, to do this act, which we know is going to draw a lot of attention, draw a certain amount of criticism, uh, but also draw a, a lot of attention 
to the dairy industry and, and, and the media coverage was, was, was very substantive. If you, if you just look at the coverage that we've received, the dairy, the, the horrors of the dairy industry are, are pretty prominently featured. I mean, some of these, some of these press articles, I can't even believe it. They pretty much, you know, read just like one of our press releases. So, um, <laughs> right. They, uh, wanted and, to and, get- and they were, they were topless. Less of a threat to Bernie, I feel, than the the two women who stormed the stage. And yet, because they were topless, they were charged. How? What were they charged with? Yeah, so they are now facing charges of indecent exposure. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, look at the same action. If it were undertaken by a man, we would have no problem. So this is kind of multiple levels of, um, you know, society really falling short. I mean, the dairy industry, you're looking at these female bodies that are being exploited, um, you know, forcibly impregnated, calves stolen away from mothers, that sort of thing. And then, you know, these folks who are speaking up for it are also subject to society saying, you know, your, your female body is, is not yours to, to do with as you wish and, and society wishing to control them and, and potentially land them on the sex offender registry. Yes. And we've reached out to the Bernie Sanders campaign to, uh, well, not only to, to have a conversation about the dairy industry, which they have ignored literally years of, of attempts for us to reach out and have a dialogue there, uh, but also they've unfortunately ignored our requests to disavow these charges, say, hey, this is the candidate of, of disruption. This is the candidate of the grassroots activists and of the people and doing the right thing. Um, and so, you, you know, you need to disavow these these sexist uh, affronts on free speech. So far, the campaign has not done so. Um, so so that remains to be seen. Well, it doesn't surprise me. He's from Vermont. Ben and Jerry are big supporters of his. Mm-hmm. Their fortune comes from the dairy industry. And yeah. again, while I support direct action everywhere, and I think you guys are fantastic there's a game being played here uh, between you and the campaigns i don't necessarily believe it's in bernie's best interests to mm-hmm. come to your defense i mean there is this yeah. little kabuki uh going on that you know topless i do yeah. believe topless women is less aggressive and less menacing than what happened during the the Biden speech on Tuesday? Did you mm-hmm. think the the Biden interruption was a, a net positive for let dairy die, or do you think oh. it was a little menacing and threatening and may have been off putting? Well, I I mean I, I there, there certainly is uh, some negative reactions and then that sort of a thing, and so there is some negatives to consider. But I, I think you look at the press coverage. I mean, the New York Times ran an article yesterday that they that they re reposted again today and i mean just top to bottom it's it's just uh uh incredible the coverage and the discussion that we get of the horrors of the dairy industry and you're just not going to see that uh you know hardly ever in mainstream discourse and i mean obviously just just a a slew of press and and what we've seen throughout history with with civil disobedience with protests is that quite often um protests are effective uh even if the protesters themselves are are unpopular and so there's you know it plants this seed in in the minds of of tens of millions of people who see this that there's an association now dairy equals bad in in their brain even if they're not consciously thinking that it's like okay people are protesting this there must be something to this and so it, it kind of gets society starting to shift in that direction and so um you know it is it's 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 unfortunate it's regrettable that there is some distress that that was caused there and that's certainly not our intent and if 
if there was a way that we could could generate that same dialogue around the dairy industry without causing that distress, we would certainly do so. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, we don't want to sell short. I mean, the reality, there are billions of animals suffering at every single moment, and, and basically nobody is talking about that. And and Americans do care about animals. Americans, you know, overwhelmingly identify as animal lovers and say they think animals should be treated humanely. And so our mission is to to show people the reality of what they're supporting, because once once we get that message out there like, hey, this industry is really horrible and your government, including progressive voices like a Bernie Sanders, are, are there propping up this horrible industry. Um, I think, you know, that's that's where that's where change happens. Uh, we should be looking at the dairy industry the same way that we look at the fossil fuel industry. We don't say, hey, we're going to support you know, coal workers by propping up, you know, handing massive subsidies to fossil fuel industries. Bernie Sanders says quite the opposite. Like, yes, let's support workers by investing in, in the superior alternatives. We need to get, you know, divest from fossil fuels. And we similarly need to divest from 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 animal agriculture and, and, and the dairy industry. Right. Right. This is interesting. We're talking with Matt Johnson. He is a spokesman and an investigator for direct action everywhere. They're a coalition of animal rights activists. They organize the Let Dairy Die protests during Joe Biden's victory speech and several other speeches by Democratic candidates. I gained some insight into myself and in, in getting older because uh, I'm yeah. kind of doing with you a Fox News move where instead of focusing on the crimes against the planet that the dairy mm-hmm. industry commits or the crimes against uh-huh. animals, I'm yeah. focusing on how you're getting your message out. And it is I wasn't going to say it directly, but I was kind of like, oh, yeah. I was, uh, but uh, yeah, no, sorry, go ahead. You know, and it's just, I, 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 I'm kind of catching myself being an old guy who should be put on the ice flow and told to go away because mm. we should be talking about the dairy industry because I'm a borderline vegan. So let me just belabor this once more, and then we'll talk about the dairy industry. Uh-huh. I am a little worried, especially if Bernie gets the nomination, which this week doesn't look so good, and you are a Bernie supporter, right? Yep, absolutely. I would assume the, the three topless women in Carson City, Nevada, are Bernie supporters. Correct. Okay. I would assume the two women who got arrested during Joe Biden's victory speech are Bernie supporters. Correct. Okay. Well, actually, I with I think all of them are, are quite supportive. I'm not exactly sure, like one, two, you know, m- maybe. Uh, but I over they're they're quite supportive of Bernie, and they're um, you know, cer- certainly over Trump. I right. say that much. Indulge me one more old man question about this. Mm-hmm. People in my demographic, who by the way destroyed the planet and should not be allowed to vote. And I really do mean that. I I, I really mean once you hit 50, you're not allowed to vote. And I'm being serious. I'm I'm being serious. That being said, my age group, we worry about chaos and the breakdown of society. And Mm -hmm. yes, there should be freedom of speech. But do we want a Democratic convention in Milwaukee where everybody's screaming at one another Would that turn middle America away, not just from Bernie, but from the Democratic Party? Would it reinforce the idea that the Democratic Party, that liberals and the left were just an amalgam of self-interests who can't coagulate into one vision? 
Yeah, I mean, th- those are concerns that, that we should we should certainly think about, uh, and and I'm happy to have that conversation. Uh, but I think that the other side of it is just is just is just such a dire situation that again is just being completely ignored. That I think you know, kind of weighing these interests is necessary. And I mean, when the Sanders campaign is completely ignoring not only this issue, but ignoring activists who, who are, you know, supportive of them overall. I mean, the mainstream media, politicians, everybody is, is just pretending like, like, the, like this is not what it is, which is actually a, you know, a crisis. It's, it's a, yes. a catastrophe, an emergency at every moment. So I think, you know, what you're raising is something that's valid to be considered, but I, I think that it, it, it's much less of a concern to me at this moment. Yes. To, to the, the substantive issue. If you're worried about chaos and the breakdown of society, go into a slaughterhouse. Hear the screams yep. of calves. Hear the screams and the squeals of pigs. If you're so worried about civility, look at what is going on in the meat industry. There is nothing civil or polite going on mm-hmm. in in big ag. So let's talk about that. The only people who talk, you know, who concern themselves with how polite we should be in protesting are people who live in a bubble and are immune to uh, the suffering of others and animals. Tell me about the dairy industry. Tell me about what we do to to cows and their sons. Mm-hmm. What, what, let's talk about yeah. the, let's talk about male. So about baby bulls. What happens to a baby bull when he's born? Yeah, well, it it, it varies, but quite often in the dairy industry, the males are uh, seen seen as as byproducts, seen as as trash, or even uh, because they obviously are not producing milk, which females do. Uh, but they also are not since since they have been bred as dairy cows, they're not bred the way that uh, quote unquote beef cows are, where they are just going to pack on a bunch of weight, a bunch of meat. I'm putting air quotes up around meat. Uh, so, so they don't really serve either purpose. So, so it's not profitable for them to be raised. So quite often dairy calves are killed within sometimes hours, sometimes days of being born. Sometimes they, they are, uh, in the, uh, sold to the veal industry. So maybe they'll live for a couple of weeks. There are some instances where, where they live to, to adulthood, but that's, that's more of the exception than the rule. Um, and for whatever time period they are alive, what it typically is is um, isolation, solitary confinement, and these are social creatures just like human beings. If you ever go and, and, and meet a day old or a few days old calf, they're desperate for attention. They they want to snuggle up next to you. They want to suckle on your fingers like they're just looking for their mother, and it's the saddest thing in the world. And you hear you have these calves that are isolated alone in these tiny little hutches. Often they can't even turn around, and in places like Vermont, Vermont, where DXC uh, recently did an investigation in Vermont of Ben and Jerry's dairy suppliers. I mean, you find these calves that are just exposed to the elements. I mean, it'll get below zero. Those calves are just out there all day, all night. And it's, you know, I think people, it becomes kind of normalized and we don't think of it for the horror show that it is. But I mean, if that was, you know, if we're talking about billions of dogs that are being, you know, shot in the head because they happen to be born male or put in this isolated confinement, you know, that there would be massive outrage. And so we're really trying to connect society with, with these these values and 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 to uh, the compassion that I think people truly do feel, uh, but but they've just lived in a world that's just kind of like got them blind to the suffering that's all around them. Yeah, and when you say DXC, you're talking about Direct Action Everywhere, which is a coalition of animal rights activists, 
you coordinated Let Dairy Die, the, the, the protest that took place during the yep. Biden speech. We don't know where our food comes from, and we don't even know what it is. So slow down for one second, okay? Mm-hmm. When I order a hamburger, I don't order a hamburger. I'm borderline vegan. I, I, I'll get to cheese in a second, which mm-hmm. I shouldn't be eating, but we'll get to that in a second. If you order a hamburger, are you eating a bull? You're eating a female? What are you eating? What is ground chuck? Yeah, it's it's a variety. Uh, quite often is the uh, quote unquote spent uh, cows of the dairy industry. So when 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 you say are, cow, when you say cow, is that a female? Yeah, yeah, females. So they will produce milk. Uh, and okay, and so when uh, okay, well, let's talk about a dairy farm or a cattle ranch. When a cow gives birth, if I understand the birds and the bees. Uh, she gives birth either to a a cow or a bull, right? Yeah. Uh, yep. Okay. So, do you have any idea what happens on a dairy farm to the vast majority of the baby bulls, the the calves? When you say calf, yeah, you think of a baby bull. They they become veal, <laughs> or are they allowed to grow? Uh, in most cases, they do not live very long. It's it's uh, a veal industry will be like weeks old, but sometimes it's literally that the farm makes a calculation that it's not even worth that, and they're they're killed, you know, pretty much instantaneously. Um, so most most dairy calves are are not living beyond um, you know weeks or or like a few months. I think okay. six weeks is really common in the dairy industry. Well, I'm a men's rights industry. I'm a men's rights activist, so let's talk about the bull. I'm being, I'm joking about that, uh-huh. but let's talk yeah. about the bulls. Let's talk yeah. about the men before we get to the cows, because the bu- bulls are not cows. Is that fair to say? Well, that is fair to say. <laughs> okay, so let's. T- I, w- I guess there's a fifty percent chance that a cow is going to give birth to a bull, a baby bull. Is that correct? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Most of these cows are impregnated by expensive bull semen, right? Uh Uh-huh. You you just don't let anybody impregnate your cow. You pay for really expensive semen, right? Uh, Yeah. Sometimes they have a bull. You know, some farms will actually have the bull there, but, uh, yeah, either... Artificially or or the good old fashioned method. <laughs> so you only need one bull basically on a farm, right? You know, too many bulls. Right. Too many bulls become a problem, right? Exactly. Yep. Okay. Is it? Do you have any idea of the 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 murder rate when it comes to the killing of bulls? What percentage of bulls are killed on a cattle ranch and? On a dairy farm, when you look at a cattle ranch, are you looking mostly at females? Well, so when you look at a cattle ranch, those would be different breeds that are bred for uh, for for dairy. So so there there, there are various breeds. So if it's a breed that is uh, a dairy breed, then it's going to be short. The lives are going to be very short for the males. Um, if they're raised for beef, then then they're all kind of living that same uh, life expectancy where it's, you know, roughly 18 months to two years. So we are eating, we are eating bull. So it is conceivable that you can get steak from a bull. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And in, in, the, in the beef industry, that's they, they raise them all up. They do raise the bulls. 
for 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 the the breeds of cows that are bred for for beef. So those would be the individuals that are bred to to grow larger and fast, you know, large fast. Versus in the dairy industry, they're they're bred with a focus on producing a lot of milk, and so they're not going to grow as large as fast. So it's not as profitable to be raising up the males. So in the dairy industry, they're just going to kill the males. In, in most instances, yeah, the males are not are not living very long, you know, days or weeks. Okay, and in the the cattle industry, when a a bull is born, it's problematic, isn't it? Isn't it problematic to have a bull on the ranch? Um, they. I, I guess I'm not familiar with specific practices of how they segregate uh, different individuals. Uh, you know, a certain number of, of bulls within a certain range of each other, and they're only living toward till a certain life expectancy. But I know that they they do raise up the bulls for in, in the beef industry. Okay, and the cows have consciousness. They know when their baby is being ripped from them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look, there's so many videos out there by now of this uh, process. I mean, the, the industry has this euphemism, they call it calving. And it's, you know, like like what euphemisms are, it's, it's there to sort of kind of quiet the conscience a little bit. So when a calf is, is crying out for, for days, sometimes weeks on end, and, and likewise with a mother crying out for days or weeks on end for her baby, um, that's a very common thing in the dairy industry and, yeah, referred to as, as calving. Right. Now, you're an investigator. What are the ag-gag rules in the state of California? Tell me what an ag-gag rule is and how how hard is it to investigate these dairy farms and these cattle ranches? Yeah, so ag-gag laws are the state-level statutes that have been passed around the country. Um, I believe at the moment we're at five states that, that currently have ag-gag statutes. And what these statutes do is they prohibit uh, videography and photography inside of animal agricultural facilities, uh, which is just a brazen violation of free speech. It's the most unconstitutional thing you can imagine. You know, in, in the rest of the world, if you are blowing the whistle on corporate misconduct, you're applauded. That's whistleblowing. That's the right thing to do. But somehow the dairy industry, uh, due to its massive uh, political power and, and massive financial resources, and certainly relative to the financial resources of grassroots activists, uh, they're able to pass these laws that, uh, that, that, that flip the script on this, and suddenly the person exposing the uh, misconduct is, is now criminalized because um, they're violating trade secrets. They're, they're, they're saying that if you videotape videotape inside a slaughterhouse, you can sell these tapes to competitors who can steal your trade secrets. Right. That's 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 one of the things that they say. They also uh, just say that we're, we're lying, uh, spreading misinformation, which is pretty comical because uh, defamation laws are already on the books and because you know groups like mine you don't get your investigations covered you know in in the new york times and the washington post and so on by being liars uh but they, they make the claim anyhow and then the other thing that they've been uh they've taken to claiming is biosecurity risk which which is a very real risk i mean we have the coronavirus right now which which is a product of animal agriculture um so uh, that's something that they cite with activists going into their farms, um, biosecurity risk. Uh, but it is a bit of mental gymnastics to say that they, uh, that animal agriculture creates these facilities, which are just the most 
disgusting, filthy places imaginable, a breeding ground for disease. And then they try to flip the script on us on this one, too, and say, they know, it's the fault of these activists who are who are coming in and, and recording the horrible things happening inside. And for our part, we do have a veterinarian approved biosecurity protocol where we we take a shower before we're going to go out. We wear a full biohazard uh, suit and we wear shoe color, shoe covers and gloves um, to prevent the spread of, of pathogens. That's what you um, do when you're investigating. Correct. Yep. Do you now, go you go uh, undercover? Do you go undercover? Well, we go um, most often we go at night uh, when, when there's nobody around in the farms. Uh, sometimes we actually have mass mass actions where there are hundreds of people that will walk to a farm in broad daylight, remove animals, uh, you know, sick and injured animals. And uh, at times people will lock themselves down in, in this act of um which you would consider civil disobedience, although it's actually really just in California trying to get the law enforced uh, because we have instances where we support where we submit evidence of blatant criminal animal cruelty inside of factory farms. And it's time and time again, it's it's simply ignored because of this uh, asymmetry of, of power. And so how many uh, of the when- employees you may not be able to speak to this, but do you have any idea the number of employees on these farms and in these slaughterhouses who are American citizens? Yeah, there it is. It is a lot of undocumented folks. I don't have statistics right offhand. And that's really uh, another interesting and, and tragic element of animal agriculture. You have these industries that that people don't want to participate in. And so we're pushing them upon vulnerable people who really don't have much other choice. Could an American so, citizen is part of the business plan of big ag to hire undocumented Americans. Is that their business plan? If I'm an American citizen, am I going to get hired to work in a slaughterhouse? Don't they want an undocumented worker? In there, that, that's such that is such a good question. Yeah, we 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 say that you know animal agriculture is the the hardest minimum wage job in the country to get hired onto um, because there's uh, and and most of them aren't literally um, minimum wage, but uh, you know low paying jobs and certainly. Uh, uh, relative to what you're facing. But yeah, they do a lot of background checks, uh, screening for animal rights activists for one thing. But then, yeah, it is this really, uh, pretty, pretty disgusting power imbalance where you have these people who are so desperate for work that they'll go and work it, you know, at, at some horrible place like a slaughterhouse. And what and is then- the benefit? What is the benefit to having an undocumented American in your slaughterhouse as opposed to an American citizen? What's yeah, the benefit? The- these folks are going to be scared to report misconduct. And so you don't need an ag-ag law. You just need people who are, who are desperate to, to get by, desperate to send money back home to their, their families who may be under threat of violence. And so people who are just going to keep their mouth shut and go along with anything and, and would never dream of, of reporting the horrible things they're seeing in front of them because they're just trying to put food on the table. So that's the dishonesty of ICE. That's the dishonesty of the immigration debate. Nobody will say that undocumented workers are the business plan. They're the magnet that brings these people in because there are certain jobs in this country that have to be done by frightened people. Otherwise, they don't make as much money. The companies don't make as much money because they speak up and you you can commit wage theft. You can steal the money from undocumented Americans. What does it do to a human being? to work 
on these farms, these slaughterhouses? Yeah, that's a good question, too. There's, I mean, there's been a pile of studies out there that, that document the, the harrowing psychological trauma associated with, with, with being around this, this sort of carnage and abuse day in and day out. Uh, you see elevated rates of suicide, elevated rates of depression, anxiety, uh, substance abuse, uh, on and on it goes. Uh, I mean, who 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 in the world would want to sit there day in and day out and just watch these poor animals suffering, crying out, bleeding out? You know, many times you try, you know, they they shoot them with this stun gun. The animals aren't killed; they're struggling. It's the most horrific thing you can imagine. And I mean, you have to be a sociopath to be, you know, to to take that, you know, to to be fine to actually be okay with that. Um, and so I think it's really important to like you're, you. I, mean, I appreciate the questions here too because this is really highlighting all the victims of animal agriculture that which you know extends well beyond you know the animals. Okay, so people listening to this, they decide they're going vegan. They don't want it in their body. They don't want it in their body. But uh, according to the farm bill, there's a new farm bill every five years. If you give up meat and dairy, you're still complicit, aren't you? Uh, well, uh, I mean, this, yeah, this, it's a, a very sus- complicated systemic issue. So, I mean, I mean, we're by paying taxes, we're, we're, we're complicit if you take it out far enough that that's our, our money, our tax dollars are used to prop up these, uh, these industries. And I mean, you know, Bernie Sanders fighting hard for the dairy industry for his entire career. So it's, it's, uh, you know, which we don't focus on on individual choices or individual consumerism because it's something that that we all have a hand in in the, in the current system. There's just not a way around it. Uh, but what we do focus on is is systemic change. It is getting that system to change because you know a million people, you know, however many people can go vegan, but as long as we have President Trump with his with his handouts to companies like Smithfield and, and Bernie Sanders pushing for handouts to the dairy industry, they can just swallow that up instantly. Like you have. It doesn't matter how much people aren't eating. If our government's going to finance it, push it on children, uh, you know, pushing dairy on children, flooding food pantries with dairy. Uh, and, and these and, and dairy is, is something that the majority of of Asian Americans, the majority of black Americans actually are intolerant uh, of lactose intolerant. Mm-hmm. And so we really need to to take it at, at a systemic level, because if our government's just going to sit there and swallow up whatever that gap is in production, uh, then even your consumer choices don't really make much of a difference. I mean, there's, it's just outrageous that you go to a grocery store and a gallon of milk is cheaper than a gallon of soy milk. When it took soy, you had to, you know, in, in many cases, soy is what's fed to the cows to produce the milk. Like that's way more resource intensive. And it's just because our political system is just so upside down in this regard that it's, you know, artificially cheaper. Hundreds of billions of dollars in big ag subsidies. Yeah, Jim, that, I mean, that's through, through the farm bill. Yeah, it's over, uh, I think the last one was like a hundred, um, I missed it. It was over a hundred billion. So, I mean, over the course of multiple farm bills, yeah, hundreds of billions of dollars, um, to, to, to promote it in an in industry which doesn't even need to exist, frankly. Like there's, it's just, you know, an additional, uh, additional level, uh, on the, um, food chain there that we're, you can yeah. just totally cut out. Like, why does that level even need to exist? Uh, much less, why does our government need to be sitting there propping it up where these these uh, superior alternatives, plant based alternatives, don't get those handouts? Uh, you know, they're they're having to make it on their own. And if they're handouts to be given, that's where they ought to be given. Yeah, let dairy die. Let dairy die. 
I keep thinking of Joe Biden eating his ice cream cones. Mm-hmm. Let dairy die. The dairy industry is dying, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. Um, and, uh, I, you know, on, on a systemic level, it's something that we embrace and we think needs to happen, obviously. Uh, I think I, I, sh- I should mention that we are not, uh, you know, not cheering on the suffering of individual farmers. And we think that the government uh, and, and, and even citizens, people like myself, should should do what you can to support folks. We don't want anybody to suffer, including those farmers. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we do want to see a transition to to these uh, superior alternatives. Uh, but I actually have I mean, my, my brother actually just married uh, into a dairy family. So I, I go back to Iowa where I'm from and I have I have a lot of family and friends that are um, involved in, in animal agriculture, hunting, fishing, um, all of it. So it's, it's not about, um, you know, demonizing any people involved, uh, but it's about creating the systemic change. And I think people, when you really kind of understand what that what that looks like, there's really not an argument against it. Yeah. Blinders. They mm-hmm. put blinders on animals, don't they? Oh, you mean humans in, in regards to the, the thinking or not thinking about animals? But, but blinders originally were put on like horses and. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us what blinders are, the origin of the word. Uh, I, I'm not super familiar. But yeah, I, I think you're referring to like uh, with uh, horse drawn carriages where horses are prevented from yeah, looking left or right, uh, that kind of thing to, um, I guess, keep them from. Seeing too much of what's going on to their side and getting spooked. Yeah, yeah. And now the American people have blinders. We don't even we don't even know what our meat is. I mean, we don't even know mm-hmm. that where it comes from or what it is. Well, mm-hmm. to be continued. I want to talk to you next time if you come back about mm-hmm. the contribution that the dairy industry makes to climate catastrophe. Matt Johnson mm-hmm. is the. Uh, a spokesman and investigator for Direct Action Everywhere. What is your website? Uh, it's directactioneverywhere.com. Okay. And how do people follow you on Twitter? It's uh, at DX Everywhere. Fantastic. Thank you for your, your great work. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Can you stay on the line for one second, Matt? Absolutely. Thanks, David. Fantastic. You called in your backup becomes now. See if we can get some more brain power in this. We thing. got one here. Roger. Slide in, go. Go and go. Uh, he's never mind. He's straightening up a little bit. Okay. Okay. Now let's everybody keep cool. We got the limb still attached. The limb spacecraft's good. So if we need uh, to get back home, we got a limb to do a good portion of it with. Okay. Let's make sure that we don't do anything that's going to blow our CSM electrical power with the batteries or that will cause us to lose the main or the uh, fuel cell number two. Okay, we want to keep the O2 and that kind of stuff working. We'd like to have RCS, but we got the command module system, so we're in good shape if we need to get home. Let's solve the problem, but let's not make it any worse by guessing. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Let us now go to Kenny Bunk, Maine, where Emmy Award winning, Peabody Award winning, 
comedy writer, musician, author Jim Earl is standing by. Hello, Jim. Well, hello, David. Oh, Senator Susan Collins from Maine. How are you? Yes, this is the distinguished Senator Susan Collins of Maine. Thank you. Good to have you back. Well, it's wonderful. Thank you, David, for having me. How's Jim? You're carrying on a torrid romantic relationship. Well, I'm sorry, David, but Jimmy can't come to the phone right now. He wore himself out putting his snake in my drain. (laughs) Jimmy! (laughs) Jimmy, come and put your snake in my drain again. He's putting his snake in your drain. Oh, grow up, David. I'm not talking about him using a plumbing device on my hemorrhoidal kamboombo. I'm talking about him putting his penis into my clogged sink. There's a big difference. I'm sorry. Speaking of drainage, (laughs) Mike Bloomberg... And Bill Clinton aren't the only moderates who get to play golf with Donald Trump. Oh. That's, that's right. Oh. At Mar-a-Lago, I'm known as the 19th Hall. <laughs> Did you know the last time I went golfing with Donald Trump, I hit two good balls? Oh, really? Yeah, I stepped on a rake. (laughs) It's not all fun and games playing golf with Donald Trump. David. So it's not all fun and games playing golf with Donald Trump? No, I really hate having to hit the ball into the clown's mouth. (laughs) Rudy Giuliani has chronic halitosis. (laughs) And it's no coincidence, Bloomberg's balls always smell like gum disease. (laughs) As with any sport. It's important to properly prepare the equipment before playing. Uh And it's my job to hold Mike Bloomberg's shriveled putter (laughs) while Bill Clinton washes his balls. (laughs) The putter. Oh, get your mind out of the gutter, Dave. I'm not talking about Bill Clinton washing his own testicles on a golf course. I'm talking about Bill Clinton washing Mike Bloomberg's testicles on a (laughs) golf course. How silly of me. I apologize. Oh, sure. I'm not the best golfer there is, and I tend to make mistakes under pressure. Ah. For instance, the last time I played, I choked on a dog leg. (laughs) (laughs) He choked on a dog leg. Oh, stop it, David. I'm not talking about knocking the ball into the woods on a crooked driving range. (laughs) Oh. I'm I'm talking about sinking my teeth into a 10-year-old chihuahua. (laughs) Those things are tough. 
Now I know what you're thinking. Oh, my God. Do you <laughs> eat dog, too? Do you eat dog? Do you eat of dog? Of course I do, David. Of course I do. Just because I grew up in Caribou, Maine, doesn't mean we still have caribou walking around. <laughs> That's why we switched to dog a long time ago. <laughs> we Mainers are problem solvers. <laughs> but let me tell you, David, this Chihuahua was a real fighter. <laughs> He was still wiggling halfway down my throat. <laughs> I guess that's what I get for not chewing and scarfing it down. And, and thank goodness Bill Clinton was there to give me the Heimlich. <laughs> Bill gave you the Heimlich. Oh, don't be disgusting, David. <laughs> I'm not talking about him standing behind me to use his hands to exert pressure on my <laughs> diaphragm. I'm talking about him standing behind me to lick my heim. <laughs> Your heim. Yes, David. Have hmm. you ever licked time? I don't think so. Oh, of course not. I forgot you're Jewish. <laughs> so you you lick high me. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes, that's true. David. Yes. Did you did you know that Maine has the highest rate of Lyme disease of any state? Yes, and that's why I haven't attended a town hall meeting in over 20 years. <laughs> well, every time I meet a constituent, I have to do another tick check. I think I'm safer around a town hall full of moose. <laughs> we have a big tick problem. There's a big tick problem. Yes, David. And... David, as the climate change worsens, Mainers are facing a greater threat from invasive species. Yes. In particular, invasive worms. Worms. Oh, well, last night I found a worm burrowing in my bed. Really? A worm burrowing in my bed, David. You had a you had a worm burrowing in your bed. Hmm. Oh, stop it! I'm not talking about legless invertebrates. <laughs> I'm talking about my husband's penis. <laughs> It's so repulsive. I once saw a seagull spit it out in disgust. And they aren't usually that picky. <laughs> That's not a nice thing to say about your husband's penis. Tom Collins. David, did you know there's a town called Mexico, Maine? No. Well, unfortunately, there's not much to do in Mexico, Maine. Hmm. So thank goodness for the nearby hamlet of Dirty Sanchez. <laughs>
Dirty Sanchez, yeah. Yes, David. Do you know why there isn't a town called Maine in Mexico? No. That's because we're intolerable assholes. (laughs) Yes. I asked my husband, Tom, once (laughs) if I'm the only one he's been with. And he said, yes, Susan, the others have been at least sevens or eights. (laughs) Well, that's not nice. Do 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 you ever fight with Tom? Yes, but they say makeup sex is the best, mm. which lucky for me because all of my sex is made up. <laughs> Nobody wants to fuck me. Uh, I have I have everything a man could want. Yeah. Muscles, mustache, <laughs> tattoos. <laughs> I have bags hanging over my eyes. (laughs) I ran into my ex-boyfriend the other day, and he told me my stockings were wrinkled, and I wasn't wearing any. With the coronavirus and yeah. all, do you know how to tell the difference between an oral and a rectal thermometer? Mm, you tell me. Oh, so you're the one. David, what do you get when you cross a dick with a potato? What do you get when you cross a dick with a potato? What? Oh, so you're the one. (laughs) I told you about my fecal alcohol syndrome and explosive diarrhea, didn't I, David? Uh, Fetal. Alcohol syndrome. Fecal alcohol syndrome. Fetal fetal alcohol syndrome. Well, David, did you know I found out that my diarrhea is hereditary? (laughs) No, I didn't. I didn't know that. Well, well, of course it is. It runs in my (laughs) genes. David, every day, I proudly take the chair of the Senate Aging Committee, Uh and that means that it's the only Senate chair with skid marks. (laughs) Uh, Jim Jim Earl is a Peabody Emmy Award-winning comedy writer. Oh, so what? You must love him. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm Senator Susan Collins, and I approved this coronavirus. (laughs) It will eliminate people from Medicare, literally. (laughs) How are you preparing? Are you prepared for the coronavirus, Senator? 
Well, I'm always prepared because Jimmy won't fuck me unless I wear a bag over my head. Oh, that's that's nice. That's nice. I'm sorry, but I have to cut my time short now, David. Uh, it's you- time for my deworming. <laughs> Jimmy! <laughs> Jimmy! <laughs> Where is he? Jimmy! <laughs> Jimmy, fetch the oh, suction hello? apparatus. Yeah. Fetch the suction apparatus. <laughs> and get these uh. worms out of here, Jimmy. They're bothering me. I'm I'm disturbed with all of these worms. Oh, uh, I gotta clean it out again. Uh, uh. I'll put my mask on. <laughs> What the fuck is that? What? What you... Is that her mating call? I, I I don't know what that is. It sounds like a combination of a bird and a. Are, are you sucking? Are you are you sucking the worms out of her now? With an apparatus, yes. Don't oh, be I disgusting. See. Okay, then is that the sound she makes when you're sucking worms out of her? That's not her. That's the apparatus. Oh, I see. I see. Make sure you get all the worms, Jimmy. That's my job. Well, Dave, uh, we don't actually kill them right off. We give them a name and put them in a mason jar and put it on the mantle. <laughs> Senator Santorum to come over and bless. Oh, I see. Right. And you give them christening outfits, I believe, and let the children play with them. Yes. Then we mummify them. (laughs) Put them under our beds and forget about them for about five years until (laughs) the coroner discovers it. (laughs) Because all life is precious, right, Jim? It's very precious. Are heirloom worms. <laughs> You've heard of heirloom babies. Yes. They're heirloom worms. <laughs> and anything that comes out of a woman's body is a precious sacred life. Yes, absolutely. Including worms. <laughs> Are you still there, David? Yes, I am, Senator. Oh. Uh, Jim, you'll be back later. Uh, why don't you finish deworming Senator Susan Collins? And when you get all of them, we'll come back to you later in the show, okay? Yeah, real smooth, Baldy. All right, Jim, take care of the good senator. Good luck on your re-election, Senator. Oh, good luck. Thank you, David. I need your support. You've got it. Will you support my big seat? (laughs) After Jim is finished sucking out the worms, yes. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Jimmy, that's not a worm. <laughs> oh. oh, sorry. Ouch. Ouch. You're hurting me. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized humps. Hello. 
mommy. Hello, David. John Ross, gentleman farmer, joins us from Massachusetts. Not a, not a gentleman, not a farmer. Okay. So how you doing, David? How you holding up? I got to imagine that this Harvey Weinstein verdict hit you pretty hard. <laughs> I mean, you got to be feeling it. I know. I'm licking my wounds. You know what? It still appeals. <laughs> you know. Okay, all right. You said to me you were going to piss off my listeners by talking about Bernie. I didn't think you were going to piss them off by... <laughs> being... I had to throw you a curveball, but I will piss you, piss your, you in. Look, this is all Bernie's fault, if you ask me. Because who was the first person to declare their candidacy? Do you remember... I guess it was Bernie, right? No, no. It was Elizabeth Warren. She she jumped right out in front, and she was the leading, and everybody was going, oh, my God, she would mop Donald Trump in a debate. And all Bernie had to do was go to her and say, look, look, I'll throw all of my support behind you, all of the Bernie bros, all of my machine. I'm going to give it to you. Here's the deal. You gotta take up my Medicare for all platform. Salt to nuts, A to Z, exactly the way I say. Maybe promise to make me, you know, the Secretary of Health or whatever. I'm 78 years old. You take it. It's time for a woman to be president. Why didn't he do that? She would have led wire to wire. It was, she would have been 60 points in front. Biden may have never even jumped in. It would have been, but no, it had to be ego. It had to be, no, it has to be me. I mean, it's just like Trump. Like, it's going to be me. I'm the only one who can do it. It's going to be me. Like, bullshit. They, like, there's no other. You're going to say, oh, his policies. His policies. Well, you know what? That's, it's ignorant to say there's no other considerations. There's only the policies and nothing else should ever be taken into consideration. The fact that it's time that we had a woman president with the Me Too movement and everything else and Hillary getting gypped and not that Hillary was perfect, but it, the fact that we need a woman president, it's, it's time and not another white guy. And for him to go, no, it has to be me. He could have had his exact platform. He could have held her feet to the fire and said, if you don't do it exactly the way I say, I'm going to jump into the race and I'm going to pull my support. She would have done it, you know. But instead, it had to be him. And it completely split that whole progressive side and it brought to bear you know the the democratic establishment she would have had more of the democratic establishment because she hasn't been on record has been against everybody for so long i mean there is an electability factor to take into account and not just this purity test and and not to mention the way Bernie bros have pissed off everybody, including my wife, my wife's friends. They've been attacked. And you don't say it's all Russian bots because it's not. They know these people personally. And they're just alienating everybody. And now they're going to uh, write the script for Trump by he's going to attack Biden night and day. And, you know, Kellyanne Conway and he's going to just take notes. And we're going to get Trump. Or we have Biden. 
who Biden would be better than Trump. But if that's the bar, that says about all you need to know about Biden. So I'm pretty discouraged. I think Elizabeth Warren was a fairly perfect candidate coming out of the gate to for the time, for what we needed. And I think it was selfish of Bernie to say, no, 78, I have the one for president right now because it's going to be me. doesn't matter. So, so that, that's my opinion. Now, is this part of the Harvey Weinstein bit, a continuation of you defending Harvey Weinstein? You just pivoted towards fighting for Elizabeth Warren. Is that part of the bit? This is a put on, right? Yeah, that, it, it's a put on. Exactly. You don't really mean what you just said. Of course not. It's all, it's sarcasm. Okay. So I think you've revealed your character on my show. Okay. How long have we known each other? Uh, do we really know each other? If I've only revealed my character now? Well, we've known each other since 1983. Two. Two or three. Two or three. You are a bully. You know that I'm licking my wounds. You know. No, I'm being serious. Okay. I, and, and this is typical. You. This is typical of you. I'm depressed about Super Tuesday. Instead of you know getting a, a cold compress for me and letting me, you know, instead of cradling me in your arms and being tender and nursing me back to health. You just go in for the kill. You have bloodlust. You are salivating over the opportunity to come on this show and just A2, John Ross, A2. So by that theory, because I'm sure I'm sure Harvey is pretty, uh, pretty broken up. Should Rose McGowan have had a cold compress for Harvey's head because he's feeling a little bad i had a bad tuesday night okay yeah me too i would have liked i would have liked it if 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 bernie had you know done great i i that's what i was hoping for actually personally i was hoping that there'd be a miracle and elizabeth warren was going to do great but that didn't look like it was going to be in the cards but it was already too late you know but but to come on my show to come into Bernie country where we're 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 feeling pretty shaken up. And for you to just come in now and say, I told you so. And you're a bunch of losers. That's just cruel and insensitive. I was not, I, I was not aware that you still had a show. <laughs> Dude, I, I apologize. because. Yeah. I thought we were just having a conversation. You're recording this and you're going to put this out? Okay. I'm sorry. I apologize. I did not realize that you still had this hobby. Well, let's let's revisit what you said. Now, I'm listen, I am a lifelong Democrat. I have said that I would vote for anybody against Trump, and that includes Trump. I mean, if Trump runs as a Democrat and a Republican, I would vote for Trump as a Democrat. I like so if you put on like a false mustache. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. I will vote for Biden. I know my listeners a lot of my listeners don't want to hear that. And I shouldn't Yeah, I mean we're all gonna have to. Right. Okay. 
I think, however, that Bernie is the answer. I have fought you. Wait, let me ask you. Let me ask you something. Is Bernie the answer, or is or is Bernie's policies the answer? Bernie's policies are the answer. Okay, but okay, but but you need a charismatic septuagenarian with a lot of phlegm in his throat. You know, there is still the man. You need FDR. You need Kennedy. You need a charismatic cult leader to push it. And I don't, I don't know that he's that. Okay. Sounds like you voted for Warren. You live in Massachusetts. Is that correct, sir? Correct. And did you vote for Warren? I did. Because your wife fills out your absentee ballot, correct? Mm-hmm. And you live with Same same with the register of the word. Right. I think my daughter was for Barney. Your daughter what? Might have been for Barney. Not that she could vote. She's not old enough. But so your your daughter was for Barney. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I you know I don't think she because she is not old enough. She never had to make a choice. So I don't know that she ever did. But I think if she had to, she I'm not sure. She, she, yeah, she may have been for Warren. I don't know. It's hard okay. to say. Perhaps you might be wrong about Elizabeth Warren. I could be. But I, I I, personally like and trust her, and I think her track record, you know, is good. And I think she's smart and capable and and. Why, why didn't she win? Why didn't she win Massachusetts if she's so electable? Bernie won Vermont. Why didn't she? Li why didn't Liz win Massachusetts? You know, I, I, no one can know the answers to these things, but I think there comes a time when people start playing a, that electability game and like, oh, who's ahead? And I want to, you know, ride with the winner, and I want to support who's going to win because. And I, I think the die had already been cast. And I think at that point, there were a lot of people who might have voted for her, but instead voted for Biden because they just made that calculation. Or Bernie. Or, or Bernie, you know. Uh, but maybe like she's a flawed, maybe she's a flawed candidate. I understand that you want a female president. I agree with you. It would be nice to have a female president. Enough with the white men. I agree. But perhaps she's a flawed candidate. Perhaps she's inauthentic. And the American voters picked up on that, especially the people who know her best, her own constituents. She didn't win Massachusetts. Now, the Democrats are very good at making excuses for why things happen. The Russians, Ralph Nader, it's always somebody else's fault. You want to talk policy? Do you want to talk policy? Her policy, no, I don't. her policy is why she didn't win. She backed away from Medicare for all. I, I, I agree that she did that. I think she was trying to, she didn't completely back away from it. Yes, she did. She, 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 she backed away slightly from it. Bernie does not. Bernie made the calculation of, look, I'm not going to go into details. I'm just going to say, it's we're going to do it. And I get that whole 
uh, oh, it's a moonshot. You don't figure out, or it's, we go to war. We just say we're going to do it. We'll figure it out how to do it later. I get that approach. But her MO was, look, I'm details. I'm going to give you the plan. I'm going to cross the T's and dot the I's. And that got a little tricky in there. And Bernie made this calculation of, I'm not going to do that. So she did that, and she had to equivocate a little bit and say, look, it's going to be a little bit harder to... I'm telling you that I think, I believe her heart's in the right place, and that is a thing that she would work for and would maybe have a better shot at uh, achieving than actually Bernie. Now, was that a mistake that she didn't just bloviate and say, you Medicare for all, don't ask me how, I'm just going to do it. it. Maybe that would have been a better strategy, but I think, I believe her heart's in the right place, and I believe she's somebody who's fought hard for the American people and, and wants what's best for people and was going to do that and was not going to sell her soul to you know, the corporate world. Do you mind switching the valve to the left and turning off the fire hose of platitudes you just spewed? How do you know it turns to the left? Look, yeah, look, it's platitudes, but her heart's in the right place. You just said you just said it's about policy. You sound like Joe Biden. Like I believe that she would do the right thing. Can I tell you who Elizabeth Warren is? She's been doing. I mean. The Consumer Protection Bureau, the kind of things she's been fighting for and the side that she's been on and what she's been against has been the the right side as far as I'm concerned. Well, she was a Republican up until her mid-40s. Right, and which I give people credit for looking at the facts and changing their mind and saying, you know what, I was wrong. This is not the right. I give somebody credit for that. I don't think it was that she was making some calculation that, oh, I'll get ahead further if I change because I'm all out for me. I think it was a thing where she laid out the fact she, look, we all grow up. Don't we return, don't we always return to where we came from? I don't think so. I think I think we get inculcated with whatever it is our parents, whether it's religion or politics. That's what we grow up believing. That's why most kids believe what their parents believe until they get to a certain age. And I think at a certain point, she laid out the facts and looked at him and said, wait a minute, this doesn't add up. This doesn't make sense. And she changed her point of view. And then she changed it again. And then she changed it again. With Medicare for all, here's what here. Let me just stop you for one second. On Medicare for All, she was all in on the brand. And then when she got into the details, she was all in on a public option, which is a nonprofit insurance plan that would... I, no, I, I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying, and I know... And I believe... I believe she would have... And like I said, I think if Bernie was serious... He would have said, here's the plan, here's what we're doing, do this, and let's let's team up. Why didn't why didn't Bernie team up with her? He didn't trust her. It had to be him. Only he could do it. He she, was, she has revealed herself perhaps 
But what about before that? Before she revealed herself? Why, why when she announced herself for president and, and the progressive uh, platforms were nearly identical? And, and why did he just come out and say, hey, you know what? Why don't I team up with you and we're going to do Medicare for all? And, and you can be the face. You can be the president. Because maybe she's not that person. Maybe she's deceptive. Maybe she said she wasn't going to take super PAC money. Maybe this is a woman who says we got to get the money out of politics. And even though I took super PAC money in my Senate race, I'm no longer going to take it until I start taking it again. And she took the super PAC money. She's quick to compromise. She takes shortcuts, ideological shortcuts. But so you're buying the branding of her identity, which I understand, and her heart, her heart's in the right place. You know, Joe Biden's heart is in the right place. George W. Bush, George W. Bush's heart. I don't I don't I don't believe that about those people. I think George W. Bush's heart was in the right place. I do. I, as far as its position in his chest, <laughs> I think these people are utterly convinced and they convince their followers that their hearts are in the right place and that when they compromise, it's it's painful. Do you know who Elizabeth Warren reminds me of? I don't know. I don't know. You you. Work on a television show that gets canceled, right? I've done that. I've always done that. You've always worked on a television show that gets canceled. And there's always some Harvard person who's assigned to the show from the network. And they come into the writer's room and they all sound like Elizabeth Warren. And they look like Elizabeth Warren. And they're hyper-educated. And they say things like, I really believed in this show. I really, really do. I think you're doing such great work, and it's brave. It's brave. And I fought. I have not. I have have worked on more shows than you, and I have never once met that character. Well, I have. And they say, I really fought for you. I really fought for this show. And I just want you to know that the... Another time, we just didn't hit the right wave. But these ideas were great, and it's valuable, and and we're going to try again. We're going to try again, because I really, really believe in what you guys are doing. And that's who Elizabeth Warren is. I really, really believe in getting the money out of politics. My heart is really, really, really in the right place, except I want to take some shortcuts and take money from super PACs. And Medicare for all. Well, we'll do a public option. That's who she is. She makes compromise sound like it's a noble pursuit. She makes compromise. She brands compromise as your heart being in the right place. But they quit before they even try. Here's the bottom line. You're not going to change my mind, and I'm not going to change your mind. So get out your gun. Where do you live? I'm breaking into your home, and I'm going to start doing things put me out of my misery yeah are people freaking out on the that's right you cannot change people's mind no all you can do is keep them from voting on election day and i'm going to go slash your tires 
in November. Someone, so, I don't know, the last person who changed their mind was in 1998, uh, and it turned out they were right the first time, and they changed their <laughs> mind, and they were wrong. <laughs> Are people freaking out? And You live in the woods. You're a, a man of the trees. You're on a farm. <laughs> I don't quite live in the woods. But uh, you have forest I mean, wisdom. I'm I'm sad um, about what that that I'm going to have to vote for Biden probably. But his but, heart's in the uh, right place. Yeah. So I'm sad about that. My my kid was supposed to go. You know, we had a, a Dutch exchange program and. and we had a Dutch kid stay with us in, uh, uh, when was that? Back in October, I think. And, you know, a bunch of them came over here mm -hmm. and they all stayed at different families. And now next week, our kids were all supposed to go over to the Netherlands. Canceled because of the coronavirus. Losing that airfare. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All well, airfare, everything, all that money is gone. And and the kids are, you know, they're maybe going to reschedule it. But uh, at this point, nobody knows. You're exactly. losing the airfare due to the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Wow. I know. It's a bummer. And then the, the kids are pretty bummed out. You know, they're all been excited about this. You know, for most of them, it's the first time. You know, a lot of times it's first time really being away from home at all, but, but this being first time out of the country and going to see... The red light district? Are you disappointed that your daughter isn't going to smoke hash and hang out with prostitutes? Sure. <laughs> you have a good time, David. You know, I envy you that. I don't know that there's anything that could make me laugh like that. What? Anything. I just don't feel like I could just bust a gut laughing at anything right now. I just feel bumped out. Everybody is. Yeah. Well, Everybody's bummed out. Are you, you watching TV? Maybe you should turn off your TV. Uh, as far as I don't... No, I'm not watching TV. If you turn... I even stopped... What's up? Everybody needs to turn off the TV, and everybody has to stop being so narcissistic. This, the, a lot of this, I'm yeah, being serious. I like how you you let me tell everybody what they should do because I know stop being narcissistic. It's a pretty narcissistic thing to say. Well, I think that people overreact because they, they're so consumed by their own ego that they have to believe that every day is the most important day in the history of the universe and that what they're going through is the most important thing that anybody's going through. You know, Bernie's... Um, hang on for one second. Hang on for one second. You're a bunch of pussies. You're a bunch of pussies. As Ralph Nader says, I don't do mood swings. I don't do mood swings. March forward. March forward. So you had a setback. So Bernie lost big on Super Tuesday. Get back get back on your feet and keep fighting. You don't win 
you don't win by whining and and thinking that it was going to be I thought this was going to be easier. And the thing with the coronavirus, yeah, it's depressing. And we have to do everything we can to keep ourselves safe and come up with a vaccine. But luckily, Actually, we have Mike. I don't. We have Mike Pence in charge. This. Yeah, he's he's recommended uh, bleeding as the uh, <laughs> <laughs> this open a vein, get in the bathtub. But I actually, the coronavirus is a natural. That's that's the world. That's the planet. Saying, you know what would be good for me? A few less people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you don't you don't really mean that, but yeah, sure I do. No, I, you don't. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm saying that that's what's happening. That's you know the planet is going to naturally do that one way or another, whether it's climate or whatever it is. It's going to the, the planet's going to regulate itself, and that's happening, and it's going to happen. Um, so, is it conceivable? that we're once again overreacting to the coronavirus, that, yes, it's horrible, but if we reported the flu the way we report the coronavirus, people would, wouldn't would leave their home. More people are dying from the flu worldwide than the coronavirus. Look, let's, let's not argue about the the minutia of this. It's... It's it's a bad situation. I'm not worried. I, I was actually fine with having my daughter fly over there. I don't, you know, kids aren't in any danger. It's more of a danger of it spreading more. But no, look, all we're going to have to here's what we're going to have to hope. I think. I think we're going to have to hope that Biden is as dopey and malleable as Trump is and that we put him in the White House and then we start manipulating him to get the things we want the way the Republicans have manipulated him to get their judges and get everything they want and we're going to have to try and get progressives oh yeah sure to to I mean I don't know how oh. to think about it sure he's going to be open to manipulation from the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, not the health insurance companies, not the fossil fuel companies well, that are that are financing hey, his campaign. You're the one. Not Wall you're the Street. one saying you got. You're the one saying you got to fight. You got to march forward. What what other choice do you have? Well, you fight him, and when he gets elected president, you keep fighting him. You don't give well, in. Sort of, well, I mean, is it is is it fighting him or, I mean. Or is it manipulating him? Which is the better strategy? I mean, maybe, maybe we can manipulate him. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have an abusive? Were you ever in an abusive relationship? I feel like I'm in one now. <laughs> well, I've spoken to your your wife and kids. They're in an abusive relationship. A, an, a, an abuser always lays out the possibility of a carrot. So you think you can manipulate the abuser, and he'll give you something. But he never gives you the carrot. That's who the Democratic Party establishment is. They wave the carrot in front of you and they say, make me do it. Make me do it. Be nice to me. And maybe we'll give you the carrot. Meanwhile, they're taking all their donations from the health insurance lobbyists, the fossil fuel companies, the frackers. And that's who they answer to. And they don't serve us. 
And I'm going to ask well, you, I'm going to ask my listeners, name one thing that Obama did for us. And if you say right. Obamacare, go F yourself. What did Obama do for the American people? He said amazing grace. Um, look, he what? He sang amazing me, grace. You tell me how to fight. You tell me how to keep marching like a fucking lemming off a cliff. Well, you never stop. You keep fighting and you fight Obama and you fight Biden. If, when Biden, if Biden becomes the nominee, you fight him. You fight Trump. You keep fighting. Be, you don't wait, give up you, on Election you fight, Day. You, you fight, 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 fight. Wait, you, you, you fight him if he becomes the nominee so you don't vote for him? You fight him every step of the way. So you, you and then you vote for him. You vote for him, but you fight him. Okay. All right. I want to see how that works. You want, you want, you're a millennial. I'm fighting, I'm fighting fighting him, but trying to get him elected. How, how do I do that? Not yet. He didn't get the nomination yet. And you go. He didn't get it yet. Look, I hope he doesn't, but I, uh, it seems like a fait accompli at this point, the way everything's lined up. The mainstream media and everybody is just lined up against him. So. Well, he gets the nomination. Four years ago, I'm going to let you go. Four years ago, the Republicans showed their hand. They revealed who they really are. Biden gets the nomination. The Democrats reveal who they are. Right. And... You can give up, as Tom Hayden said to me. I interviewed the great Tom Hayden. He said, they want you to give up. They want you to be depressed. They want you to roll over and take it. You've got to fight every step of the way. And just because Donald Trump gets reelected, it doesn't mean you stop fighting. You fight harder. You know what your problem is? at a certain point, your corner man has to throw in the towel and say, "Cut me." Uh, yeah. You know, you, you got, you got, you got. At a certain point, you got to just wrap it up. You're a pussy. Say, You're a quitter. You quit. I, you quit. I'm, absolutely. Yeah. You I quit. Will, I'm going to lie down and take a dirt nap <laughs> shortly. <laughs> Johnny Ross, how do people follow you on Twitter? Fun with friction. I tweet once in a while. All right, Mommy. I love you. Stay on the line for once. Good luck. I may have to move in with you. Do you have a bunker? (laughs) Is there a room? Oh. For me? Yeah. In your bunker? Archie. (laughs) Stifle it. All right, hang on for once. (laughs) Let me hear a little Cosby coming to the defense of Harvey Weinstein. Did you read that? Even no, oh, he did. He came to our yeah, defense. Yeah, he I says did not read he, he says it's impossible for a celebrity to get justice in America. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, did I? Did I tell you my? my We're name? still rolling, by the way. Oh, I don't care. Um, I did. You watch the Neverland documentary? Finding Neverland. Finding Neverland, yeah. Yeah. Did you watch that? Yeah. Um, you know what finally made sense to me after watching that? <laughs> like, 
By the way, people say to me, when you say stay on the line, I have a feeling this is the conversation that takes place after I say stay on the line. Go ahead. Well, no, I mean, seriously, I was like, I was watching that and I thought, oh, my God, now I understand why he needed a doctor to anesthetize him every night so that he could sleep. You know what I mean? Like, he couldn't close his eyes and put his head on the pillow unless a doctor put him in a state where you could remove his liver. You know what I mean? Like, I I take a couple of uh, melatonin, maybe some sleepy time tea, you know, but this guy... Oh, he was haunted by what he did to these kids. Of course. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, he couldn't... He had to feel this horrible guilt about what he was doing. And so, yeah, that's why he needed a doctor to completely anesthetize him. He couldn't close his eyes at night. Hmm. Or he could have gone to a doctor who said, you know, I have a uh, prescription for you that's more powerful than profanol. What's that? Stop fucking little boys. Oh, you mean I'll sleep better? (laughs) Yeah. All right. Hey, stay on the line, Johnny Ross. We believe in democracy, not oligarchy. (laughs) Today, we say to the private health insurance companies, whether you like it or not, the United States will join every other major country on earth and guarantee health care to all people as a right. is a human right, not a privilege. And together, we will pass a Medicare for all single-payer program. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Here we go. Everybody behave now. The reverends. The reverends here. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn joins us. He's in Washington, D.C. From 1992 to November of 2017, he was the executive director of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Besides being a lawyer, he is also an ordained minister in the United Church of... Help me out here. Christ? Christ. I got That's it. Correct. I got it. Welcome. That's correct. Thank you, Reverend. We were emailing back and forth. I believe the day after Super Tuesday, you said you hadn't been that depressed since George McGovern in 1972. Oh, that is correct. Uh, this was not a good night, and it wasn't 
only not a good night because of Bernie Sanders. It was not a good night because what it said or didn't say about the future of the progressive movement in the United States. And what did it say? What did I it think say? it said there isn't much of one. That no matter what we say in polls, that we want to raise the minimum wage, that we want health care for everyone, that is not what turned out to be the major message of Super Tuesday. And that's in part why Bernie Sanders did, frankly, so badly. He did badly because the turnout was immense, so they say, for Joe Biden and I guess that turnout was animated by a fear of Bernie Sanders. I think it's, and well, I think two things happened. Number one, there, the turnout that Bernie and I and you know to be central to the defeat of Donald Trump, it is not happening in supporters of Bernie Sanders. And there are structural reasons why young people, for example, don't have the capacity to get out and vote like their older, or in my case, ancient peers. But that doesn't explain why he hasn't been doing better. He's done slightly better in polls in the South with young African-American voters. But even there, they are not coming out in the numbers and with the percentages of support necessary for him to win primaries in the South and to the extent that the South means anything in the general election, he doesn't have the capacity to bring them out there either. That's what makes me sad. Yeah, yeah. You've donated to Bernie? I have. Yeah, yeah. Do you see any hope that things could turn around in Michigan? We're getting reports that the African-American vote isn't monolithic. Correct. And that they might remember Flint, the water in Flint that happened under Obama's watch. They might. But I'll tell you, if I were going to make one bold prediction tonight, and I might make a couple, but I would make this one. If Elizabeth Warren does not endorse Bernie Sanders in the next day or two, his campaign is effectively done. It's over. She has got to do the right thing and endorse him if she wants to keep progressive politics alive through Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Do you, yep. do you, I mean, it's just, you know, today she, she held a press conference and she was asked if she was going to endorse anybody and she said no. But then she said in, you know, it, it kind of sounded good at the time. Uh, she said, but I want to just thank everyone and I want to thank my supporters for our accomplishments. And honestly, I can't think of you. What's the accomplishment? Losing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what she did. And I think one of the things that made her seem to be not the principled person that people like me thought she was a year ago was when she decides she's going to go and accept support from the persist pack. 
As of Super Tuesday, they had raised, whoever they are, had raised $9 million for her. Now, this is not a slight change in position. This is a core principle of hers. I am not going to accept PAC money. This is a little bit like if George McGovern in 1972 had said, well, you know, um, I've been against this Vietnam War, but there's so many people in favor of it, I think... Curtis LeMay is right. We need to bomb them back into the Stone Age. It's that bad, and it's that bad a betrayal of a core principle. When you set out your core principles, it's not something somebody just asked you and you, you threw off an answer. This is what her whole campaign is based on. And now she said, well, everybody's doing it. Give me the money. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting allegation to compare the... The, the bombing of North Vietnam to taking money from super PACs. Tell me more about this, because she does run on income inequality and the perils, the, the toxicity of money and politics, that the solution to so many of our nation's ills, according to Elizabeth Warren, the solution is get the money out of Washington, D.C., specifically these super PACs. So that means she's taking money not just from super PACs, but from lobbyists. That money comes from lobbyists. Well, we don't know where it comes from because super PACs have a limited requirement of disclosure. And she did ostensibly say, I want you to release the names of the people who are donating to the super PAC. Uh, but they said, well, we're not going to do it because it's we don't have to mm -hmm. and she rather than criticize that and say well then please don't help me she said well i'll take it anyway and that's the difference that's the distinction that matters i am a person who believes in principles i like bernie sanders but i don't love bernie sanders but i love the principles he stands for and i think as president he would get right to work and do the things necessary to make parts of his vision come to fruition that don't need any kind of congressional inaction so that's the kind of person i think he is it's not him. It's not that I love him. I'm not a cult leader. I'm not a cult follower. But he stands for the right things. And Elizabeth Warren, as you know, I supported her a year ago, um, stood for the right things also. Gradually, she stopped standing for them. And now the ultimate blow to me was deciding that the super PAC could support her and she wouldn't try to stop them. Now, you can't stop people from spending money. If you and I formed a PAC and we wanted to support Donald Trump, let's say, it doesn't matter that he would say, wait, Lynn Feldman, these people are terrible. They're leftists. They're horrible people. I don't want their help. But we could go out and take ads out about Donald Trump. What a man. He mm -hmm. didn't build the wall in Mexico said Mexico would pay for it, and uh, but so what? It was just a minor promise. We could say anything in support of Donald Trump. He couldn't stop us. Yeah. I read Alex 
Alex Koch over at Sludge. Everybody should subscribe to Sludge because yeah. they Correct. go they go through the paperwork and they got their hands on a list of the super delegates in the DNC and the the Democratic consultants who are becoming part of a DNC hierarchy. Sludge went through who was advising Tom Perez, the chairman of the DNC. They are all, they are all <laughs> prominent lobbyists, lobbyists for Chase, for Verizon. They are prominent lobbyists for uh, fracking and Exxon. They, the, the party is lousy with corporate lobbyists. That's who the DNC establishment is. And Biden is taking their money. I would suspect that persist Elizabeth Warren's super PAC is getting their money from these lobbyists. Uh, I don't see any solution other than Bernie hiving off, creating his own party where you can't donate more than, you know, twenty five hundred dollars per election cycle. Because Bernie, Bernie's the real deal. I, I know that there's one super PAC that he created that's helping him a little. But for the most part, he's the hell with Citizens United. He's getting the money out of politics, one $5 contribution at a time. <laughs> that is correct. And I, I know some of the people that work for that uh, thing he created, and they're very good people. And they're is it our revolution? I think it's our revolution. Yeah. And they have uh, places in many states, and they have a, a pretty big presence uh, here in the Washington, D.C. area. And then they've got wonderful people that I've known for a long time working for them. Let me say something about money, though, because money has become such a big issue for good or ill in this campaign. But money itself is neutral. It's not good or bad. It's good or bad based on how it's used. Just before we started talking, I noticed uh, Taylor Swift, the singer, who I don't actually have any of her records. I suspect you don't either. But she just made a donation of $1 million to deal with the tornado in, t in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, she didn't have to do that. She did it because it was money being used for a good purpose, and I presume uh, she's a multi-multi-millionaire, and she did something good. And I I think we chatted a few weeks ago about how phil philanthropic giving sometimes is not good. These people who want to clean up the education system uh, because they are multi-millionaires and they want to give multi-millionaires to money to charter schools and other goofy things, that's bad. But when you have the opportunity to do good and you have the wealth to do it, it's, it's an old biblical principle, uh, to whom much is given, much is expected. And what Taylor Swift does is good with her money. Well, and let me Michael push Bloomberg. Let me, we'll go push, push back. Before you get to Michael Bloomberg. Yeah. It's a nice gesture to give a million dollars for Tennessee's recovery. But uh, it'd be better if she paid her taxes and the government decided how to disperse that kind of money. 
a, a private charity, the overhead, the salaries that are paid, most of that money is probably not going to go. I don't know. I do know that the Red Cross has mm -hmm. exorbitant overhead. They of spend, course. in many cases, these charities spend more on fundraising than they do on the charity. So government is certainly more efficient than charity. That's what we've learned. You can attack government as much as you want, but when you look at what's going on along the border with these religious organizations that are housing mm -hmm. the migrants and they resort to private detention centers, uh, they pay these, these religious organizations sometimes pay six-figure salaries to their leaders. Sure. That is gross, gross waste. Gross. Well, I think there are a lot of charities in this country that do not do what the Red Cross do. did not. Elizabeth Dole was the president of the Red Cross, and she got, I think, over a million dollars, maybe multi-millions of dollars every year as the head of that. But there are a lot of charities, including charities at the border, that are doing good things and are not paying anything close to an exorbitant salary. They're paying a living wage for the people who do the day-to-day -day work of meeting whatever the human needs are of people attempting to migrate from Mexico, Guatemala, or elsewhere here into the United States. So I don't, uh, I think you have too dim a view of charities in this country, but I think you're also on to something. Another thing about charitable giving, if I can just make a diversion here, let's say you set up an organization to help people at the border. And if you, uh, if you're trying to raise money and you have some real so-called angels who are giving you millions of dollars, you don't have to spend any money to keep getting their millions of dollars. You just have to kind of keep doing whatever they gave you the first couple of millions to do. But if you're a little group on the border trying to find ways to leave water in the desert so that people don't die crossing from Mexico into the United States, you don't have any angels you have to go out and raise the money, and it does cost a huge amount to raise money. It costs an enormous amount for the tiny uh, return you get if you work direct mail. I mean, how much direct mail do you get? I get a ton of it. And it's many of these are very good causes, but I can't give to everybody, and neither does anyone else. And that's why if you get a return in a direct mail a piece of say 5% means 95% of the money you've spent on it is a complete waste. But the other 5% is desperately needed in order for you to function. Now, when the, the watchdog groups come in and tell you whether it's an efficient organization, they never take into account uh, how many major donors you have. So you can find a charity that looks terrific on paper, according to the measurements of these watchdog groups, and they, they might spend 5% raising money. But some other group that is doing even better work but doesn't have any big donors turns out to look terrible because they spend 30% of their income on fundraising. This has been something that has bothered me ever since 
I started in nonprofits back in the 1970s. Well, the solution is bigger government because nobody in the government makes more than $300,000 a year, $350,000 a year. No. And there's transparency no. and there are hearings and you can talk all you want about government waste, except when it comes to the Pentagon. <laughs> we can account. We have inspector generals. We have the GAO. We have the CBO. People pay attention to your tax dollars. It's not so easy to waste tax dollars as it is to waste money in a charitable organization. And it's a whole lot easier to waste money in corporate America than it is in the federal government. Well, that's certainly true. But I'll tell you, there are a lot of charities in this country that don't have any counterpart in the federal government. Do you think that the federal government cares about the fact that butterflies are dying? No, of course they don't. Even in the Obama administration, when this started, and this is a, a good sign of uh, the doom to come environmentally, nobody was taking care of that. I learned about it from a woman who was a singer who on the side was talking about butterflies and I talked to her for an hour one day, and she convinced me this has got to be done. Think of what the American Civil Liberties Union, which, again, I did work for. Do you think that the American Civil Liberties Union is doing things the government likes? No, they're not doing it with Donald Trump. And in many cases, they weren't doing it when Obama was president or Clinton was president Excellent or George point. W. Bush. Excellent point. Excellent point. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. What should Bernie do with Biden? What, what, what advice, if Bernie called you, what, what does he do about Biden? We've got the Michigan primaries on Tuesday. He's got to win Michigan. He's got to win Washington State on Tuesday. Correct. What should Bernie do with Biden? I think the one thing that Biden keeps picking on Bernie about are those votes, which Bernie has repudiated against the Brady bill, against liability for gun manufacturers, which he now supports, but didn't for a while. And I think it's time for Bernie Sanders to go bold on guns. Guns are not going to be dealt with effectively by having Joe Biden say, we have to stop assault weapons. We have to do more background checks. In 2018, two-thirds of the murders in this country that involved guns involved not assault weapons, handguns. 65% of the suicides by gun involved handguns. Now, assault rifle attacks they're an insignificant percentage of the, of the deaths from, from guns, but they get an overarching amount of attention because they happen at the same time. You can take out 10, 15 people with an assault rifle. But in any given weekend here in Washington, in New York City, in Los Angeles, there are more people killed by handguns than are ever going to be killed in those cities by assault rifles. Everybody has given up going after handguns. And here's what Bernie, I think, should say. He should say, you know, handguns are a clear menace 
Most people don't need them. They're not good for public safety. But because of a decision by the Supreme Court, a five to four decision, the Heller decision that upheld in the District of Columbia, the private ownership of handguns under the theory that the Second Amendment is not just about militias. It's about private ownership of handguns. Four people on the court at the time said no. Five people said yes. It would be even worse today. Mm-hmm. Bernie should say, we have to deal with handguns. That's the thing that's killing people. And it's killing them anonymously. It's killing African-American men in cities every weekend. But nobody cares. Nobody knows their names. They're a footnote in major papers. And he should say, we got to deal with that. And before we can deal with it effectively, we have to make sure that the Supreme Court is expanded so that there are people that I can appoint that will be confirmed by the Senate who are going to reverse the Heller decision. And the reason this is not controversial, uh, that's exactly what the anti-choicers did the day Roe versus Wade was decided. What they did was they said, we're going to eat away at this principle because they said it's based on a faulty constitutional principle. There is no right to privacy. We're going to dig at it. We're going to cut into it. And then ultimately, we're going to reverse it. That was their strategy. And sadly, it's worked really well. But I think We need to do exactly the same thing with guns. Admit that the court made a huge mistake, that the the destruction of human life from handguns is so significant, it has to be dealt with. And if he did that, let Joe Biden explain why that's too extreme. That's an issue that Bernie could stand up on, be heard, and get a lot of support. Okay. Taking that position. And it's not radical. This is a guy, so I think I said last week, he thinks felons who are in prison should be able to vote. (laughs) That's a tough sell. If he can make that sell, then he can say, we're going to do something about handguns. Nobody's doing it. The Brady organization doesn't care about handguns anymore. They've given up all these Gun, they don't even call it gun control anymore. They call it gun safety measures, gun control. But do you have that's the, what they ought to do call you have the it. polling to back that up to suggest that that's politically expedient for Bernie? Or are you saying this is a moral issue? Well, I think it's both a moral issue in it and it cuts to the issue of forcing Joe Biden to say why he's not in favor of doing something about handguns. If you don't do anything about handguns, then these murders will continue. And we will, as everybody said during the debate, a hundred people a day are killed by guns. Almost all of them are killed by handguns. So let Joe Biden explain that. Right. So it's moral and it's also political. He's not yet trying to win the hearts and minds of everybody in the country. He's trying to look at Democratic voters younger voters, women voters in Michigan, Washington, and Missouri next week. Yeah, Missouri is next week. Biden's leading by four. Missouri, is, it's, it's the week after. Uh, well, there's two, there's two next week. 
there's Michigan and one other state. Washington I, is the bit. Washington, Washington is, the big is one. next week. Yeah, okay. and I think Missouri is. I think it's the following week. And again, you may be surprised by which way the African American vote turns. I think Missouri is one of the most racist states in the union. Ferguson. Yes. Uh, they may not have such happy memories of Barack Obama. That's true. But let me let me mention something about African-American voters and Bernie. Uh, Bernie had a catastrophic night in South Carolina. I mean, it was much worse than I had ever uh, assumed it would be because African-American voters simply didn't vote for Bernie. So what does he do the very next day? Well, he goes to California. What does he not do? Oh, I'm sorry, he Missouri. Doesn't... I'm sorry, Missouri is March 10th. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're yeah, right. Yeah. Occasionally I'm right. Uh-huh. Why didn't Bernie go to the Pettus Bridge along with Mayor Bloomberg, Mayor Pete, that he was there the first time, probably? Bernie, I don't think there's any evidence he was there. But he was, you know, in the 60s. 55 years ago. But there are pictures of him getting arrested. Well, yeah, but I don't think it was there. I know. I would... Go yeah, ahead. But I, but, I mean, my point is, what a terrible optic. You, you, you lose a lot of African-American support in South Carolina. So instead of going next door... At the 55th anniversary, one of the great uh, achievements, because eventually it achieved a lot, the Pettus Bridge brutal beatings of civil rights workers, you go fly off to California. You don't even show up. That was a huge mistake. Because it, it seemed it could be read, and I suspect was read by African Americans in Virginia, North Carolina, as this is a guy who... He was fine in the 60s. We respect that. Why the hell didn't he show up for this honoring of this iconic moment in the civil rights history of the country? Yeah. Why didn't he go? Okay. Elizabeth Warren, uh, by next week, will she have endorsed Bernie? And if she does, does that mean anything? Well, I think if she doesn't, it means a lot because I think she desperately needs to not not for her and not just for Bernie, but for the sake of the progressive movement. She needs to stand with him if he has any chance of winning in Missouri and in uh, Michigan next the governor of Michigan, the woman Democrat, has already endorsed Biden. She needs to come out and say, he and I, we differ on things, but he is the future. He and the people that support him see the America I want to see, too. If she doesn't do this, or worse, if she actually endorses Biden, I, he's... He's toast. He's over. He's done. Or Tuesday was the last gasp of the Democratic establishment. Biden couldn't win it on his own. He needed everybody to drop out. He needed Obama to work the phones. He needed the machine 
because he's a ghost. He's a just an empty shell. There's nothing there. I happen to think that there's a long road to Milwaukee. And, you know, there are going to be a lot of flubs and mistakes and more scrutiny on Biden. I think Biden has skated. I think having all those candidates on the stage yeah. created a cushion for him. March 15th, there's a debate between Bernie and Biden. It's not That's gonna right. Be, it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be a smackdown. And Biden is going to do a facelift plant, not a face plant, a facelift plant. <laughs> facelift plant. He's going to go down and the American people and the Democratic establishment is going to say he ain't beating Trump. We know he isn't beating Trump. This is the Baton Death March. We're, we're, I mean, we're just marching towards defeat, isn't it? Well, you don't see I, Biden beating Trump, do you? Well, here's what I think it matter. What matters the most is if people really are as sick of Donald Trump as they ought to be. I don't like polls. I don't trust any polls being done about within the Democratic Party. I don't trust them when it comes to general elections. I think people have plenty of reasons to lie to pollsters about who they're going to vote for. If there is this subset of people who don't, don't talk to pollsters who know that Donald Trump is this existential threat to the very survival of the country. If those people are out there and they look at Donald Trump and they see the idiocy of what he does, how he's trying to become a doctor now and explain the coronavirus when he obviously has, shall we say, a very limited view of science health policy, medicine, if they come to distrust him, they can take a chance and they can take a chance with Bernie or they could take a chance with Joe Biden. Either of them, of course, could have a catastrophic medical event that occurs. And that's why um, some of the people that I, I follow on social media have said it's time for both of them to announce who they would pick as vice president. And I know there's a lot of speculation here in Washington that because uh, Bernie and uh, Biden have talked to Elizabeth Warren, that she's ready uh, to make it clear that she would love to be the vice president for either of them and is, one, is wanting one of them to say, come on board. That, I think, would be a catastrophe. I think that Biden... And Warren, Bernie or and Warren would not stand a snowball's chance in hell of being elected. Either one of them has to find a strong African-American woman like Stacey Abrams, maybe Kamala Harris, mm. to run with them. And once again, as a few weeks ago, there are rumors floating around in Washington about Michelle Obama. Would she be willing to join a ticket, and I think either one of them with Michelle Obama would be a guarantee to be the next president and vice president of the United States, and that Trump and Pence, or Trump if he dumps Pence, Trump and Nikki Haley would be slaughtered by either one of those men if they were also 
running with Michelle Obama, the most highly respected woman in America today. Until she becomes a candidate. What what are they going to go after her about? Uh, She has never held elective office that while Barack was in the Oval Office, she was raising the daughters. What is what has she shown in terms of presidential material other than the garden and let's get moving? (laughs) What is I mean, but I mean, Hillary became a senator. Yeah. Before she ran for president. Yeah. She was secretary of state. And then be, yes. that gave him ammunition against her. Michelle Obama is so popular because of what are you there of integrity that she exudes. You don't have to, you know, what did uh, Donald Trump ever? What did he do? What did Mike Pence ever do? He didn't have a long list of accomplishments, but he looked. Trump even looked like a person who could take charge and be effective and be a president. And people said, we'll take a chance with him. And he turns out to be a complete lout. Well, we we don't know. I'm, I'm going to move on. I, I think. OK, I, I think uh, the idea of Michelle Obama running is I mean, I just it's wishful thinking okay. and it's a fantasy that if it came true, would be a complete disaster. I just... Okay. I, I know she's a lawyer, but uh, she has no track record to run on. You know? Yeah. I think a large part... We don't want to belabor this, but I mean, I think a large part of the electorate cares most about the competence of someone, the ability to look you in the face, to look, go on television and tell a story. She can tell a story. It doesn't have to be a laundry list of accomplishments, although she did more than Let's Move and, and the Gardens. But they, they want capable leadership. They want someone who can look at the television camera and say, trust me and mean it because she's trustworthy. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, a dream ticket for me right now would be Bernie and Elizabeth, but I agree with you that she may not, her endorsement may not add as much as we think to Michigan. And I think having her on the ticket, she's a, a flawed candidate. I agree with Howie Klein. She would be the best president of my lifetime. That's not saying of much. Of course. That's not saying much. <laughs> and, She's flawed. There, you know, she is. Well, she is compromised. More flaws. Yeah, she's developed more flaws as she's campaigned. That's not a good trajectory. Has Bernie? Uh, has Bernie said anything? Has he made any comments that you well, there's have? Something that, yeah, there's something disturbing. First of all, uh, Bernie was on Rachel Maddow's show, and I don't watch that anymore. But I, I watched it on the internet uh, today, uh, and. He did say during that interview, if Biden has more votes than he does at the end of the process, he, Bernie, will drop out so that the superdelegates don't decide what candidate to run. And that's a position. Uh, he, he had a slightly different position on 
different rules in 2016, but that's what he needed to say. He's always said, if I have the most votes, I should be the nominee. That was a principled statement, and it has to then apply to if Biden has more mm-hmm. than he does, Biden gets it. That's the good news. But here is something, and I hope you can help me with this. The biggest Bernie gaffe of the last week was attributed to him, but apparently said only by Jeff Weaver, who said Bernie would rather lose than accept any help from Mayor Bloomberg. He'd rather lose. Did he really say that? Jeff Weaver's the current or former campaign manager? He's the current one, too. Yeah. But if he said that, if Bernie said that, or if Bernie heard this and didn't say to Jeff Weaver, be quiet, it's okay to say, I'm not taking any money. You can be principled and say that, but you can't say, I'd rather lose, because those of us peons who have been giving Bernie money don't want him to lose because he represents something bigger than himself and bigger than any of us. And he may not care if he loses, but I care that he not lose. And that's an awful egotistical sentiment that I hope was not directly attributable to Bernie. Well, but, but who knows? But, but if you don't know, I don't know who knows. But you earlier said that Elizabeth Warren accepting help from a super PAC is tantamount to George McGovern saying, go ahead and bomb Vietnam. What the hell do I care? Don't you think Bernie taking money from Bloomberg is as hypocritical? No, it's no, I don't. Well, no, I don't necessarily think it's hypocritical. But my major complaint is that it sounds like it's all about him. I don't care if I lose. Well, the millions and millions of people who have supported Bernie Sanders in the past and during this campaign actually do care that he win. It's not just it's so my complaint is not that he says I don't want any help from Mayor Bloomberg. It's that he doesn't care if he loses because he doesn't accept the money. It's the predicate. It's not the taking money part that bothers me so much. I think in the book of Mark, I think in the book of Mark, they say, what profit a man if he wins the world and loses his soul or something along those. I mean, so similar. Yeah. Yeah. Is it Mark? That's a good paraphrase. It's a good paraphrase. And that's what, yeah, that's, that's what Jesus said. But Jesus did not say, You know, I don't care if everything I stand for uh, goes away. I am not going to compromise anything. That's not what he said. He cared about the people. Every report of this man, Jesus, is that he cared about the people. He didn't care about himself. In fact, he barely even spoke of himself as the son of God. He was always talking about God. My father did this. My father cares about you. Don't personalize this, Bernie Sanders. Don't act like it doesn't matter to your supporters whether you win or lose. That's the bad message. You can be principled, say, I'm not going to take any help 
from Mayor Bloomberg. I don't like what he stands for. I don't like his money. That's principled. But then taking it the step further and saying, oh, by the way, I really don't care if that means I won't be elected. But Mayor Bloomberg did something good today. Well, hey, let me put about. that, put a pin yeah, in that ahead. for one second. Sure. If sure. you talk to people under the age of, say, 30, they will agree with AOC that billionaires like Michael Bloomberg are a policy failure. The The core constituents, the people who are voting for Bernie, think Michael Bloomberg mm-hmm. is not just a problem for America, but it's a problem within the Democratic Party. The idea that a billionaire could buy his way in to the DNC, could spend more than half a million dollars and gain influence in the DNC is everything that's wrong with the Democratic Party. So as a Bernie bro, I feel we it, it, it is you know, let me maybe I'll regret saying this, but to accept help from Michael Bloomberg compromises your vision, not just for America, but for a two party system. Once you start taking support and money from the billionaires, then it's the end of history. There's no choice. There's no dialectic anymore. It's two parties representing the richest one percent. Getting permission. You're getting permission from the richest 1% instead of scaring them, which is what one one party, I don't think it's asking too much for one party to be scaring the Michael Bloombergs of the world. I'm asking for one well, party. Let me push back on that. Okay. One party. <laughs> Today, Michael Bloomberg sets up a super PAC, and here's what he announces he's going to do with it. Um, he is going to attack Trump in ads and support whoever the Democratic nominee turns out to be in the following states, Florida, Michigan, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Arizona, and Pennsylvania. And I say, that's a good start, but you have to do more than that because you're wealthy enough to do it. I think he should make the same commitment in New Hampshire and Alabama that have um, Senate candidates who are slightly at risk of losing. He should put the same effort into South Carolina and Kansas, Georgia, Maine, where, um, according to uh, some polls I saw today, uh, Sarah Gideon is now four percentage points above uh, uh, that woman you have on your show every once in a while. And I know, you know, polls are imperfect. I don't like them. But nevertheless, this is the kind of thing. And then today in Montana, uh, Steve Bullock, who, of course, no went, went nowhere as a presidential candidate, but he was a very, very popular uh, Democratic governor in Montana. He's decided to run for the Senate. He's going to need support. He's running against a a guy named Danes, who, frankly, I don't even, he seems to have done so little, I don't even know anything to criticize him about. But Bullock could sweep, uh, could, could take Montana. Then if Bloomberg says, I want to do 
what's right in all these states. And I want to do it not just for the Democratic presidential candidate, but I want to run ads to expose how terrible the current senators are in these states. I'm going to devote a hundred million dollars to every one of these states. That's a drop in the bucket for him, but it has an enormous beneficial effect. And he knows that a lot of these people, not everyone, but a lot of these people would be much more likely to vote for Medicare for all, for a Green New Deal, than would ever even think about it in some kind of nightmare that some Republican senator is having, uh, you know, right now. That's the good use of money. That you know, Michael Bloomberg is not going to be around that much longer. He's not going to be able to benefit financially from any of this help he's giving to any of these Senate candidates or to Biden or to Bernie. You realize how undemocratic it's not this a big is. corruption. You realize how undemocratic it well, is that a guy, the, the seventh <laughs> richest man in the world, gets to pick the trajectory of the Democratic Party. Re- realize how undemocratic this is. It, it is... Um, it's noblesse oblige. The question is... It's, no, it's, 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 it's the... No, it's, 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 yes, it is. It's the nobleman. These are the candidates we... These are the... Yes. These are the candidates we have. AOC is not running. I hope she runs against Chuck Schumer. But but she's not running now. The, the the people that are super progressive, the people that are our ideal candidates are not running. So the question is, what do you do? Do you allow someone who has a huge amount of money to give a big chunk of it away in order to elect people to office who don't who are much more progressive than he is. And I think, I don't know if it's democratic, but I think it's morally responsible to say, this is a good thing, now give more of your money okay. away. Because if you don't flip the Senate, you don't flip the Senate, you, it doesn't really matter who the president is. Okay, all right. So I've asked this question today, and it's a tough one. The status quo within the Democratic Party that some people are not thrilled about, but it's better than the alternative, which is Trump. Tell me what Barack Obama accomplished in eight years. I know there were some accomplishments, but tell me what he he got done for the 99 percent. Were there union protections? Any union protections? Any raise of the minimum wage? Obamacare? I mean, yes, Obamacare was okay. Well, it took it it saved a lot of people's lives. Yes, it did. But he didn't go all in. He had the political capital. 2009, he had the political capital to go all in. I mean, he owned the banks, literally. We owned the banks in 2009. Capitalism failed. We own, people forget this, but we owned the banks. And we didn't take a voting share. 
Yep. Well, you could say the same thing about the auto industry. We bailed them out. It saved a lot of people's jobs. It was politically good to do, but in a capitalist system, maybe it should have been, they should have been allowed to fail. And I'm not so sure about that, but I am sure about the airline industry. The airline industry today is bemoaning the fact that it's losing hundreds of millions of dollars because of the fact that a lot of people will not fly because they fear the coronavirus, you know, is going to be on their, their feeding tray. They're worried about it. By tomorrow, they might be saying, you know, we just, we, we need some more subsidies. 9-11, it became clear that they had, number one, the airline industry had an opportunity to have prevented 9-11. Very few people remember this, but Al Gore was on a, a commission. They looked at Israeli defense, uh, postures regarding airlines they always locked the the, the pilot's cabin door in israel oh the, the doors were make they were impenetrable the they were impenetrable the doors but not not our doors no no that the, the, the airline did the airlines didn't want to spring for impenetrable doors of course not, because they said, well, it costs too much. But then, of course, what we find out is that after they were not flying for just five days, they were all saying, we will go bankrupt if we don't get a bailout. So now they were bailed out. And what has happened? Uh, prices didn't go down. Flight, there fewer flights between Washington and anywhere uh, after that happened. And they just... We know that they failed. If you run a business and in five days you don't have enough money to continue operating, you're a bad capitalist. And I don't think we bail out airlines, and we shouldn't have then. And I said at the time we should nationalize the airlines after 9-11 because they obviously couldn't do things right. They couldn't make us safe, and they couldn't even provide enough funding to stay in business. They should not have been allowed to do that. We should have simply nationalized the airlines, and then we would have had the benefits of not having thousands of different ways to purchase tickets, thousands of different uh, costs, uh, why it sounds like the healthcare industry. Yep. Just buy a ticket to go to Pittsburgh, and if it was all settled and it was all done, by a responsible government, which you and I know is possible, <laughs> then so yep, and and, and we made a, huge mistakes. We bailed out not just capitalism in theory. We bailed out industries that couldn't take care of themselves, and that's what's on my mind. Socialism and has been since. It Socialism for the rich. Well, what is that? We'll wrap it up. What is that pounding? Are you pounding? I, I think I, I just, I just, I got so excited about nationalizing the airlines that I think I pounded on the table. All right, we we have I limited time, it. Reverend. Who who All is right. who is the right wing nut of the week? The right wing nut of the week 
is Earl the Pearl Jackson. Earl the Pearl Jackson uh, is a minister down in Virginia, and he is uh, he was somebody who used to debate on occasion. And uh, today he went on a rant. He has a radio show, doesn't everybody? And uh, said that um, he's concerned about the coronavirus, but he's more concerned about the homo virus because mm. gay rights is infecting America's families and causing more damage than the coronavirus. And he also uh, he he. Um, uh, he's criticized one of my favorite members of Congress, Bobby Scott, African-American from Richmond, Virginia, uh, claiming that he's against Jesus and God because he supports LGBTQ rights and reproductive justice. So Earl the Pearl, he doesn't call himself the Pearl, but I remember Earl the Pearl Monroe. Pearl Jackson. Remember Earl the Pearl Monroe, who played for Baltimore? And then got traded to the Knicks. I do not remember Earl. I do not remember him. Okay. And very quickly, tell tell me about, uh, you you go to movies, uh, Seberg and Emma. Yeah, Emma is a movie that it's a period piece. It takes place in Britain. Therefore, I had to be dragged by my wife and one of her friends to go to the theater uh, because he's uh, because it's about England. And I don't I, I think I am uh, safely uh, define myself as an Anglophobe. I don't like things about Britain. I always resented the possibility when I was taking uh, when I was uh, uh, on radio shows and people bosses would say well something's happening in the, in britain you guys ought to talk about the royal family and i never wanted to talk about the royal family and it took me until uh, just last week to remember why that was my first memory of watching anything on television was watching the coronation of queen elizabeth in 1954 right that's that's uh that, that was a phone Okay. It's probably, he said if Bernie called, uh, what would I say to him? And that might have been him, but I'm, I want to finish this story. Okay. It was watching the coronation. I was five years old. I was at my grandmother's house. She had a tiny backyard. It was really, it was not a great weather day, but I spent the whole day out in the backyard because I couldn't stand watching the coronation of the Queen because I thought dimly, because only five years old, that we had broken free of England and that was a good thing. So, but I got to say, Emma has done very well. It's very clever. It's a Jane Austen uh, novel and it's fun. So that's Emma. Seaberg is about yeah, Seaberg's about Jean Seaberg, the great and very conventionally beautiful actress uh, who appeared as first as St. Joan, Joan of Arc, and then uh, went on and became a French New Wave actress, Breathless, mm-hmm. those famous works. And then she went on in the United States, Paint Your Wagon, the only film adaptation of a musical I ever liked. I was anti-Broadway movies of uh, movies about Broadway shows long before Cats. 
But then Gene Seberg started to get interested in civil rights for Native Americans and for African Americans. Therefore, she was under surveillance by the FBI. The COINTELPRO program, some of your listeners remember that during the late 60s, in her case involved wiretapping, stalking her, spreading false stories about her. And um, eventually she she lost a child because of all of the pressures being placed on her by the FBI. And um, this Seaberg is an Amazon uh, film that's shown in some theaters. And it reminded me of why why did we ever think that the FBI was a good thing? When they started, one of the things they worked on was locking people up for smoking marijuana. Then, by the time you get to the 60s, they're engaged in all this illegal activity, the COINTELPRO program. Then, when you get into more modern times, the, this is the same entity that literally pilloried Richard Jewell by accusing him of being the Atlanta bomber during the Atlanta Olympics. And then... Look at James Comey. I don't care what Jane Comey, James Comey thinks about anything. As far as I'm concerned, he's the single most responsible for the defeat of Hillary Clinton because every time he said anything about her criminal activity, which turned out to be none, it always was said in a way that simply gave ammunition to Donald Trump. So marijuana... Cointel Pro, Richard Jewell, James Comey, why do we even need the Federal Bureau of Investigation? Why need it? So these are two great somebody has to take them. somebody has to take care of Dillinger's penis, which is supposedly in the deep That's in the bowels. Well I think I think that uh J. Edgar Hoover wished Dillinger's penis were, was deep in his bowels, but apparently the FBI museum, if, if you get the special tour, they show you John Dillinger's penis. By the way, Mark felt deep throat had to be pardoned. Yes. He had to be pardoned. He was breaking into people's homes as an FBI agent. Anybody he suspected of, of being, was. If, he, if he thought you were part of the weather underground, he was breaking into your homes without a warrant. That's right. But, uh, you know, because he was deep throat, yeah. Woodward and Bernstein look away from that. And he's a great American hero. Yeah. And they even made a movie about it. Yep. The Reverend Barry W. <laughs> Lynn. It's a play. Fire? I'm sorry? Was that a, was that a fire? Was it, were you doing a, a crinkling cellophane for. Listeners to think that there was a fire in your studio. I was crumbling the show notes. We have show notes for Barry yeah. W. Lynn, and that's okay. Good. And except okay. except for uh, your comments on Michelle Obama and Michael Bloomberg, I give you. Uh, you want your grade? Yes, I do. Okay, I, I'm giving you an A minus. I would have given you an A plus. I would have given you an A plus except for Michelle Obama. So I had it. A... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wouldn't that be terrible if I? A. Huh? If you'd have given me an A if I hadn't talked 
well of the way Michael Bloomberg was giving away his money, so I'm uh -huh. down to A minus. You got an A minus. Yeah, well, I think you and I should grade each other. Better. You and I should grade each other. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm serious. Next week. I'm working on. No, okay. Yeah. Okay. You're, next you're, week. Next week, next you week give me we'll a grade. grade each other. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn. Follow okay. him on Twitter at Barry W. Lynn. He was the executive director of Americans United for Separation of Church and State from 1992 to November of 2017. Besides being an attorney, he is also an ordained minister in the United Church of... Hang on. Let me just... Christ. Hang on. Christ, do you say it? I can yeah. do this. I can do this. Christ and a prominent leader of the right. religious left and a Bernie supporter <laughs> and a Bernie supporter. Thank you, sir. Can you stand on the line for one quick second? Thank you. Thank sure. you for one second. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized humps. Let us now go to Madbury, New Hampshire, where David Bacon, Citizen Bacon, is standing by. Hello, Mr. Bacon. Hello, Mr. Feldman. How are you? Very good. We have some some news to tell our listeners, don't we? You've gotten a promotion. Citizen Bacon yep. Citizen Bacon joined the David Feldman Show family, and we are a family here. You joined the family. I thought I was a member of the family for a while. You're a member of the family. Yes, you are. We're just one big family here. You first came to us as our New Hampshire correspondent. You interviewed all the candidates. Very successful. You've engendered. Well, not all of them, but. Well, you've created some spinoffs. We now have Citizen Sausage, Citizen Pork Chop. There are a lot of people out there who are emulating Citizen Bacon. I think we have to thank Larry. There are a lot of citizens. Yes. Citizen Journalist, Citizen Bacon. I think Larry Fisher, one of the listeners, came up with Citizen Bacon. Well, we had two choices after the New Hampshire primary. One was to have you hang upside down in a closet for four years and then come like out. Like a bat. Like a bat. And because the, of the virus. Yes. Or to put you to work on something else. And here at the David Feldman Show, we decided to give you a promotion. And we're proud. Awesome. To, yes, we are proud to announce that David Bacon is our official United States Immigration and Customs Enforcement Correspondent. He is now our ICE Correspondent. We will be covering ICE. We have a dedicated correspondent who, at least once a week, will be reporting on the activities of U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. This isn't a joke. This is serious. David Bacon is now yes. our official ICE correspondent. Yes, no joke. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, I, I, it's, a, it's a wonderful honor. Uh, I'm pleased to, uh, to to step forward into uh, the ICE uh, position. Okay. As is the case... Yeah, this Frozen was such a big thing for Disney. I think, yeah, the ICE should be very big for you. Okay. You know... There are kids in cages. Let's be serious, because you and I are. This is not okay, a totally, joke. Yes. This is not a joke. No, totally. Of course not. Yes, you're and, right. And yes, I'm, I'm running this at the top of the show. My listeners have come to learn that the first half of the show is very serious, and then by the end, it 
degenerates into a Gavin McGinnis Proud Boys infomercial, but at the top of the show, we're pretty serious here. Very important. Yeah, you're used to being on at the end of the show where we play fast and loose, but this is a more serious segment. As is as is the case with this show, we start something and we don't know where it's going to go. We didn't know where Citizen Bacon was going to go. You called me. You said you're a fan of the show. The candidates are coming through. I want to interview them. We went ahead. We started doing it. We sent you to Washington, D.C. And uh, now we're going to try having you be our our U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement correspondent. You are a dedicated citizen journalist who is keeping an eye on the people who are keeping an eye on us, ICE. I think ICE should be abolished. That's my bias. It's unnecessary. Tell me why ICE resonates with you. What is it about ICE that makes you want to be the David Feldman Show's ICE correspondent? Well, I think it's something that it's been around maybe longer than people realize. Um, But I think we've become more familiar with it under uh, Trump. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've we've all seen the the horrible atrocities that that have taken place, uh, not only at the border, but uh, deportations. Yes, the cages. Um, And and it is atrocious. And it makes you feel like, like, wait, I'm part of this country, and that's what the country is doing right here. Like, it's, you know, we, we can all feel bad about wars that are far away, of course, but like this is happening on our soil and this, this is what we're doing. Yes. And it's, it's atrocious and it's not always covered and, you know, because it's not always uh, something that, uh, the, 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 the corporate uh, media wants people to know about or even think about, you know? Right. The, the immigration and customs enforcement was set up around the time of the Patriot Act. It falls under the Department of Homeland Security. It is responsible for immigration and customs enforcement, but they are all over America conducting intelligence operations, sting operations. They are rounding up undocumented Americans, putting them in detention centers, helping to put little kids in cages. They are putting undocumented Americans on planes, separating families, sending some people back to certain death to Guatemala, Honduras, Mexico. If we ever end up as a fascist state, which some people think, I I would assume if you're Hispanic or African-Americans, we're already there. ICE is the president's palace guard. They have all the potential of becoming the Gestapo, the SS. They may already be there. We don't really know that much about ICE. It's hard to get an ICE representative on the show. They don't return my emails. They operate in the shadows. It's very hard to cover ICE. David Bacon will be covering ICE, and we look forward to hearing from you. In, in the, well, you know, I want to, you know, to go off of that, you know, that I mentioned a little bit the last time that Her- Hernandez versus Messaw case. What is that? Um, what is that? Okay, so, so 
So let me just grab my documents for that one. Okay, and while you're doing that, while you're doing that, let me just say that you are a citizen journalist. You are not you are not a professional journalist. You are a citizen journalist. We are a free and open, transparent society because of the First Amendment. Anybody can be a journalist and you are learning as you go. Right. And Okay. Yeah, so 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 there was a there was a very interesting case called Hernandez versus Mesa. So in two thousand ten now this is gonna be Customs and Border Control, which is different from ICE, but they're both divisions of Homeland Security. Um, you know, uh, okay. So two thousand ten there was a guy on the U.S. side who shot a kid on the Mexican side. He didn't know who the person was. He didn't know if he was a U.S. person, a Mexican person, anything. But he just shot him in the face. So the the, the, the family can't... The only thing they could possibly do is sue to get damages, mm-hmm. like money damages. So that's what they did. So... It, Ended up going to the Supreme Court. It went up to the Supreme Court in 2016, then it went back, then it came up just recently. Um, So, in the case, it was decided, sorry, family, you can't sue because he was in Mexico. Even though the guy was in the U.S. who shot him and he was a U.S. person, what does it matter that the guy was just over the over the line? Who, you know, who, where, where was he shot? He was shot over the border. He was not the the boy who was shot. Who was a a fifteen year old, two thousand ten U.S. Customs and Border Patrol agent, uh, Jesus Mesa, shot and killed fifteen year old Mexican national Sergio Hernandez. Uh, where the, was the, 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 where was Sergio? Was he in America or was he in Mexico? He was in Mexico. And and the shoot, was, where was the shooter? In the U.S. Oh, so he shot him over the border. He shot him over the border. Wow. So that was the only question. Now, the, 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 the left part of the Supreme Court, uh, you know, the dissenters, it was like, who cares where the guy was who was shot? Because there was a, there was an earlier case about whether it really go, it really boiled down to whether or not they could actually sue the federal agent. Hey, can we sue this federal agent and get money for this? Because he, he just shot him point blank in the, like in the face. Boom. And what you is know? the, what is the ruling? First of all, is, the ruling was, the ruling was no, you cannot. They cannot sue him. They cannot sue him. They for- have, no, and it was because, oh, you're, cause you're, cause you're not a U.S. person. You're not a U.S. person. It doesn't matter. That was interesting because you brought up that other case because you were like, hey, there was, a, there was a New York case about somebody getting shot in the face. Yes, there's a brand new New York, another thing where... All right, put a pin uh, in that for a second. Put a pin in this yes. for a second. The the kid who was shot in Mexico by yes. a custom, enfor- custom enforcement officer in America. Yes. Did the kid live or die? He He died. He died. He died. Now, the, the, there was a there was a previous case. Well, now, what, what is the defense? I mean, how do you defend such a thing? What do you say? Was he attacking the customs official? I no, mean, it's not. It's, there's 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 no denying of the facts. It was just like no, he shot him point blank. The whole question was whether or not because the, it was not a U.S. citizen because he was a Mexican person, can he can the family of him get money from the U.S. 
Now, there was a case. There was a. There was a. What does this case cost? What is this case called? This is called uh, Hernandez versus Mesa, 2019. It was decided. It, it just came down like last month. Okay. Now, it was, they were basing the. There was a, there was a previous case called uh, the, 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 I just said Bivens versus six unknown named agents of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. Now, in that case, six some dude was like in his house. Just a U.S. person. This has nothing to do with the border part, you know. This is just a U.S. guy. Six six agents just go in his house. They have no warrant, and they strip search him and whatever, you know, mm-hmm. looking for whatever it is. And he's like, you can't freaking do that. You just, you didn't have a warrant. You just came in my house and strip searched me. Like, what the hell? I, so he sued. And that went up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is like, yes, you can sue that federal, those federal agents who, who, did wrong towards you. That's totally, that's totally, they can't do that. That's totally illegal. You can't do that. So it was like, hey, well, here's an agent at the border. He shoots a guy who's in Mexico. He said, he doesn't even know that what, you know, again, he doesn't know who the person is, but he shoots him in the face. Mm. Why can't that guy use, use the same thing? Yes, he should be able to sue. The right part of the court is like, no, you can't. You just can't do it. So it's five to four. Now, the, the more interesting thing is, is part of the court, and it was in the, in the, in the, okay, so Justice Thomas wrote a concurrence, and, 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 uh, and Gorsuch joined that concurrence. So it's a concurring opinion. They agree, you know, with, 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 uh, he's dead, um, with Alito, who wrote the opinion. So they wrote the, they wrote a thing, and they're like, look, we should just totally get rid of Billings. We don't even want, Anyone could be able to, like, a federal agent does anything like that. Like, they want to get rid of the thing and say, it was perfectly fine for that dude. Those six agents to just come in, strip search a dude for no reason, have no work, and, and he would have no, it's just like, sorry. Okay. And, and there'd be no restitution at all, which is crazy. Okay, so yeah. essentially now we're getting into the weeds, and this is your first segment. Yeah. This is your first yeah. segment, and we will get better at this as we move forward. We're getting it's a little deep in the weeds with the Supreme Court, but no, you no, you don't have to apologize. This is okay. I just want to I just want to bring that to the thing because the last time we talked, you mentioned that there was just a thing that happened in New York. Right. I just want to I just want to circle back and explain that as I understand it, the Supreme Court ruled that cross border shootings cannot be resolved in the federal courts. This is something to be determined through international diplomacy. I believe that was the the ruling. And, uh, but that's a little deep in the weeds. It's good. It's important. I I rather focus on the atrocities. Uh, As we move move forward, let's focus on what ICE is doing and a little less about the Supreme Court. But we're learning as we go along. You mentioned something that made me think of that. Okay. I just want to just quit, just go, because there was just a shooting, and this is ICE. Mother of Mexican tourists shot by ICE. Uh, so there was a tour, there was a Mexican tourist in New York like two weeks ago. This yes. is the story that you thought I yes. was talking about. Yes. So yes. the thing that will be interesting is now she wants, obviously, you do it's the same thing. Her, her son, who is a Mexican guy, although this now happened in America, was shot in the face by an ICE agent. If she wants to get restitution, it will be interesting to see what happens. Now the only difference is it's still a Mexican person. Now it's just where he was. Now he's in America. 
what, what, what's the difference there? You would, you know, you think the Supreme Court could come down the same ridiculous way. Well, I would assume I, it's not a cross-border shooting. I, I know it's not a cross-border shooting. Right. So we're waiting to see. But, I don't think this yeah. goes to the Supreme Court, does it? Isn't he? Isn't the? No, 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 no. It's nowhere near that fact. It's just so. It's just very interesting that such a similar thing has happened. The only difference now is that the per, that the Mexican person, the Mexican national, is now was in America. That's well, all. Yeah, and let's follow this trial because the ICE agent, I would assume, I would assume he hasn't been arrested, but I would assume he's going on trial. Um, well, I don't even know that they necessarily do, 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 do. Well, okay, next time we talk, let's do a follow-up on this shooting by the ICE agent in... Yeah, right now there's just a lawsuit, so it's, it's not even that the person has been, you know, nothing's happened to him, just like the other guy. Nothing's well, happened I, to him. This is what I'd like Citizen Bacon to do. I'd like you to follow this trial, find out... Was the ICE agent arrested? Is he being sued in a civil court or a criminal court? Are they pressing charges? Is the DA in New York City pressing charges against this ICE agent? Was he arrested? What is the investigation? So the boy, the guy who was shot is alive. He, which is amazing because he was shot in the face. He filed a lawsuit in federal court this week against the unnamed agent claiming he suffered excruciating pain, limited vision, da-da-da. But is the district attorney looking into this? Or are they claiming it was a mistake? Is the ICE agent claiming it was involuntary? Let's find out for next week, okay? That's Will a, do. That's a good story. And up in New Hampshire, where you're not along the Mexican border, you're along the Canadian border, I believe. Is that correct? That is correct. We do border Canada. Yes, and you do have ICE agents patrolling. Yes, we, we do have uh, ICE agents and stuff, yes. And, and you have an ICE detention facility near Madbury, New Hampshire, I believe, correct? There is one in Dover. Well, it's, not an, it's where they will house them, yes. And so that must be loaded with French-speaking Canadians coming to America, I would assume. That is... That it is not, no. Really? No, I do not believe so. Yeah. So it would be, again, housed by, housed with what? Um, I, I don't know who is there right now. It's, I don't think they released that information. Is it a detention center that's run by the government, or is it a private? It's one of the... It's one of the many smaller, just uh, held up things. You know, it, is it a mom and pop? I, is it a mom and wait, pop wait, detention center run by I, a small business? When I looked on, no, it's like a, I think it's a part of the, the New Hampshire thing. Because when I, I looked online, when I was looking to find that, and I could list, see lists of the different states and what where the detention centers were on the. Uh, Website from the from the uh, ice and stuff. New Hampshire didn't even show up at all. Okay. So I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to look into that more. But it did not show up on the on the on the on, on ice's website. Okay. Which surprised me. Citizen Bacon, congratulations on being named the David Feldman Show's official ice correspondent. This was your first your first report. I thought it went swimmingly. And oh well. And we will talk. Let's hope we get you for Tuesday's show. And is there an email address for tips? 
not money tips, but tips on ice that people can contact you with? That would be called chips. Um, yes, uh, davidcitizenbacon at gmail.com. davidcitizenbacon at gmail.com. Thank you. This has been David Citizen Bacon reporting for Madbury, New Hampshire. Stand on the line for one second. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized humps. Leah McEnany joins us to answer listener questions, and we listen to listener voicemail. Liam is running late. This is like one of the hardest days I've ever had here at the David Feldman Show. But luckily, we have two listeners who are going to be part of the Liam McEnany segment. They have volunteered their services to help build out our Reddit account, something Boomer here doesn't know anything about. Welcome back to the show, Dave from the Rust Belt. Hello, Dave. Hi, David. Thanks so much for having me back. It was a lot of fun last week. Thank you very much for saying thank you. Dave contacted me, and he said he could help with my Reddit account. And please welcome Tom from Alabama. Hello, Tom. Hey, Dave. Thank you for bringing me on today. Tom also contacted me and said he could help with my Reddit account, so more and more people could go to Reddit and communicate with each other and next week we're going to have mary on who set up the reddit account for me i don't know any of you people nor do i want to but i'm kidding thank you for your help very sweet of you guys to to offer to build out the the reddit account i want liam to join this and he's running late Today, and I wanted to ask Dave from the Rust Belt and Tom from Alabama about this. So Jenk Uger was scheduled for today. He had a pullout at the last minute. Dr. Jennifer Verdelin was scheduled for today. She had a pullout at the last minute. And somebody else, I don't want to name drop, also had a pullout at the last minute. This has been a scheduling logistical nightmare. We put Friday's show to bed at 3 a.m., and uh, this is now the evening, Thursday, the evening. Let me ask Tom from Alabama, are people freaking out just in general? Because I know the stock market crashed, and there's the coronavirus. People are upset about Bernie losing uh, what What is it like in Alabama right now? Are people freaking out? Because it sure feels like just trying to assemble this show. A lot of people are freaking out. Either that or they just don't want to do my show. Uh, I'm not in I'm not in school anymore, so I'm not I'm not around a whole lot of people. But um, I work a, a a low a low wage uh, a low wage low skilled job. And um, the little conversation I've had about the coronavirus, a couple people piped in and. Uh, could really only say that they thought the government did it. Um, so that, that, that's, that, you know, that tells you about that. And I, you know, um, I haven't, I couldn't really muster up the, the, the courage to speak to any of them about 
whether they were going to vote or not. Um, because, and, you know, as you can see, uh, Alabama with a, uh, what is it, 44% black population, they voted 70% for Biden, um, which is just unbelievable to me. Um, it sounds like you're saying maybe they should try to make it harder for black people to vote. Is that what you're saying? Well, it, it, I'm it kidding. I'm kidding. That was for, a bad joke. That was a bad joke. It, it already is generally hard for um, for people to vote because, like, there was that story with in, in Atlanta where that guy had to wait six hours to vote, and then he went to work immediately after he cast cast his vote. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I had a relatively uh, low low activity like polling station but um you know some people just either can't get off work and i I, what's sad to say is a lot of people don't care i'm 20 24 um i spoke to spoken to a couple of my friends and they're they're just not interested in in voting really at all did you vote for bernie yes i did and tommy tuberville did you vote for tommy tuberville tuberville i believe is the gay section of montgomery alabama i believe I'm kidding. Tommy Tuberville. Who who names? Okay, Tommy Tuberville, I guess, is going to run against Jeff Sessions in a runoff, right? In Alabama. Um, I to be completely honest, I don't know that much about Alabama politics, but um, I will obviously vote for the person other than Jeff Sessions. Yeah, Doug Jones. Okay, and Dave from the Rust Belt. Are, are people, yep. <laughs> Liam just texted me, what kind of Mickey Mouse operation is this? Uh, we, we should, well, let's, let's bring in Liam because he, now he feels left out. So let's bring him in. Uh, hang on. And then we'll ask Dave from the Rust Belt who was on last week and he's helping us. What, what is it like over there in the Rust Belt? Are people freaking out? I, I hear like news reports, but honestly, a lot of people like at work, um, or just people I see around, they aren't talking about it that much. It's kind of like a wait and see. Like right now you hear about it, um, like on the coast and stuff, but we haven't had it much, um, you know, within a state or two, uh, even reports of any kind of coronavirus. So, um, there's not Are people much, staying uh, home in the Rust Belt. Not, no, I mean, not more than they always do. Were you surprised by Joe Biden's Joe Biden's resurgence Tuesday? And what do you what do you think Bernie can pull out for next Tuesday in Michigan? Not that you're from Michigan, right? Well, I'm pretty uh, yeah, I'm, I'm close. I'm, I'm close to that. Yeah, um, yeah. That I was I was surprised. I you know honestly, I guess I wasn't um, I wasn't too surprised after. Uh, Buttigieg and Klobuchar dropped out. I mean, I knew a lot of that had to go to non-Bernie candidates. I was just hoping it would be a little more split up. And and you're going to vote uh, for Bernie no matter what. And even if Bernie doesn't get the nomination, we're going to continue to fight for for what is right. Okay, uh, Liam is supposed to Skype in, but it's one of those days. The two of you want to help with the. Reddit, and do you guys use the the Reddit? Uh, do do you use my Reddit account? And how should I use it? Well, we we wouldn't use your Reddit account. 
This is uh, Tom from Alabama. Yeah, well, what 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 was uh, Dave from the Rust Belt going to say? Oh, yeah, I was I was going to say, yeah, we don't we don't use your account. We're just on your we just use our accounts on your subreddit. Um, and, and what we can do uh, is, in addition to mentioning it on the social, your listeners can uh, can join and and uh, have discussions and talk about the show. Is um, eventually we can try to uh, spread out into, you know, uh, related subreddits and, and so that people know it exists. That's kind of an important thing for a, uh, for a subreddit to, to get a good membership. So. Oh, okay. Well, look who finally decided to show up. It's Liam McEnany. Hello, Liam. Hey, are we recording? We're recording, and we're on with Dave from the Rust Belt. I believe you know him. We spoke last week. Yes, and... Tom from Alabama. What's that? You cut out. Who's it? Tom from yeah, Alabama. Hey, Liam. Say hello, Tom, to Liam. Yeah, hey, Liam. McEnany. <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I didn't. I honestly didn't catch a guy's name. Tom from Alabama. Three from letters. Alabama. Yes. Say hello, Tom. Hello, Dude, you're Liam. Out like crazy. I, you know, I think it's. I think this is you, man, not me. I do. What? <laughs> I think it's I'm you, gonna, not me. I'm going to sit here and catch every fifteenth word. <laughs> Why don't you call Hello, me back? Liam. All right, call me back, Liam. Okay. I'll call you again. All right. Bye. It's one of those days. It's one of those days. Uh, yeah. Hey David, can I interject here? Sure. Uh, your your uh, your subreddit has grown this week. I just from just from, just from <laughs> just from mentioning it last week, it went from twenty seven to fifty seven as of early today. Anyway. Yeah, I'm looking at. It. Hang on, let now, me get let me get over there. Yeah, I, I would like everybody to know. Well, go ahead, go ahead, David, and answer, Liam. Yeah, hang on. Now I can't figure out how to... Jesus, sorry. I can't even do this. Uh, hang on. <laughs> oh, God. Help me. I, this is... Go ahead. So the, the subreddit is growing. Liam? Liam? Yeah. Liam, can you hear me? I can hear you. Am I breaking up? Yeah. I'm still breaking up. Yeah, you're still breaking up. All right. Uh, oh, boy, oh, boy. Okay. It's... You know, my, um, my computer might be allergic to nerds. <laughs> Don't insult Okay, they're they're helping. No, I really can't. I don't know. Me. I don't know that many things, buddy. So watch out. What you calling me? Ooh, a lot of tension between Tom from Alabama and Liam. Liam, can you hear me? Dude, no, I can't. I, like you, you keep cutting out. <laughs> so you keep pressing the mute button. Uh all right. 
This is. Uh, Are you in New Jersey? I am in New York City. Yeah, I can't even hear the answer to that question. Then don't ask it. I can hear you. <laughs> I can hear you. Now, let me ask Tom from Alabama and Dave from the Rust Belt. If you were listening to this, would you find it entertaining? <laughs> uh, I wouldn't fast forward. No, there's no way to... There's, <laughs> All right. there's no way to tell. Okay. All right. This... Uh, I think what we should do is wrap this up and try again next week uh, and bring Mary into the mix. I don't know why it's not working with Liam. I don't know why. So tell me about the subreddit. So what 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 do I need to do? Tell me what to do, Dave and Tom. <laughs> oh, God. This is the most. Can you hear me, Liam? Keep talking. Can, can you hear? I think you're doing this on purpose to sabotage. I'm really not. Huh? Uh, now, now it's working. Now it's working. Now you can hear me. Yeah, now I can hear you. Okay. All right. You sure you can hear me? Yeah. And, and Dave, can you hear us? I can hear everything, yeah. And Tom, can you hear this? Uh, yes, I can. Okay. So I need to be in charge. People right. need to talk when I throw to them. Otherwise... It's going to be complete chaos. Okay. Okay. So, we had Dave from the Rust Belt on last week. Say hello, Liam, to Dave from the Rust Belt. Hey, Dave. Thanks. Welcome back. Thanks for being on the show. Hi, Liam. Okay. And we have Tom from Alabama. I sense there's a little tension between the two of you. I think it might be because Tom voted for Bernie and he's uh -huh. pissed off. So maybe we could talk that out a little bit between okay. you two, and then we'll move on to Reddit. Tom, okay. are you a little disappointed with Liam, especially now that you're licking your wounds? Uh, who won I, in you know, I, wouldn't say I'm I wouldn't say I'm disappointed, okay? Um, especially not with Liam. Um, and, you know, there's certainly <laughs> no tension. Uh, so, you know, let's let's not worry about that. Let's just... Focus on unity and uh, moving forward. You sound a little angry, Tom. Liam says you okay, sound I'm angry. Really mad. Liam says you sound angry, I'm really Tom. Mad. Hmm? I'm you really sound mad. really mad. I, I'm really mad at, and I'm really mad at Liam because the exact people who think like Liam are mm -hmm. the people who voted for Joe Biden. In I didn't vote for Joe Biden. All over, all over the gosh darn country. Well, who'd you vote for, Liam McEnany? <laughs> huh? First for... of all, where do you live? <laughs> who'd you vote for? Okay. I voted for Elizabeth Warren. Very proud to oh, say boy. that. My Elizabeth oh, Warren and, mug and, just and, and how and how is her campaign doing? Uh, only slightly worse than uh, Bernie Sanders' campaign, my friend. If you're looking at the Florida numbers. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm really worried about Florida. Oh, <laughs> oh. How old are you, Tom? Oh, boy. How old are you, Tom? Oh, boy. I'm 24. Okay. Tom, was your grandfather oh, a World boy. War II veteran? Because that'll make me back off. Um, I don't know. No, no. I don't really know my grandfather um, on uh -huh. one side. And on this, I really don't know him because he's dead. Uh, I'm sorry. All right, let's find no, some okay. common ground. Dave from the Rust hey, Belt. Wait, a World War what? Two. My grandfather. Wait, 
Oh, the other no, Tom yeah, who's my angry. grandfather was a World War II veteran. No, I don't know him. He's dead. All the all the Toms who are angry at me have have grandfathers who served in World War II. Tom from yeah, Portland, I don't care about that. Alabama. Okay, Dave from the Rust Belt. What, what can you can you? Are you mad at Liam? Oh, marginally. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we we can't we can't all we can't all agree all the time. Um, it's it, it's just it's a little bit. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed more than anything. But you know, uh, we listeners we kind of look up to you guys and and. Uh, you know, to to see to see the uh, you know the mealy mouth middle of the road stuff on um, this show <laughs> is just hard to, hard to listen to sometimes. So you feel Liam let you down? He's a he's an influencer, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right, that you basically Liam, what Dave and Tom are saying is right. that they listen to the show, right. they can't think for themselves, and they rely <laughs> they rely on you and me to tell them what right. to do. And all I have to do to not be a disappointment is change one little thing about myself, which is everything. Which is to vote for Bernie. That's all you have to do. That That Dave and Tom and all my listeners filter everything through the prism of Bernie Sanders and... Right. And if you're against Bernie, you are Satan. Here's, here's the thing. The day Bernie Sanders is the Democratic nominee is the day I will 100% vote for. Okay. All right. Is that acceptable to you, Tom, from Alabama? You know what, Dave? It's not. <laughs> I I just don't understand why you wouldn't vote for him right now. What What's the point in saying you would vote for him? If he's the nominee and not voting for him now and voting for somebody who's going to drop out of the race. Well, here, here's the thing. She I, she I'm, sorry, like I'm sorry. Five delegates. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I was just kind of going on. He's saying Dave from Alabama, Tom from Alabama uh-huh. says you threw away your vote on Tuesday by voting for Elizabeth Warren when you could have gotten more delegates for Bernie. Uh, another way to look at it is she suspended her campaign, so I've helped give her a, maybe another delegate so that when it comes time for the convention, she can get certain things that maybe I'm behind uh, as planks in the platform. Well, Dave from the yeah, Rust Belt. going to get another couple hundred delegates, right? I'm sorry. Hey, I'm looking at Alabama numbers right now. And only less than 75,000 people from the entire state came out to vote for Bernie Sanders. So, you know, like you can be mad at me if you want. It's fine. Honestly, I'm not like, uh, you know, like I, I really Good. do feel for you. But, I mean, you should really be mad at anyone you know who was a Bernie Sanders supporter who didn't come out in Alabama to vote on Tuesday. Tom, you want to respond to that? He's basically saying... That oh, you did a poor yeah, job. Man. He's saying <laughs> Liam is accusing you, Tom, of losing Alabama for Bernie, that you kind Dave, of pushed people Dave, away. David, I want you to moderate all televised debates from now on. Bernie is, is saying it's your fault Bernie lost. That's what Liam is saying, that you pushed people away. That you didn't. Yeah, I mean, I Tom, will, I will be honest. I, I have this deep sense of guilt. Do you think you were antagonistic? 
Do you think you were antagonistic and insufferable at work? Do you think you people say, I can't vote for Bernie because Tom's an a-hole? Do you think that's possible? You know, that's part of why I might feel guilty because I didn't really uh, bring it up at work. Um, for the most part, I work alone. I see people at, sometimes at the beginning or end of my shift. But uh, for the most part, I, I don't really talk politics. I, we brought up the coronavirus and most of the staff chimed in and thought that the government made it right. to interfere with the elections. I should mention Tom works as a peeping Tom in Alabama. He looks he's go. paid to look inside the windows of you know, uh, couples having that's, sex. That's actually a job in Alabama. It's one of the few government programs that Tom hasn't slashed. <laughs> Tom said it's a side hustle. No, in Alabama, right. people are their sexual activity is monitored by the state. And right. it's that's Tom's job. Well, uh, Dave from the Rust Belt. You know, I just want to say, like, I do. If Joe Biden is elected president, you know, if he's the nominee and then he's elected president on on Inauguration Day, when uh, Chief Justice Roberts has the Bible and he's got his hand on it and his other hand raised. And he says, I swear uh, to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America and also start killing uh, the sick and elderly by kicking them off of government-run Medicaid and giving it over to private uh, private health care. I will feel a little bad when he... <laughs> day well, one. Liam, you're, he... you're, you're going to feel worse. You're going to feel worse when it's Trump who ends up doing that because, I mean, did you see what Trump did with Mike Bloomberg with the mini mic bit? He's killing it up there. He's going to yeah, take he... Joe Biden... <laughs> And just He's killing him with a guy who dropped out of the race. Hang on. Let, let, let Tom from Alabama finish his thoughts. I apologize, Tom. I'm, uh, Tom, I apologize. Go ahead. You're saying that Tom oh, from okay. Alabama That's is it. saying, Tom from Alabama is saying that, that Biden isn't electable, that, 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 that Trump is going to mop the floor with Joe Biden. I think it's going to be too. Oh, totally. Are there going to be two guys with sundowner syndrome on that debate stage, and it's going to be frightening. Okay. Who do you think Elizabeth Warren should endorse? Uh, you know, should endorse? Yeah. Who would you like to see her endorse? Who would I like to see her endorse? I mean, I would like to see her be pres the candidate. That's what I would like. Who do I think she's going to endorse? Who would you like her to endorse? I would like her to take a mulligan. I don't like either of them. But if she has to choose between endorsing Bernie or Biden, and now your back is up against the wall, Liam Mack. Has Tulsi Gabbard dropped out? I'd like her to endorse Tulsi. If you had to choose between Bernie and Biden and you're Elizabeth Warren. Oh, man. You know, on the one hand, on the one hand, uh, Social media has been flooded with uh, Bernie supporters hammering her for the last month. And it would feel like uh, she's a whipped dog a little bit. Uh, but on the other hand, I don't want to vote for Biden. Okay. Dave from the Rust Belt. Let's wrap this I up. I refuse to answer that question, my, uh, okay. Mike. Dave from the Rust Belt. Let's, let's wrap this up. Let's come up with a plan. You're, you sound like the responsible one among us four, right? Wait, so are you are you two Reddit nerds? Is that what's going on? 
Oh, well, what kind of nerd are you, Liam? <laughs> I love I love Reddit, man. I, I I'm a men's rights activist, and as a men's rights activist, I find it to be a very good recruiting tool. <laughs> also, I'm a plushie. <laughs> <laughs> So I feel like Reddit is my home. And you're certainly not a men's uh, rights activist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think I just lost Tom. <laughs> I think that joke was so bad. Yeah. Tom's voting for Biden. All right. Let's come up with a plan for Reddit. A week from today, what do we want to see on Reddit? What do I need to do? David, you're a confused old man. I thought you'd be behind Biden. <laughs> you guys stick together. All right. Here. Can I, can I put in a pitch? Yes. Can I put in a pitch? Okay, so um, it's the David Feldman show. As everybody knows, if you're somebody on Reddit, obviously, um, once you name a subreddit, you can't change the name. So just go ahead and look at it. David Feldman show. The David Feldman show. One has capitalization. One doesn't. One looks better and one doesn't. Okay, I... I have put absolutely no effort into this um, into this whole thing, and I already have three members. Okay, <laughs> now while David's while David's subreddit has surged to fifty seven members, um, I still think after um, you know I don't know. I, let's see. Uh, oh boy, twenty seventeen. After three years, I, I I saw that I could still get in on the ground floor on this, and I'd like everybody to migrate over to the David Feldman show. Um, I want to have daily discussion threads. I want to have um, some sort of uh, regular AMA with David and other guests. I want to have clipped parts of the show. It's going to be great. So please come on over. All right. That, you know, that's a good point. I don't know who Molly Tamali is, but she's not doing nothing. Yeah, she, she just, gave uh, me. She, she's kind of just coasting. Well, Dave from the Rust Belt. Definitely. Yeah, I, I can see where we're where you're headed. You know, it sounds like you've got the both together and the subreddits over there with three whole people. Um, you know, you sound this kind of, I, I don't know what you're looking for here, but you want some kind of subreddit revolution where obviously all we really need is just incremental change. I think we build on the hard work that David has done instead of throwing people off the subreddit for the night. Listen, here's the deal. Like I'm the guy that's guy. actually done it. I'm, I've made posts on the subreddit. You know, I, I mean, uh, uh, you know, this is about the character of the subreddit, not, <laughs> not about big ideas. Uh, I, 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 my time is Okay, so I think maybe we should compete for the next week, for the next seven days, Liam. I think Dave from the Rust Belt uh, should advocate for the current subreddit, and Tom from Alabama, who's young, he's a visionary, he okay. should advocate for his subreddit, and then we'll revisit this in a week. Does that sound fair? Tom from Alabama, a question. Liam McAdini, Los Angeles. Uh, how do you plan to pay for this subreddit? Okay. And this migration. <laughs> I, to pay I knew you'd be on my side, Liam. I knew it. <laughs> I know. I, 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 I am, I'm, um, I'm, I'm very asking good at participating. I'm very good at participating in wage theft, so um, I'll just bring my computer with me to work and sit down every once in a while. Oh, all right. So here, here's what we're going to do. Uh, Dave from the Rust Belt and Liam are going to keep the current subreddit for the week. 
correct? Sure. Dave? Yeah. Yeah, right? sure. Well, good luck because neither of them are moderators. That's all I got to say. I'm the one about to ask. All right. I'm going to give Dave and Liam moderating power. <laughs> and they claim they can build. Instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, they're going to build on all that's right about that subreddit. And Tom from Alabama, who's 24, wants to turn over the tables and, and start from scratch. How many followers do we have over at the David Feldman? What, what is the name of your subreddit? Right, no, I'm, I, I'm already going to point out how unfair this is, um, seeing as... <laughs> Seeing as how you have 57 members, three of which are online. Uh -huh. um, well, I have, and I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that I won't make a bunch of fake Reddit accounts and go and like and comment in a bunch of different communities and act like, um, each individual account is a, is a separate person and all come to the David Feldman, <laughs> um, subreddit and, and, and pose and be happy and, and, and participate. Um, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not telling you that I'm doing that. <laughs> Listen, if anything's unfair, this guy—he's a populist. He's doing popular things. That's not fair to us on the original <laughs> David Feldman show subreddit. Populist? He just said he wasn't going to be fun. He was going to be mean and and not do anything people a want. Populist? <laughs> I sweat you guys up on the ground floor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, David, but what's it called? Is it called David Feldman Show? Okay. You have a copyright? You All don't right. have a Twitch either. And I'll tell you what, I have that. <laughs> All right. Uh, you have David's Twitch? Uh, David, I think you're being you held fast you. here. <laughs> okay. Well, let's wrap this up. We're going to reconvene next Friday. Dave, it's not a nice thing to, to hold a confused old man hostage like this. Okay. D Dave, this is, this was, you guys are brilliant. Do you think Joe Biden really wants to run for president at this point? You guys are brilliant. He's been trying to get out for the last month. Okay. This was a, this was absolutely brilliant, Dave, from the Rust Belt. Make your pitch for the subreddit that you're in charge of. And then Tom from Alabama, you make your pitch and then we will come back next Friday and see who's winning. Dave from the Rust Belt, make your pitch for your subreddit. Okay. Um, the D David Feldman Show listeners aren't ready for a revolution. Uh, we don't need a bunch of subreddit justice warriors coming in and changing everything. <laughs> it's all these, you've got all these my way or the highway ideas, always trying to make things better. Not, not necessary. We've already got an established 57 people. They're happy with what they have. If you, if you put me in charge, they're going to start posting more and donating to your show. I can work with them. I, you know, the, the, the fever's going to break. So, Wait, Tom, you know, you, they, you interrupted him in the middle of his, his spiel. I, I, okay. But, and finally, Dave from the Rust Belt. You, you know the thing. Yes, I do. Dave from the Rust Belt, tell people how they can join you in this campaign. What is the, yes. what, is, what, what do they do? Go to reddit.com slash r slash David Feldman show and post and like and join and comment and everything. Okay. And I will make you and Liam the moderators of that subreddit. It's David Feldman show, correct?
Yes. Okay. Liam, do you have a question before Tom from Alabama makes his pitch for the David Feldman show? Uh, yes, I do have a question. Uh, I'm going to be the moderator. Well, unless you don't want to, unless we just have Dave from the Rust Belt be the no, moderator. No, no, no. I'll, I'll moderate. I'll moderate. I'll moderate your. Uh, I'll moderate your subreddit. Oh, that's a bad idea. You know what, <laughs> Dave from the well, Rust well, Belt. Now, well, now. <clears throat> I don't want to compete with that kind of star power, okay? But speaking clearly. <laughs> I'm daring As Maybe he can, I'll, I'll let him be a moderator of mine, too, and he can be a dishonest actor for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a nuisance that we have to continue to ban and remove and moderate. <laughs> like maybe some sort of obstacle, like a rock wall. But I'm not going to tolerate... I'm not going to tolerate his presence on one person subreddit. I mean, are you kidding me? Okay, so let, here's the deal. Hang on. Biden. Okay, how here's, dare you? I'm I'm verified on Twitter. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I can't compete with that. Okay, you're right. So I'm going to give Dave from the Rust Belt moderating rights, not Liam and right. Tom from Alabama. You have the moderating rights on the David Feldman show before you make your final pitch. And I will not have any moderating rights on the David Feldman show subreddit. And I will refrain from participating as a moderator on David Feldman show subreddit. I will have Dave from the Rust Belt competing with Tom from Alabama and Tom from Alabama and I are going to be on the side of the David Feldman show subreddit and Liam is going to be on the side of Dave from the Rust Belt. Okay. okay. And and we will see now, but, but we're going to have Tom from Alabama make his closing pitch and I'll say something afterwards. Tom, make your case for the David Feldman show subreddit. All right. I'm going to be, I'm going to be showing sweet everybody. Just go to the David Feldman show. Um, on Reddit, it's exactly what the podcast is called. It's exactly what the YouTube uh, show is called. We're going to work on getting clips up there. We're going to work on getting the show up there. We want daily discussion threads. It's going to be great. Be looking out for uh, David Feldman, a the David Feldman show Twitch presence. And I want to uh, take Molly to Molly off as a moderator and maybe send her and 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 sentence her to like a year of Dave Feldman moderation or something like that. <laughs> Okay. Fellas, thank you. Or Dave Feldo or something. Okay. Thank you so much. Dave from the Rust Belt, Tom from Alabama. We will talk to you next week. Okay? Thank you, David. Thank you. Liam, you're my chem yeah, Thank you so much. What, what did you say, Dave from the Rust <laughs> Dave from the Rust Belt? What did you say? Liam is my Jim Clyburn. I can't, I can't hear what you said. Liam is my Jim Clyburn. He's... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, fellas. We'll talk to you next week. Very funny. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. That was fun. They were they're funny. What does it say about a show where the listeners are funnier than the people on it? I know it's a problem. Well, let's find out. It's a problem. How are you, Liam? I'm good. It's been it's been a hell of a week. I'm very tired. I've been going to spin class every other day. Yeah, I'm starting to run again. I can't think of anything else that happened this week that we could talk about. Are you afraid of coronavirus? 
I live in the light of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he who gave his life to save the world, mm-hmm. the, the shepherd and the lamb, yeah. by whose right hand I will be sitting at the blessed supper of the lamb. So I fear not uh, your coronavirus or any other earthly ills. Okay. Let us uh, have do... You heard the good word, David? I'm sorry? Have you heard the good word? <laughs> what a weird way to start. I'm sorry. Uh I'm good. Uh, I, I'm not afraid of the coronavirus. I think uh, if people in L.A. start quarantining, it's a terrible idea because it's a city where 75% of the people here think they're too good to follow rules. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine. It would be 25% of the populace would be quarantined and the rest would be out there spreading diseases. So uh, I'm just hoping that the right people die in this town. <laughs> Now, what is – I was talking to Alex Brazil. Remember Alex? Brazil? Yeah, Alex Brazil. I remember Alex. Yeah. Didn't he used to be a friend of ours? Yeah. Then he took yeah. over Hollywood. Then he took over Hollywood. Now he's too good to, to yeah. come to my Now, Now, you've got uh, scheduling conflicts because we have a lot of voicemails to go through and a lot of listener questions. I thought we would plow through voicemails today. And then revisit listener questions on Tuesday. Can I say how much I love your listeners? And I, I mean this. I plugged my show on Tuesday at the Improv at seven thirty with Eddie Pepitone and Mark Brazil. Yeah. And within an and literally within an hour of that episode dropping, yes. I received an email from one of the listeners asking for free tickets. That is the quality of listener that I that I expect from a podcast hosted by what that's that's what i expected when i when i plugged a show on your on your podcast and and did you give them free tickets of course i'm giving them free tickets all right i just thought it was the funniest thing is like a felt of course a felt of fans asking for free (laughs) i can't hear you over the police what (laughs) you're putting down my listeners I'm, I love your dude. Seriously, I love your listeners. Those two guys were hilarious. I can't <laughs> wait to meet John on Tuesday at the Improv. Uh, uh, that's Tuesday, March tenth at seven thirty p.m. at the Improv on Mel, Melrose uh, with Eddie Pepitone and Mark Brazil and what a whole a great, bunch of other funny comics. What a great show! Maybe I'll get Eddie to plug it on Tuesday's show. So here's the deal: we've got a lot of voicemails and we have a lot of listener questions. What's your schedule like? Do you want to come back Tuesday to do listener questions and we do voicemails sure. now? Sure. Let's do voicemails now. We'll do listener questions on Tuesday. Uh, and that's, and then, and then, uh, and then that's it. Okay. 202-670-2752 is the number. 202-670-2752 is the number. Leave us a voicemail and maybe we'll play it on the show also. Liam and I answer listener questions. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com. You'll see a Ask Me Anything button and Ask Me Anything button. Click on that, and if you have a question, Liam and I will answer it. I'm worried, Liam, that Uh a lot of these voicemails might be anti-Liam. That's okay. You sure? (laughs) Yes. Are you positive? really I am I am not only positive, I'm HIV positive. Oh my god. <laughs> All right. Now I'm not worried that 
your That's a South Park joke. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a voice. Uh, but listen. Yeah. Uh how was your week, David? It it's been a crazy week. I, people are freaking out. About what? Just everything in general. People are freaking out. About uh coronavirus and anything else? Uh maybe uh Texas. What happened in Texas? Uh, some disappointing election results. Wait, I thought you told me Bernie Sanders was a lock for Texas. Two oh two six seven. You telling me he didn't win? Two oh two six seven zero twenty seven fifty two. You tell me those racist white ladies in Texas maybe don't like Jews also? Two oh two six seven zero twenty seven. So are you Wait, happy? A, you're happy, Bernie? What an what? unpredictable! What an unpredictable turn of events that was. <laughs> You're telling me yeah. that, the, that the state of Texas didn't throw itself wholeheartedly behind a rich Jew from the Northeast. Is that what you want to tell me? I'll have you know that people... In- <laughs> Jews have done very well in Texas. They've been accepted. Kinky Friedman? Huh? Kinky Friedman? Jack Ruby? <laughs> They've all done very well. All right, you Keith bet. Friedman, Jack Ruby, and Don Imus. And the who? Three Jews Texas. Don Imus. He's not Jewish. He was Jewish, wasn't he? Nope. Nope. Really? I'm nope. pretty sure he was Jewish. No, he was not. Really? Positive. Are you positive? Um, H- okay, let's do our first listener voicemail. What's up, David? I just, I gotta say, Liam. Uh huh. I gotta correct him on one thing, right? We're not addicted to Ambien, man. The fans <laughs> of the Davis Owen show are not addicted to Ambien. We are addicted to weed and video games. Okay? And I don't appreciate you smearing us with this Ambien addiction. If you're gonna come at us, you need to come correct. Weed, video games, okay? And I'm a fucking adult. So I smoke my weed in my bathroom, okay? <laughs> Away from the world, as far as I can get. Because I'm ashamed. I'm deeply ashamed. Somebody please help me. <laughs> I didn't know there was such a crossover between your audience and Joe Rogan's. <laughs> This is all I want to do. This is what all is, I want to do. What's going to happen when it turns out every single one of your listeners is funnier than the both of us? <laughs> I mean, I don't have to do this anymore? <laughs> this is all I want to do. <laughs> I swear to God. What was that guy's name? I don't know. Okay, let's go to the next one. Your name is Unnamed Patriot. Uh, I salute you. <laughs> okay. Uh, next voicemail. <laughs> Hey, operator, put me through to the CFO. I want to talk to the chief Feldman officer right away. <laughs> hey, Feldman, get your feet off the desk and take that cigar out of your mouth because you need to hear this. What happened on Tuesday night? You dropped the ball. You were supposed to deliver the boomers for us, boomer. You got killed with the old people. This and pork chops are out there busting his hump to deliver Colorado while you're making jokes about Citizen Bacon stunning his girls in the Nevada sun at the Las Vegas retreat. Hey, you know something? 
Pat, th- those those girls were sizzling in the sunlight, and we won Nevada because of it in a landslide. <laughs> You're not doing anything, okay? Get to work. Jesus. Ah, uh, I don't know who that was. Do do people do people have to take a character workshop class before they can call your? What's going on? This is they've got oh. you've got like strong calls now. I know this is making me happy. I was so upset. <laughs> I was so upset. This is making me happy. All right, voicemail forty two. Uh, hey, is this uh, Count's Payable? It's uh, Citizen Sausage from the Chicago Bureau, and uh, I need to send you guys an invoice for some reimbursements. Uh, I got uh, some travel stuff out to Dover for the uh, big parking commission meeting, uh, also a business lunch. Um, anyways, let me know where to send it, and then if you could wire me the money, the account number is at 366-85664. You got that? It's foot long. That's citizen, citizen sausage, right? Because I've asked Citizen Bacon to cover the city of Dover. <laughs> Did you know that? Why? No. I thought it'd be really interesting for Citizen Bacon to just you know now that the New Hampshire primaries are over, what do we do with Citizen right. Bacon? We make him our Dover, New Hampshire correspondent, and we really dig down deep into right. what's going on in Dover, New Hampshire. And have that be a, a metaphor for America writ large. And, By the uh, way, did you know? Did you know Dover was named after uh, the only openly gay founding father? Ben. Benjamin Dover. <laughs> so it's a city with a rich history of digging down deep. <laughs> This is all I want to do. <laughs> this is so much fun. Two oh two six seven six. It's like Hershey, Pennsylvania. People go there for the fudge factory. Yeah, but they also like to go around the corner where where milk is made. <laughs> no, around the corner, milk. Oh, I know those videos where milk is made. I've seen those videos <laughs> where around the corner milk is made. Shame on you. I know what you're talking about. You're talking about Boston cream pie, aren't you? <laughs> you know, it's, it's not a party until there's Boston cream pie all over your face. <laughs> Especially if you're throwing a lemon party. Oh, yes, that's right. Is your father still uh, a journalist for LemonParty.org? <laughs> Does he write for LemonParty.org? He's, a, he's, he's on this month's cover. <laughs> Yeah, he did. He's with Citizen Bacon digging down deep in Dover. All right, all right. Behave, Liam. 202-670-2752 is our number. We'll answer listener questions on Tuesday. Right now we're going through the voicemails. Hey, it's Citizen Sausage calling from the Windy City. Good news, Citizen Bacon. Our new recruit, Citizen Porkchops, has passed his test to get into the gang. I mean, Union. He uh, delivered the great state of Colorado for us on Tuesday night. You know, I think this kid is going to be really big for our plan. You know, the plan you were telling me about to install a new regime on that Boomer podcast I will not name? You were telling me about it at that diner after the Dover Parking Commission meeting when we got lunch. The only thing is, Bacon, maybe we should set our sights higher. Maybe this podcast isn't even worth taking over. 
I hear MSNBC has a 7 p.m. slot open. Could be perfect for you. <laughs> Look, I got to run for now, but uh, go pound sand. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> That's citizen, that, there's Citizen Pork Chop in Colorado. Is that where he's from? Yeah, I thought it was the same guy. Well, this is the same guy. This is Citizen Sausage calling in. This is turning into the Citizen Sausage one-man show. That's all right. It's all right. I'm just saying. It's what, so are you declaring war on the Jimmy Dore show? Is that what he's trying to say? Why? Well, isn't that the podcast that you're trying to take over? Me? Yeah. Why would I? No, no, they're trying to unionize. Citizen oh, Sausage and Citizen Bacon are trying to get Citizen Pork Chop to form a union. Oh, okay, okay. That's what I think is going on. <laughs> listen, right. I don't listen to this show, so I, I would have no idea what's going on. That's you. Either to my listeners. So. When, <laughs> whenever, whenever anyone but me is talking, my ears shut down. I see. Okay, let us now. Let's keep. Going. I'm thinking about the fact that the LA Marathon is coming through my neighborhood. I'm going, and it's going to make parking impossible this weekend. That's what I'm thinking about, David. Well, then you you and Bernie Hill Baby Cat should have a romantic weekend. <laughs> in Vegas, now I'm I'm doing a show on Saturday. If anyone's in Pasadena, it's a free show in my friend's house. It's a private residence. So you have to email me for that information. But I need everyone to come to the improv on Tuesday. Okay. And how do people email you? Liam at heyitsliam.com. Okay. 202-670-2752 is the number. Hey, Feldman. Uh, this is Cole from Hot Springs, Arkansas. Um, Arkansas. Jeez. Yeah, I've had a couple, you know. <laughs> now, this is a Feldman listener. <laughs> Substance abuse problems, <laughs> phone call he's regretting. <laughs> I can already tell is ridiculously rambling and will probably get. What? I said I can already tell this voicemail is going to be rambling and get cut off. Okay, let's see. As your guest, Wire McElroy, would have you believe all your callers do drink. That's a fact. <laughs> Um, well, I anyway, I just want to say, um, first right off, I am a Republican, so I don't like you. But I have been listening, <laughs> which is weird. I this don't is know. No why. different than his liberal listeners. <laughs> he doesn't like me, huh? But neither do your other listeners. Yeah. So it's okay. All right. All right. He's been listening to the show. I'm doing it, but you know, you're out there, so why not? Anyway, <laughs> I just want to know what you think. Your boy Biden, is he going to take this thing? Because honestly, I mean, <laughs> when it up against Trump, I mean, you're going to, you're going to fall flat. So he's got a bit of the dementia, which is not funny, you know, my, my, my game. I, I, I think, uh, I think the phone went up. What? That's good. You finished. I, it, it, it's all muffled. You know, I think I think his head is up his ass. His phone is okay. He's gonna die. Oh, here we go. On the stage, he's gonna just die. So I just want to know what you think is gonna happen if that actually goes down. All right. Well, I might listen to this. I kind of hate you, 
fundamentally from top to bottom, but uh, all right, keep it queer. <laughs> what? Keep it queer. All right. Keep, all right. Uh, thank you. It's it's refreshing to hear somebody go after me and not Liam. It is, that is a gentleman who owns multiple guns. I guarantee I know. it. That's why I'm going. I, I salute you, sir. God bless. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I'm right there with you, David. Man, <laughs> you made a lot of sense. There's no way Biden can win against Trump, man. Uh-huh. Smart smart call. All right. 202-670-2752 is, is the number. 202-670-2752. We have a listener in Arkansas. We have Tom from Alabama. What, is uh-huh. that, what does that tell you, Liam? Uh, it tells you that uh, you're totally combined... I can't. All right, I'll say the combined number of teeth in your listenership is about. <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, thanks for your question, Citizen Sausage. So, you want to talk with? Uh, you want to talk unions with me, Citizen Bacon? I would love to. Oh, wait a second. This is Citizen Bacon calling in, talking to... Is this the real Citizen Bacon, though? you know that some old... Yeah, this is Citizen Bacon calling in. I I may not run. Let me just hang on. Overalls, head buttons, embossed, union made. You don't see that much anymore. Oh, excuse my presumption. Leave um, alone and the great Feldini. I'm sorry (laughs) to say, Citizen Sausage, but a union... Of two is called a marriage. And I, living in New Hampshire, am only allowed to be in one. So as for now, <laughs> I gotta say no. But hey, if you have more questions, keep them coming. And Citizen Sausage, what's your favorite Edward Sullivan building out there in Chicago? <laughs> Ed Sullivan? Ed Sullivan designed buildings? <laughs> A really, really big skyscraper. Oh, really? Well, this one has gone all the way up to the 14th floor. Mm-hmm. We, we we don't call it the 13th floor. We call it Topo Gigio because it's bad luck. <laughs> all right. Let us, that, is, that was actually Citizen Bacon. Who knew that he'd be available to call in? Have you have you have you designed a new building? See, <laughs> and uh, and what a that is a really really good building. Oh, see, I designed a building real good. Yes, yeah, there's, se- there's a senior Wences Boulevard. Absolutely, on Fifty Fourth Street and Broadway. Yeah, yeah, outside Dad Sullivan Theater. Yeah. All right, moving on. Hi, David. It's Chris Matthews. I'm calling about your contest. You want oh, to know who said all politics are local? That was my old boss, Tip O'Neill. Tell me where to send this T-shirt. I've got a bunch of old MSNBC stuff I won't be wearing anymore. <laughs> hey, David, I love that joke you made on your show about midwives a couple weeks ago. You ever need somebody to fill in and say stuff like that? I'm pretty free these days. Give me a call. <laughs> That was uh, Chris Matthews. We asked, I think I asked Citizen Bacon who who coined the term all politics is local. Mm-hmm. And 
the correct answer was Tip O'Neill, who uh, Chris Matthews once worked for. All right, we're plowing. This is good. We're plowing through the voicemails today. 202-670-2752 is our voicemail number. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Hit the Ask Me Anything button. You can find the phone number there and also a contact button and listener questions form that you can fill out. And Liam and I will be answering your questions on Tuesday. On Tuesday. Yeah, we're almost done. We're almost done. Play 32. Hi, David. Hi, Liam. Sam from Connecticut. Wanted to just thank Liam again for his ongoing contributions. Clear insight and forthright uh-huh. vision. I'm educated. Yeah, he's coming for you. You're right. Really, I feel like this is this is a genuine compliment. I'm excited to hear the rest of this message. Okay, okay. This is dripping with sarcasm. I, I no yeah. sarcasm. Yeah, let's see. Let's hear. Uh, sure. You know, I think probably anchoring the show is again the metaphor I would use. An incredible. Thank you. Asset, the anchor to a ship, uh, yeah. allows it to stop and, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> weather storms, which is correct, sometimes works. Anyway, just wanted to ask Liam, uh, sometimes works. Bernie or Warren, what if they combine the ticket? Bernie for four, Warren for eight. What's your thought, uh, oh given gosh. that she is losing? And he is, of course, the only possible future for our planet, our nation, and our very moral souls. Thank you, you so much yourself? for your contributions again, Liam. Have a great day. Okay, legitimate question. Would you support a, a Bernie Sanders ticket? Wait, do you, do you really think it's legitimate to say he's the only hope for our planet, our souls, and our future? I agree with him. Yes, I do. You think you, you really think that... Yes. Your soul. It's the battle for the soul of a generation. Yes. You really believe that? Yes, I do. I think every candidate except for Bernie Sanders is Uh, beholden to some special interest and full of dung. And Bernie is the only, only candidate who has been consistently for the future. Huh. And if you don't see that, is, that that's, a, that's a psychological flaw on your part. It's ironic because he has less than four years to live by the look of him. I, I think he looks great. <laughs> well, you would. All right. Would you support I, Elizabeth Warren as his vice president? I would support Bernie Sanders as Elizabeth Warren's vice president, absolutely. Okay. Here we go. 202-670-2752 is the number. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> Hello, Governor. I, I, we go. I don't know. Can't yourself. <laughs> Bert? 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 Bert from Mary Poppins. Chim chimmery, chim chimmery, chim chim chimmery. Bert from Mary Poppins. Big Bernie supporter. Yeah, that is true. Dick Van Dyke did come. It's all the confused old men who don't know where they are leading politics right now. How dare you slam Dick Van Dyke? How dare you? How can these men control their future when they can't control their own bowels? Oh, 
Oh, you crossed a line there. <laughs> oh, how dare you? All right, we've got two more voicemails. This was fun. Bernie's as happy as happy can be. <laughs> you know what super califragilistic expialidocious is? What's that? It's Joe Biden trying to pronounce Medicare. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's funny. Ah, this cheered me up. I was so a uh, little stressed out today. Why? Was, this, because everybody was canceling. People were freaking out. The older people were freaking out about coronavirus and uh-huh. the economy and relatives and just people and and Bernie and everybody was older people who I had on the show, people over the age of 30 were all freaking out. Well, it's us 29 year olds that are carrying the day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, let's, let's just be real in terms of the coronavirus. You are, you have like a much higher chance of dying from the herpes strain. They named after David Feldman. than Ooh. you are Coronavirus. That's not nice. Okay. And you can only catch that if you're in certain areas outside Las Vegas. Mm. Are you going to hook up with uh, Bernie Howe? You know, I still haven't heard from her. I think she's too scared. I I think, honestly, she's, like, afraid of facing me. And I understand why. Okay. Because, I mean, she just doesn't have what it takes. All right. We got two more voicemails. Here we go. Hi, David and Liam. Uh, this Hi. is Leo calling from Miami, land of the Cubans that were going to vote for Bernie, but now since he is a Castro fan, they're not going to anymore. Um, long-time listener, first-time caller. I was listening to the last episode, and it got me thinking, since a lot of people are trashing Liam, uh, I have a just a little request for Liam. Liam, you need to go easy on David on his uh, Bernie rhetoric. Uh, you see, David, he feels partially guilty for electing Trump. Right. Back yeah, in the day, that. he used to have this really shitty guy comedian coming in every fucking week to praise Trump. And I guess he had him because he thought he was funny. Who's and that? back then... Like everybody else, nobody believed that Trump was going to get elected. So he feels guilty about that. So that's why he's like a total 150% Bernie bro these days. Right. So, yeah, just wanted to say that. Go easy on David. He's a nice guy. Uh, well, I can't wait to hear your thoughts about this, Liam. Seriously, I can't wait because it might take a while. <laughs> Bye. That was a nice call. I mean, was pro Liam, anti David. <clears throat> well, you had a we... comedian on who was pro Trump. Was it like an ironic thing? Uh, I probably, you know, I don't, I don't remember, but I probably listened to people who said it's good that Trump is running. He's not going to get elected. He's stirring right. the pot. This is good for politics. And uh, so, yeah, I I will never, ever, and this is one of the reasons, and I'll let Liam answer the call. One of the things I've decided 
to do is never have a Republican or a conservative on the show because they're not honest interlocutors. They, they, they're deceptive. They don't speak the truth. What I am doing for the time being is I'm having more centrist Democrats on the show because I think there's legitimate debate to be had between somebody like me and Liam, who is a little more to the center than I am. Well, before we before you play the last voicemail, yes, uh, I'm looking at your iTunes page, at your reviews. Yeah, you're you're getting five star reviews from Citizen Spam. <laughs> Dude, Citizen Bacon has started a citizen revolution on the David Feldman Show listeners. Yeah. And he's saying, I'm loving the show. I was introduced to David on the Majority Report. Now that I know I'm supposed to hate Ian, I think he means me, yeah. I'm enjoying the show even more. Wow. And someone else wrote, uh, fascinating winner of the Best Podcast of the Year award in the category of five hours and over. <laughs> How many stars did they give the show? They gave you five stars. All right. You don't want to mess with the IT. Those reviews are kind of important in terms right. of, you know, we didn't get to be the 750,365th most popular podcast on iTunes <laughs> just by sitting back and not encouraging people to give us good reviews. So right. thank you. We are more and more Americans are hate listening the David Feldman show <laughs> each week. Hey, you're reaching across the aisle. Yeah. And now Republicans are hate listening to you. I think that's a good that's a good sign. Uh last voicemail. Thank you, Liam. This was fun. Thank you. This was fun. Yeah. You're great. I wrote you a note last week because I was worried that you're taking a lot of hits on this show. Yeah, I don't care. I do. I don't I don't like my guests being You know the thing is, David, I get the last word always. And uh, so I don't I don't really care what people say. Okay. You know, Bob Dylan once said, he said, they can talk about me plenty once I'm gone. It would be you great know, if you finished that with a gunshot. <laughs> <laughs> Liam? Liam, are you there? <laughs> he said, hey, man, nice shot. Nice shot. To quote the song from Filter. Yeah. Tom from uh, Alabama, Dave from the Rust Belt. Boy, they were really funny today. They were on their game. They they brought their A game. I was like, wow. I mean, they, they, they you know conceptually, when when Dave from the Rust Belt started taking the subreddit and turning it into a metaphor for Obamacare, right? And then Tom from Alabama picked up on that, right? People are really. That's impressive. I think it goes to show literally anyone can do improv. <laughs> like, it's not really a skill. It's just a fun thing to do and to, to tell your parents you're doing while you figure shit out in, in New York. Yeah. All right. Last call. Last call. And by last call, I mean, Liam, you have an AA meeting in five minutes. <laughs> so drink I, went to one, I went to one at seven in the morning. So I'm good. Did you really? I did. All right. Of the Cafe 101 in Hollywood. All right. Good for you. Here we go. Last that call. That's good for me. Last call. Drink them up. 
Hello, Randall in Harrisburg again. I called in a few weeks ago, and I'm a victim of Liam's rudeness and his, uh, his attacks on my voice and, and my personality. But Good. We're ending on a positive note. <laughs> Randall. <laughs> Randall from Harrisburg. Shall we continue, Liam? I, I am all about it, about it. All right, buddy. Here we go. That's not why I'm calling today. I'm calling for two reasons. Number one, I'd like you to play the clip of Joe Biden uh, really laying out that he's for cutting everything. And I think that's really funny. I'd like to hear that more. And number two, I just finished listening to your monologue from today's episode, Friday's episode, and I love it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find out where it starts and where it ends so I can send it to uh, some of my conservative friends and family members. And uh, that's what turned me on to your show I think it was the first episode I listened to. You were talking about Obama's $3,000 jacket. And uh, you have great monologues and they're really inspiring. And uh, it just speaks really to, you know, what I believe in and I think what a lot of Americans believe in. Thank you for doing the monologues. Uh, I really like them. Well, that's a perfect call. You know why? Why? He praises me and slams you. that's all the ingredients for perfection 202-670-2752 is our number if you can't write it down go to davidfeldmanshow.com hit the ask me anything button you can find the number there and all the forms to fill out to ask liam and me questions go ahead liam i interrupted you no no sorry i just want to say uh we have a lot of fun talking politics on this show but uh, seriously, the primary season isn't over, and no matter who you support, uh, if you're in a state that hasn't voted yet, don't don't let any anything that's happened on Tuesday stop you from going out to vote. Because the worst thing you can do in this democracy, as we have seen in 2016, is to stay home because you're feeling depressed or not right about uh, how an election is going. All right. <laughs> I knew you wouldn't like that I ended on on a sincere note, yeah. but uh, I think it's like, you know, because uh, this whole Bernie thing is kind of a cult, and you guys are either 100% win or refusing to participate in the process, I just want to remind you that if you don't participate at all, then you have no right to complain. Oh, wait, Alex Brazil, who runs Hollywood, is on the line. Oh, I sh- he says I should mention that you're going to be at the Improv Tuesday night at 7.30 with Eddie Pepitone and Mark Brazil. And everybody listening right now should email Liam for free tickets. All right. I mean, technically, I sh- uh, I'm sure the Improv would love me to say... Uh, pay for tickets, but if you don't have the money or you don't want to or whatever, just email me and I'm happy to put you on the guest list. Okay. We have another call. It's Liam's mother. What? Yeah, your mo- it's your mother on the line. Oh, my God. Say hi for me. She says she wants me to play the, the tape that I sent of Liam being conceived. Oh. <laughs> it was the worst night of her life. She still has trouble walking and... The, the the father never called. He just galloped off and rode off into the sunset. All right. This is Liam's mother 
It's a tape that she sent me of Liam's conception. And you can hear her lover, his father, during this. That's, that's, that's your conception. Doesn't sound human to me, Liam. What the? Oh, David, you're so crazy. <laughs> Hang on, we got another call. It's Liam's mother. Oh. She wants me to play the tape she sent of Liam losing his virginity, performing oral sex at the bordello where I work. Okay, thank you, Liam's mom. Apparently they taped you performing oral sex at your mother's place of work. Wow, you, you know, and, and they're not supposed to do that unless I get a cut. Yeah, but this is a, this is a tape she had sent me. This is Liam losing his virginity and going down on his mother's co-worker at the Bunnyland Ranch in Nevada. <clears throat> Wait, it gets better because he's at the Bunnyland Ranch in Nevada. Hang on. Hang on. He hit the jackpot. <laughs> How great would that be at the Bunnyland Ranch if coins shoot out instead? Okay. You know what's great about you using that clip to illustrate <laughs> eating a woman out? What? It's like it, it makes me think there's a 50-50 chance you've never actually done that. There's like I, a 50-50 chance you think that that's actually what it means. That's Of course it's. You bring a bib, a knife, <laughs> some forks, a spoon, a the <laughs> some butter, a little, uh, little bowl of water. A quarter of a lemon wedge. <laughs> Just spritz it right in there. Plug away. Also, the idea, the idea that you pay... To go to the bunny ranch to perform oral sex on a woman. Of course. <laughs> at the end of the day, are and you then, kidding me? You go, you go at the end of the day? The end of the day. You, to get the mother load. With a bottle of Listerine. I hit the mother load. By that I mean Liam's mother. And then if you pay 50 bucks extra, they let you clean the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that from Clute? No. That was the guy I used to call up where Jane Fonda worked. Uh -huh. And, uh, okay. That's a scene from Clute. Shall we wrap it up? Hey, it's Liam is your Twitter handle. If people want to email you for free tickets to the improv, we're giving away a hundred free tickets to see Liam <laughs> at the improv. Well, so people have actually been buying tickets, so that's good. Okay. Uh, but I, but really, I want to. I want to show the improv that I can draw an audience in well, Los Angeles. The, the first five people uh -huh. to, to email Liam will get tickets to see him Tuesday night at the improv in beautiful Hollywood, along with Eddie Pepitone and Mark Brazil. Right? Let's give away first, five tickets. 
We're going to give away five tickets, yeah. and if there's a demand, we'll give away 20 more pairs of tickets. No, no. Why don't you give away five tickets on my show? I'm going to prove to you uh-huh. that I have listeners. Okay. So We're going to give away five pairs of tickets. Five pairs of tickets. Where do they email you? Liam at HeyIt'sLiam.com. Liam at HeyIt'sLiam.com. The first... Um, John in Los Angeles has already claimed a pair of tickets, and we have five more pairs of tickets to give away. We're going to do this. We're doing it. All right. It's like that Todd Berry bit where he talks about being on morning radio. What? And the guy offers what? ticket giveaways to a show, and then he just sits there and waits <laughs> for the phone to Been there. I can't tell you how. It's the story of my stand-up career. Oh, it's too painful to think about. So is there are there any other guests on the show this week? Yeah. Do they know they can't catch coronavirus through Skype? Mm-hmm. It was this was a rough show to get done today. It was rough. But you well, cheered. Here's the deal, people. You can only catch coronavirus through prolonged exposure to someone who has it. So if you're on the subway, even if you're on a plane, odds are very good. You're not even going to catch it. And there's like a 2% chance you're, it's going to be even deathly, uh, you know, like, and there's a smaller chance that it's even fatal. So, and you have to be either very elderly, which I understand with some of your guests, that's a concern. <laughs> <laughs> or very sick, which I understand a lot more of a guess that's a concern. But yeah. still, uh, it's it, uh, I, people are panicking. People are making it impossible to buy Costco and Trader Joe's because they're panic buying. Right, right. It's it's a whole lot of nothing. It is. And go out Tuesday night, see Liam with Eddie Pepitone and Mark Brazil at the Improv. Liam will be serving his world-famous bat soup. Wait a second. I just <laughs> bad soup. Your bad soup, right? My bad soup. And, and, and by the way, just just to be fair, like just so your listeners are, are reassured, these are wild bats that I will catch myself day of. <laughs> so you know they're super fresh. All right. What else do we plug? Are, oh, the good good news is if there isn't a turnout, I can tell the improv is the coronavirus. Yes. Yes. So panic, everybody. Go to Costco, buy out the store, get everything you can, get canned foods and shotguns. Okay. Liam McEnany, the name of his album is Working Class Fancy, and the name uh, of his podcast is Tell Your Friends, download it. I thank you, Liam. Stay on the line. I love you. I love you, too. Tell your mother I'll be late. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized humps.